Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 379. And your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co host, David Bixen, Span and Bix. We are deep in 1997 these next couple weeks here. We have our new Patreon show that's out that we talked about on last week's show, but of course, we'll talk about it again real quick. The part one of our look at 25 years of Montreal. Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, Survivor Series 97, chronicling the uh, lead-up to and Survivor Series 97. So everybody go check that out, patreon.com slash twin sheets. And we have two weeks in a row on the main show of 1997, plus two more Patreon shows that fell the rest of the year involving 1997 and Shawn and Bret and everything. So uh, whew, hope you're ready to stay uh, st- stay back in time 25 years. I'm okay with it. Um there is a caveat, though, that we need to give about the next two weeks of shows, though, including this week. Yes. Um, as I mentioned on uh, last week's show in the plugs, uh, I mean, Bret Hart, the whole Bret Sean thing, we're not going to cover it in depth on these shows because, I mean, think about it, folks. <laughs> we're doing the, the Patreon shows for a reason. So why would we want to have the same information on the, on this show and the Patreon show at the same time? We're basically undercutting ourselves. Yes, and so you know, I should know too, so no one gets upset on his behalf or anything. We discussed this with Tyler for next week's show when he first talked to us about requesting it. But the thing is, is that he has a unique perspective in the whole story because so he's we're going to Cornwall I mean, uh, raw tape. He's Canadian. Well, that too. Yes. <laughs> So I mean, and he's at the and he's at the taping. So we'll get his thoughts on it. But as far as us talking about it like this on the on this show, then uh, no, it's not going to really come up. Now we'll talk about everything else that's going on. But Sean and Brett related, no. And God knows we did that. This show would be insanely long. So uh, none of that this week. But anyway, we are joined by a special guest, someone who hasn't been on in a while. We're always glad to have him on and. Uh, he got some big things going on as we record this show. As we are joined by our dear friend, promoter of Black Label Pro, which is on the new will be on the new Fight TV Plus streaming service. Yes, we are joined by Mikey Blanton. Mikey, welcome back. Hello, friends, and you are our fr- nope, wrong one. Hi, guys. <laughs> What's going on, brother? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, you uh, couldn't just go with hey, hey. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I believe I've pulled that one before, actually. <laughs> uh, this is actually a big moment for me, boys. Uh, we'll get into the BLP stuff in a second, but I believe this is me officially joining the Five Timers Club hey. out between the sheets. Hey, there you go. No jacket, though. No, no smoking jacket. Yeah, well, I'm going to buy one just for myself. Uh, <laughs> yes, and uh, I will probably uh, send a few out, too. Well, you make sure you get – you might need to get two for Bo. Yeah, Bo, yeah, Bo deserves five. Uh, <laughs> uh, Robert. Yeah, yep. And Frazak and you. Uh, yes, and, yes, yes. This is number five. Yeah. Oh, yep. oh see, Bix is even fact, fact checking me on the show. <laughs> I'm double checking. You said you weren't sure. Uh, now you know how I feel. <laughs> oh, man. You said but you yes. weren't sure. I, yeah, that's great. Uh, but yes, uh, BLP is moving 
this upcoming weekend, November 12th, uh, we start on Fight Plus. Uh, we have joined our friends, uh, John Thorne, AIW, Brett uh, L. I don't remember his last name. Brett, what's his G- name? Yeah, yeah, at uh, GCW. Um, William, William Corgan at, uh, National Wrestling Alliance, <laughs> all Bill. of us. Yeah. Bill, uh, we all met up, uh, and at a diner in Chicago and, uh, B- Billy made us split the check. I was surprised, but, <laughs> but it was a big thing. We all shook hands together. It was a big moment, smoked some cigars and here we are. There you go. Yes. So, uh. We'll have more on that later on the show during the plug section. But yes, uh, exciting times uh, in the world of streaming professional wrestling. So uh, there you go. Yes, yes. How do we get a code or a link or whatever, though? (laughs) Bix, you need to get on that. That's your job. (laughs) You're the one that greases the palms of these people. So uh, you get on that. See See what can happen with there. No, we're not turning our back on IWTV by any stretch of imaginations, but hey, we're always looking for new forms of, uh, <laughs> of uh, you know, getting some money in the pockets. Hey, I'm being honest. I don't give a shit. So uh, anything helps. I got anyway, to get paid. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right. So let's go back to 1997, shall we, in the, the week of November 2nd through the 8th. And uh, we'll start with the World Wrestling Federation, naturally. And uh, there's others stuff that's non-Brett Sean related that we're going to lead off with. The official cause of death of Brian Pillman will, will apparently be listed as a heart attack due to natural causes. At press time, the Hennepin County Medical Examiner's Office had not released an official press statement on Pillman, but family sources said such a statement would be released later in the week. Pillman was found dead at the age of 35 in a Bloomington, Minnesota hotel room at 1.09 p.m. on October the 5th, the night after wrestling his final match at the St. Paul Civic Center and just hours before the day was about to go on the air with a favorite show. Reports from those close to the situation indicate that after nearly one month of tests, the coroners reported on November the 3rd that they were stumped for a cause of the heart attack, although his heart showed an unusual amount of damage for someone his age. This could have been partially hereditary given his family history and also due to the amount of stress he had placed on his heart. Either steroids and or cocaine have been known to cause heart damage, which over the years can have a cumulative effect. It was no secret that Pillman had used steroids dating back to his college pro football days and through the other part of his wrestling career for obvious reasons. Being in all the aforementioned professions, use was plentiful during the 80s, and his own lack of natural body size was really all that they hold it back from stardom. Toxicology reports did not reveal any intake of drugs that could have caused a death. The reports revealed the expected prescription painkillers, although not at dangerous levels. There were no traces of steroids or any illegal drug found in his system. The steroid decadurabolin, I believe, is technically how it is. Either either way, was the only legal drug found in this system when he was drug tested by DOF on August 28th. Although the low levels and the fact that the drug can stay in the system and show up in tests longer than after usage in the steroid in rare occasions for more than one year after his last usage, although usually won't do longer than a few months, was the reason he was suspended for what could have technically been ruled a failed drug test. There wasn't even any trace of alcohol in the system. There was an empty beer bottle found in his room, along with several bottles, none empty, of prescription pain pills when the police opened the door. Later reports indicated that while the bottle of beer was empty, the cap was still in the bottle, and this, this had broken 
And the contents of the bottle apparently spilled onto his clothes, so it appeared he had never even drank the beer. The only strange drug found in this system, a prescription drug that he apparently did not have a prescription for, was medication used to combat high blood pressure. This would have not been something that he would have been taking medication for. Later reports have indicated that when he went on the road trip to Minneapolis for the first match of the weekend, he had run out of a certain painkiller and theoretically had asked either for one from another wrestler or a hanger-on and was given something that was actually not a painkiller. However, the amount in this system wasn't real dangerous, and that was also ruled out as being a potential cause of death. All right, do you want me to do the Millie Pillman statement, or you want to talk about this, Bix? It's up to you. Let's start here. Um, All right. Reading how this is written and knowing what comes out since, did Dave accidentally on purpose, and I say that not in an accusatory way, but because they were good friends, did Dave accidentally on purpose kind of leave out the direct note about the cocaine in there because the official cause of death was had steroid as a excuse me had cocaine as a contributing cause right he he mentioned that there was no illegal drugs in his system oh he did say no illegal drugs then how yes. co- then how was cocaine cited as a contributing cause which we hear later <laughs> do you think that they maybe were saying that the usage had caused his heart to become what it was because Dave does, Dave does kind of allude to that. That's what I'm talking about. But that's why I said accidentally on purpose. Because I, hold on, let me see. If I search our because Google it, Drive for cocaine and contributing cause, because he, <laughs> he, he he talks about either steroids and or cocaine have been known to cause heart damage, which over the years can have a cumulative effect. And he talks about how it was no secret that Pillman did steroids, but never mentioned Pillman doing cocaine. So he mentions steroids and cocaine as a general statement. But when it came to Pillman, he didn't bring up the cocaine part. Okay, I am so, looking. Why? At... Why include that in the general statement that just those two things would do that, and then you never mention it for Brian himself? Okay, that that, that sounds like more. Maybe it was his opinion at the time. Maybe he thought that, and just kind of wanted to get it out there. Because Dave did a lot of just editorial type comments, as you guys know. Uh, junk food dog. So there's like <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot of that kind of stuff in that observer. But um, speaking of Pillman, uh, see I know uh, Brian Pillman Jr. Uh, AEW star. Uh, did you guys know that Brian Pillman Jr. is not his actual name? Um, it's Brian yeah, Pillman second, right? Uh, no, it's actually no, it's else. no, it's uh, Warrior Warrior Jr. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> uh, well i empathize with what he went through as a child but uh the person he has turned into is someone i'm not a fan of so whatever uh, if i haven't if i hadn't heard him make that same joke before i would not have told it here today. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so I pulled up the collected Brian Pillman Observer articles that a friend of ours has put together, the document. Okay, so we have March 10, 2000, New York Daily News, three-part series on wrestling written by Kevin McCoy that brought some new fa- details to light on deaths and arrests. Um, Pillman story quotes Melanie talking about his use of steroids, HH, and painkillers as a wrestler before his death, Dave adds in parenthesis, cocaine was not mentioned in the article as a contributory cause of his heart attack. Uh, then an article on Joel Hackett, etc. So then we go to August 20th, 01, 
for the 2001 Pillman Memorial coverage. And we have this. Uh, within the profession, his death brought forth a lot of different emotions. Pillman had serious drug issues at the end, partially from trying to wrestle with a body that had no business doing anything involving quick movement after his ankle was destroyed in a Humvee accident, blah, blah, blah. Was and wasn't a surprise to those who knew him best because of those issues, as his regular usage of cocaine prior to his death was a contributing cause of his heart failure. That, that, yeah, but again, how long is his thing? I wonder how long yeah, yeah. heart failure. But though. that makes it sound like that's on the death certificate or autopsy, though, if you're using that kind of terminology. Yeah, but if you're t- heart failure, can go for a while. No, that's, you know, I, Chris, 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 that's he. That's the news person thing that happens way too often. Well, they were used the term heart failure to refer to cardiac arrest, and, and they use it incorrectly, not understanding that heart failure means congestive heart failure. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Because I, I, I've had family members that's undergone, uh, that's gone through congestive heart failure. Right, he that's means, had it for, for a while. He means cardiac arrest. I believe. Yes, exactly, yes. Um, okay. The toxic... Okay. So, wait, is this Pillman? Okay, the Okerlund stuff we have later, right? Because I'm looking at a doc I have compiling the death coverage that I don't remember why I made this. Um, oh, I might have made this for Darkseid, actually. Okay, looking at the date, yes. Um, we'll have the Okerlund stuff later, though. That's from this week, right? Um, no. Oh, we don't have it was that? From the week. It was from the week before. We've okay. already done it. Okay. We have like we have like a passing deal on that. But that was we've already covered that on the show. Okay. So let me read this then cuz I think this is no, this is from our week though. Oh, looking well, at we, the, we 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 covered it on the other show. I mean it's from the remember... observer though. Is what I'm saying. Sorry. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. You can't judge it by that. Okay, but <laughs> look at the timelines. Here's where there's more about cocaine that you cut out because we had covered this previously. The toxicology report showing no traces of cocaine put tremendous heat on Gene Okerlund and WCW, who had claimed to have the inside scoop directly from the doctor that Pillman died of a cocaine overdose. On October 27th, on a WCW, I guess this is WCW Live, an early version of it, on a WCW Internet Audio show with Mark Madden, Okerlund discussed this fact as his lead scoop, uh, led to rumors running rampant all week about being the official cause of death. Okerlund had all along privately claimed to have inside connections with the police and doctors since Pillman's death occurred in the Twin Cities, blah, 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 regaled people. With we, a- we actually do mention this at the end of the show, something about this, but go ahead. Well, I saw, I did see that too, but okay, so we have Dave in the same issue saying no cocaine um, on the toxicology. Then we have this story from leading up to the Pillman Memorial in 99 and talking about the growth hormone stuff Melanie talked about on ESPN and says the cocaine should have come from a drug test if he was testing regularly. It looks like they just mean, he means the cocaine usage. Um, and, okay, this is Spicoli, so yeah, that's it. So it's... I Now I'm trying to figure out, because that's something I feel like we've heard many times in the years since. Where did cocaine as a contributing cause come from? I think it came from the um, hotline thing. But I feel and like that's just, actually something that's been out there more definitively. Well, that happens, <laughs> you know. Is it, or is it is it maybe people just conflating 
that we know he used cocaine with that it was a cause, I guess. Well, the usage can, you know, I guess they're saying that he since he used it, that that was a contributing factor. None that show that it killed him, but the usage of it caused his heart to be where it is. You know, it's like you could have somebody that die of, uh, you know, of alcohol abuse, but they had they weren't drinking when they died. It was the years of it was the amount of abuse that they had previously done that caused them to die. You know what I'm saying? Oh, here we go. L.A. <laughs> Times, 2003, by Lance Pugmire, March 29th. Article talking to Melanie Pillman. Although the Hennepin County Medical Examiner listed the cause of Pillman's death as coronary artery disease, non-lethal traces of cocaine were found in his system. Well, that's, well what's the key word there? But non-lethal. That, but that contradicts what Dave said, which was that there was no cocaine. Yeah. So, so, but other people were saying the same thing too as was Dave, or they, or they took their fault, their lead from him. Either or, you know. I mean, I think no. If the what you call it, if the, if it's the L.A. Times citing it using that terminology, I would think it's. Um, I would think that's getting to the, either the actual documentation or talking to the coroner's office. How how much of the news on the WCW hotline do you think that Gene Okerlund made up? A lot. A good bit. <laughs> do, do you guys remember And he got that? in trouble for And he got in trouble for it, too. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, he reported that Jake the Snake Roberts was going to join the Wolf Pack, and I got really excited. But uh, <laughs> that did not come to pass. If only it did. <laughs> but, um, I mean, yeah, I mean... It's crazy. I mean, Dave may have been keeping that out, you know, like you said, to protect to protect Brian. If anyone was going to do that, it would have been Dave. Yeah. Okay, so I'm assuming this might be an OCR thing that I can't find in our Google Drive. It doesn't say which Pillman story this is, but there is a copy-paste in a wrestling forum post that is clearly a legit... Um, Observer story. Oh, it's okay. It's it's the story from when the DVD came out about Pillman, the WWE one. It specifically says Brian's death certificate did list cocaine as a contributing cause of death. Okay. So, are we to assume this is grief-stricken Dave? Maybe not having his head in the game to varying degrees. It's just, or it's just, he's one to protect a friend's memory and. Well, I'm including that, that in what I just said. At that time, 1997, you know, the internet isn't what it is now. And people weren't going to go and do heavy fact-checking, you know? And being, and it being Brian Pillman, people didn't want to believe that anyway, probably, too. So they were like, okay, all right. I mean, so it's clearly we'll, we'll, on Dave's mind, though. He at least knows about the usage. That's happened before. In, in other, in, in, you know, this happened in other forms of uh, reporting of uh, celebrity deaths where the, the reporters are trying to protect the celebrity's reputation. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I knew I didn't make that up, but there it was in the black and white, the phrasing I remembered contributing cause. So. 
So weird. But anyway, now we have I, Melanie's AOL statement. That, oh, but, but, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. No, but I'm saying you were talking about like protecting celebrities, but like modern reporting is not that at all. Oh no, 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 no! It's totally yeah. different now. Absolutely. Yeah, like Absolutely. if El- if Elvis died today, you would see the picture of him on the toilet, a picture of in the toilet. It would be the whole thing. Like they would, because no, there's no just lying anymore. It's just it's so intrusive. Like it's well, I mean, the perfect example is think about how different Michael Jordan's legacy would be if he was in his prime today. Doing the shit he did oh, back yeah. then. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there, there was a whole book written about. It. I mean, you got the the Jordan rules and everything. I mean, they they knew that they had to protect this man because he was big money. You know, there's been so much over the years in all forms of, po- I mean, good politics. I mean, good God, and so, uh, you know, movie celebrities. I mean, it's it, yeah. Exactly. It's harder to do now. Absolutely. It's harder to do now with everybody yeah. having te- cell phones and shit like social media and shit like that. You can't you can't do it no more. Yeah, I, I just read the Dick Ebersole book and which is a fantastic book. I'm sure uh, it is. He's got a lot of stories to tell. Yes, <laughs> yes. And he talked about how like there was that lockout uh, right after uh, Michael Jordan retired the second time. Yeah, the, se- the second. Yeah, the second lockout. And uh, he uh, said that Shaq was actually the one that got everyone together and was like, hey, we got to end this because this league is going to struggle because we don't have Jordan anymore. And he realized that when he's still like, you know, Shaq's pretty young kid at that point, but he he was able to put that together. I thought that was very cool. And it took the NBA a few years to get back on their ground. But, uh, yeah, there's a a lot of stuff like that around. All right, let's go to Melanie Pillman and see what she says here at the time. Through AOL, she released a statement through AOL last week um, regarding the death of her husband, Brian Pillman. It's been a month since he died, and I'm finally able to do this. First and foremost, the medical examiner's office called today to let me know all the toxicology reports are complete. Brian died of a congenital heart disease, which led to a heart attack. Exactly as his father did when Brian was only three years old. There was no recreational drugs found in his system, nor any alcohol, Bix. It's 1997, Dave. He is talking to the coroner, so it's... Ugh. This is Melanie Pillman's statement to AOL. No, 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 no. I know. Sorry, turn my volume <laughs> down. My mistake for a second. Um, no, I know that, but Dave, I, I, doubling back to that, Dave did say also say no recreational... or, or No, he said no illegal drugs. But so, I'm saying, but here's Melanie saying the same thing. Well, so Melanie that, I mean, that, is I, not a news reporter, though. She's I know, but, I'm saying, but what I'm saying, though, is she's probably telling Dave this, too. So he's getting it from all these sides. But picks. I think Dave has to actually have the actual information too. Dave's this is nineteen ninety seven Dave as well. He's yeah, he's he's advanced in his reporting, but he's also still too too close to his sources, put that way. According to the position and manner he was found, they have concluded that he died with no pain and in his sleep. Thank God. Brian and I have been arguing lately, but we were living together and everything was fine between us at the time of his death. We argued about the fact that he relied too much on painkillers to wrestle. I wanted him out of the business, but he thought he could handle things. Again, the medicine did not cause his death. The reason I came across as strange on TV was that I was in shock. My friends brushed my hair and helped me dress. I've been up since I was told he had died. Vince never said I had to do this. And maybe it was ratings driven, but I wanted to help the company 
and to take care of my husband throughout his rehab of his ankle. It did not upset me to be asked, as I know that Pillman would have wanted it and helped keep him and helped keep busy, although the week of his death is a complete blur to me now. It also feels like someone's helping her write this because she wouldn't have called him Pillman. Yeah. Or did she? Or did she call him Pillman as a nickname? Now that I think about it, maybe. Maybe she did. Some people do that. They they yeah. call they use last names. The girl who killed herself two years ago is Brian Seth's girlfriend, never his wife. They never did get along well, and I pretty much raised her child as she was neglectful of her. Her death was painful for us. However, it had nothing to do at all with Brian's death. Brian was cremated and sits in a wooden urn in my office desk. Steve Austin picked it out and paid for it as I was too distraught. He always wanted his ashes spread over the Grand Canyon, where he proposed to me. And as soon as I can get out there, I will. He has a little life insurance, but not much. He had recently tried to obtain more coverage, but was turned down because of his medical problems. The kids are doing okay, but they miss their father a lot, and I miss him more than words can say. Diamond Dallas Page has helped in conjunction with WF to set up a moral fund for the kids' education. The money sent will be used here, but the fund is set up through Star Bank in Florence, Kentucky. I did not come on here for that, though. I want to set the record straight. He wanted everyone to know the truth. He was never one to mince words. I want to thank everyone for all their support. And to the ones who wrote nasty things about my wonderful husband, it's got the, the symbols here, but she, this is what she means. Fuck you. Oops. Guess that was the spirit of the loose cannon coming through me. Love you all, Melanie. What an ending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's a tough situation to go through. You man. can't blame her for trying to protect, yeah. you know, her, her husband's legacy. That, no, absolutely not. There's there's nothing wrong with that. And, um, like, was did AOL have just, like, interviews then? or how? AOL how, and all kind of shit, man. People, yeah. I mean, it was a totally different world back then. AOL was a dominant force of the internet. Uh, you know? Yes, my my friend uh, in 2001 met a girl from California in a music chat room, and they've been married for like 18 years now. It's crazy. <laughs> hey, you never know. But, Absolutely. Um, but, I mean, but AOL, I mean, that was a huge thing, man. I mean, that's just the way a lot of people communicated with each other. AOL, Instant Messenger, and this and the other. I mean, WWE's original thing was WWE on AOL. You know, that was their original website. Yes, yes, because uh, WCW used uh, the other one. Um, Prodigy. Prodigy, that is, that Bob is correct. But they've been yes. pushing the website harder lately at this point. Yeah. Yeah. But, right. go, go ahead. I was just going to say, was there any more thoughts on Melanie Pillman before we moved on to more uh, lighter hearted stuff? Yeah, I mean, that that is a pretty heavy thing and like and at the end of the day like what does it matter exactly if he had cocaine in the system or not like and i, I know he, he died and and like the saddest part is that he had so many kids that were not that old and just that's just that's just awful and uh this the stuff with melanie obviously lots of you know she was a troubled woman and just like I couldn't imagine being in that position though, uh, trying to take care of all those children. Like I just, I have no idea how I would handle it. Absolutely, it's just a, it's a tough deal. Yes. Yep. All right. Monday Night Raw. 
Late, well, before that, the latest on Stone Cold Steve Austin is that he's working, but doing very little. For example, in a dark match on the Raw show on, in Hershey, Pennsylvania on November 3rd, he was eight-man tag and only tagged them once. He's going to wrestle Owen Hart Survivor Series and work mainly in tags and gimmick matches in November, but be very limited in what he actually does. The word he's been getting for specialists hasn't been positive, but it's be hard to give up, give it up when he's at, one is at the peak of their career and on top of the profession. It's going to be interesting to see how long on television they do these gimmicks where they tease he's going to wrestle, but never does actually wrestle. Well, shit. I mean, with his neck, neck it is, he definitely doesn't need a damn wrestle. No. I mean, how many times do we need to watch him wrestle gold dust? <laughs> have it on Raw like every other week. Yeah, so there's no use for it. So just keep doing your angles and get him over. And then when it comes time for the wrestle again, then it's time to wrestle. Yeah, and especially at that point, it really did not matter because, like, no one in the history of wrestling, and I don't think it'll happen ever again, that, like, could just come out, cut a promo, give a stunner, and, like, no one cared if it was a match or not. That's all That's all I wanted to see, and I'm sure, you know, there's many people like that. I mean, when you, I mean, when you look at all Stone, the most memorable moments of Stone Cold Steve Austin, Matches are way low on the list. It's always angles and whatever that, that people remember the most. Yes, it, uh, it's it's always uh, for me. It's always uh, Vince convulsing uh, from that stunner. I think about it all the time. The way he sold it. Yeah, I mean it's just the way, the way it is, you know. So, Bix, I mean, where where do you stand on this? What do you think about the Austin situation here? It's. Paul Orndorff, if he was getting the babyface push of a lifetime, it's like from his perspective, it's what do you do? And the answer was work a much safer style, but come back once you felt you could. Um, yeah. And and what he, what he ended up doing was was very interesting and, and different and entertaining. Yeah. Although he probably I mean, should have come up with a new finisher. It's too bad it was already so over that wasn't him dropping on his ass every night with a spinal issue. Yes, yes. I mean, that that's a good point there. Um, but it's like... And, well, both, both uh, Orndorff and Austin were doing that. Yeah. I mean, the last time Orton re- excuse me, Orndorff wrestled in 2000, he got a stinger from doing the pile driver. Uh, yeah. it's it, it before that happened though it still looked great well yeah i mean i mean except the, for the, the dead the, arm but yeah <laughs> yeah but the fact that i mean austin's doing the stunner landing going straight down on or still the pile driver going straight down same same basic positioning there's a different way of doing it i mean or i mean orndorff probably had it a little better though overall because you're more in control on the pile. Well, actually, no, wait, he did a dumping pile driver. What am I talking about? Yeah. So yeah, it's the same yeah. thing. Yeah, he, he was probably using a lot of muscles trying to just hold them up. But also uh, what I've learned from my years of backyard wrestling is uh, depending on who you're giving the stunner to and how they choose to sell it, they could land on you pretty hard as well. So that, that could be uh, – you know, kind of, kind of another thing that will be put pressure on that spine. Yeah. Because yeah. there were there were some guys that kind of like, uh, you know, kind of collapsed off of it. And so it was just kind of dead weight on his back. And then, you know, then there was the rock who did the backflip. So uh, lots of lots of different ways of taking it. Yeah. 
All right, Raw on 11-3, on November 3rd in Hershey. Did a fan of the audience angle with former Stampede wrestler performer Steve Blackman, a one-time roommate of Brian Pillman in Calgary in 1988, who for the past decade has been living in Pennsylvania teaching martial arts and will end up being the fourth member of Team USA replacing the injured Patriot with Goldust, Vader, and Mark Marrow against Jim Neidhart, David Westman, Phil LaFon, and Doug Furness at Survivor Series. Blackman's obviously a wrestler doing a martial arts gimmick the way he heals the heal soul form, who would appear to be wind up being that member, which we talked about. Why is Dave repeating himself? Fan of the audience angles are as old as carnival wrestling itself. In fact, the mark who isn't really a mark out of the audience was the one of the classic carnival wrestling cons. But in this day and age, a real fan violence becoming such a serious problem, encouraging and glorifying it in any company at this point in time, and to an extent all three major U.S. companies have, is irresponsible almost to mind-boggling levels. Okay, what Dave's talking about, just a week before was the whole thing of Halloween Havoc. Fix, you want to explain that one real quick, what happened there? <laughs> Which thing at Halloween Havoc? The fan! Oh, the fan climbing the cage? Yes. <laughs> yes, a fan tried to get in the cage. Age of the cage. And then the ECW, there was an ECW incident the weekend before Raw, where there was a fan that got involved at one of the house shows. Yeah. And, and now we got this angle coming in the same state <laughs> of Pennsylvania right after that happened. So... Uh, speaking of ECW, uh, I learned over the weekend uh, at BLP that Alec Price has seen Bone Thugs and Harmony in the same building uh, as the mass transit incident. So that's kind of a little <laughs> fun fact. Wow, how about that, huh? He was so excited to tell me, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, that's something you can brag about, I guess. But, that's cool. I mean, Steve Blackman hadn't been around for about eight years as a, as a wrestler and him just showing up out of nowhere. I mean, that was odd. Well, you know the story with it, right? Go ahead. Tell it. He had suffered malaria on a tour of what was it? South Africa or the Middle East maybe in 1990 and had just not felt he was at the point where he could return to wrestling until shortly before this. And he called, I think Owen and Owen got helped get him the job. See, I, I had, I mean, did you guys have any idea who the guy was when he debuted? I didn't. I don't think I did other than. Because he had only worked. He, Stampede was, was his only. Yeah. yeah, Stampede was only real territory. He worked with, with a, I wouldn't say a push. He did some work. Um, he had took, went to Japan. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, he was not a guy who was a known entity over here. Let's put that way. He was a guy who was slowly on the rise and then got malaria, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, he wouldn't have yeah. been on TV when he was in New Japan, would he? Um, I doubt it. As Steve R. Blackman? <laughs> well. What, what was his name? Steve, Steve R. R. Blackman. <laughs> That's a great wrestling name. Well, it's like, you know, well, Jerry Stubbs in all Japan was a chic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean... They have their their different ways of doing things, but uh, yeah, he was like, "Who the hell is this guy?" You know, and it's like, "Wow, he's pretty impressive," <laughs> and what he does. Like, Where did uh, they find him? Mo- modern day Jerry Stubbs is like the coolest dude in the world. 
Oh yeah, Jerry Stubbs dressed like a pimp. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he Love wears Jerry that. <laughs> yeah, he, his the way he dresses now is. Uh, yeah, guys, uh, if you guys have the Facebook, send him a friend request and uh, enjoy the ride. Yeah, he, I mean, he's came to my town many times. Just, I mean, just to come to the shows. You know, I mean, he's, he's he lives up the road, and, you know, and uh, retired now from police officer and stuff like that. So, yeah, really cool dude. Jay Stubbs. Also a legend and very underrated. Oh God. Yes. Yes. That guy, he's one of those guys where he came too soon. I mean, if he had been, if he had come around later on, he would, he could have been a bigger star in the business. Absolutely. Well, the way, the way Arn tells it is that, you know, Arn wanted him to go with him, but he, he liked where he was at. He liked the area he was in. He just did. He wanted to stay. I don't blame him. <laughs> you, how, how could how could you possibly blame him? That's beautiful area, um, and yeah, like he had he had a family, all that stuff. You you know, people people have priorities, people have different dreams, and you know he he lived his. Absolutely, I mean, you got to pay good money in that territory oh, for sure, for sure, and Always. you got to be home every night. Yeah, wrestlers, modern day wrestlers need to. Observe that tan, though, that golden tan. Oh yeah, man, absolutely. What a, what a looker! But don't observe his toupee. <laughs> yeah, that's not the that's not a looker. Uh, All right, raw raw is talk on November third in Hershey. Joseph five thousand six hundred sixty one fans paying a city record of one hundred six thousand nine hundred four dollars at the gate. The new deal is that Jim Ross and Jim Cornette will announce the first hour, and then they'll switch to Ross, Vince McMahon, and Jerry Lawler as a trio for hour number two. Well, good luck with that, because <laughs> Vince McMahon ain't announcing anymore. Um, there was no Cornette editorial, simply because the show was booked with so many interviews, but not as a sign that they're dropping the feature. Show opened with Austin's interview, and Ahmed Johnson came out to challenge him, and Austin accepted for later in the show. Mr. Aguila. I love how Dave says Aguila, then parentheses, Mr. Aguila. <laughs> they <laughs> being in the lightweight title tournament, hitting well, Super Loco, parentheses, Super Crazy, a.k.a. Hysteria. He's yes. never Mr. Aguila in WWF. He's always Aguila. Well, in 5 of 11. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but still. So Aguila funny. Was, <laughs> Aguila was really green when it came to transitions because he's so inexperienced, but he may be in a time, the high, best high flyer ever. Okay. His acrobatics were off the charts to the point people were blown away. Basically, some missed spots and some incredible spots, including a space flying tiger drop by Loco, moonsault from the top row to the floor by Aguila, and a topic on Hilo, the likes of which have never been seen before in, before in this country. It, I mean, for 1997 WF, I mean, it was a crazy match to see on a, on a WF show. This is not oh, what they did. I mean, th- like, that stuff, I had never seen anything like it. Like before that, it was it was pretty crazy. Like obviously, uh, at, at this point, WCW had had their lucha guys and stuff like this. But this, I thought this one match was was pretty crazy. And like, uh, go ahead. The difference between WCW and lucha guys, though, was you had to have Ray Hoovy and Sakosa and stuff like that. But they weren't. I guess the word I'm looking for is they weren't as reckless. As guys like Aguila and uh, Super Crazy was and doing some crazy damn dives and shit, you well, know they have more of an experienced, experienced guys or guys that were more smoother. 
Put that I can, way. Well, yes, but I would say one exception as far as recklessness, though. Uh, Super Kala. Yeah, he was. He he was not afraid to to do. Uh, oh no 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 no! Children no. and the like. Yeah, absolutely. And another underrated wrestler, just so so fun to match or so so fun to watch. Super Kala. Oh, absolutely. All right, the uh, other tournament matches here. Um, Devin Storm against Takabe Shinoku in Ottawa on November the 10th. The rest of the first round will be Eric Shelley against Jerry Lynn and Brian Christopher against Flash Flanagan. Obviously, the semis will be Taka versus Aguila and Christopher versus Lynn. And the final is just as obvious. Overall, the tournament is at, after all the waiting ends to be considered a disappointment with only one true international star. Expect them to sign Aguila and probably Pantera as well to a contract. Okay. Actual rest of the tournament. Taka Devon Storm does happen as scheduled. Christopher Flash Flanagan happens as scheduled. Jerry Lynn does not work the tournament and is replaced by Scott Taylor. Because Jerry Lynn's in ECW. Well, he was already in ECW. I know, but he... he I guess he decides to make the move to say that, you know, the if he went to... If he ended went to uh, stay in ECW, and he was in his tournament, goes in his tournament, it probably really changes his ECW career. Yeah. Um, the thing Eric ever... Eric Shelley. I, I don't even know that name at all. He well, I, that's what I was about to get to. He was basically a local indie job, you know, guy, job guy in uh, Ontario, who was the s- second generation wrestler, the son of Len Shelley. But I have no idea, and I've never understood why they put him in the tournament. He had never been on TV before, or anything. He's just a guy. Yeah, that, that, that was a weird choice. Yeah. I mean, of all the... Like, why not just use a Starling? Yep, that's what I was just going to say. Why not just use, why not use uh, Cheetah Master? <laughs> or something like that. No, but if you're using Devin Storm, and you've been using a, a, a Starling on TV anyway... I don't know. By the way, what kind what kind of working name is that when you've got such a great name for wrestling as your real name, like Mike Moraldo? <laughs> it sounds like you should be announced by Joe McHugh. Mike Moraldo. Timekeeper Mike Moraldo. <laughs> and I'm Joe McHugh. Doctor at ringside, Chris Ford. Doctor Joe Zaharian. Timekeeper at the bell, Mike Mitman. <laughs> and our referees for the evening, Dick Worley, Gilberto Roman, Dick Kroll. <laughs> and my name, my name is Jerky. <laughs> God, I have watched so many WF TVs from the 70s and early 80s. Oh, my Lord. I know it by heart. All right. Um, Goldust and Marlene did an interview next with an about face. As it was Goldust who said he didn't love Marlene anymore and was walking out of the marriage and found someone else. The original plan was for Goldust to be this sympathetic character. But Dave, yes, his film was such a part of the deal, they went in the other direction. After hyping this segment, as Marlene talking about her 30 days of Pillman, Pillman's name, after lots of heat during the week about using that name to draw ratings again, was never mentioned in the angle. The acting in this segment was just awful. We'll be the judge of that. Let's watch this, shall we? Also, yes. keep in mind that the text of the angle was I would say more than strongly implied that Pillman had been sexually assaulting her. 
when we get yes. to this step of it, now that plans have changed because the heel has died. Yeah. Boy, I'll tell you, I don't know if any two folks have been challenged anymore, both professionally and personally, in the last 60 days than Goldust and Marlena. But Okay, you guys probably can't tell watching this over Skype. I don't know what happened with them producing this segment. Watching it on the network, it looks like they had to dub this tape multiple times for some reason. It looks like a multi-generation copy compared to what the rest, what they had just cut to it from. It's weird. Yeah, I, I can't tell it. Yeah, it's it's like noticeably grainier. Like, it's clearly not from VHS or anything. It's clearly from the episode. But anyway. Uh, it seems to me, folks, that uh, things have never, ever looked brighter for you. I certainly oh. feel that way. It's it's um, It's very hard. Things have never looked brighter for you. Your ex-boyfriend just died tragically after all this. I think the hardest part was just being away from my two most important people, my daughter, whom I cherish, and my husband, who is my everything. And, um, you know, I think that Dustin and I have always had a great relationship and always been able to laugh and it's great to be able to laugh again and be home and, you know, have movies and pizza and just just be a family. You know, there's, there's nothing like family. How do you... Family's got to be our most important uh, priority in our lives. You know, th- this world throws so many ugly things at us, I feel like, and when they do, the first place I run is, you know, is, is home, is family. Um, have a bad day go straight to Dustin, babe, this happened, that happened. And he's always there, you know, to make things better. And Dakota with a little smile. And you're right, family is everything. So it sounds like you've never been happier. That's the way I feel. Well, uh, how is Dakota, by the way? She's, uh, I know she's Don't get me started, because you know I'll talk for a long time about that. Preschooler. She is a preschooler. She's going to preschool. And she tells me every day that she doesn't have fun there, but she has a very large smile when she comes away from preschool. So she's great. She's wonderful. I'm glad to have Mommy home. Well, I'm Mommy sure... went on a long vacation, so I, she's glad to have Mommy home. Is that how you've explained it to her? How else do you explain it to a child? I mean, you know, I just... Uh, I certainly don't want her emotions tweaked with or, or harmed in any way, and, and that was the only logical thing I could think of to tell her, you know? I can't do this no more, Terry. Everything out of your mouth is really sickening to me. This, this, this is really making me sick. What are you talking about? Doing an interview. What are you talking about? You know, for for so long I've I've lived for my father. I've lived for you. We had a interview with Jim Ross about my dad and I end up crying because of him for 25 years he's made my life a miserable wreck look at me please I understand that well the seven years I've known you I've been like a little puppy dog every time I do something wrong I don't do something to your liking you scorn me you discipline me I'm sick of it you won't let me be myself you don't even know who I am I don't think I mean who am I? You have no idea. You, you know nothing about my life. You want to think you do. You want to believe that you do. 
but you know nothing about me, and I'm sick and tired of it. I've lived for my dad, I've lived for you, and I'm tired of it. Very tired of it. Look at me, damn it. You know, do you think that I was at home for a month while you were away? God knows what you were doing. You think I was sitting at home playing Mr. Mom? Being a good little husband and a good little dad? That's bull****. You know, I was reaching. And I reached out and I found something. Something that did understand me. To let me express myself, to let me be who I want to be. Because you sure as hell hadn't done it. Look at me. Can you not look at me in the face, in my eyes, when I'm talking to you? Look at me. I'm shaking right now, okay? Do you understand what I'm talking about, Terry? Look at me. I wasn't at home sitting there for a month. I watched you occasionally, and I was wondering what the hell you could have been doing. But you know what? You know what? I found somebody. I found somebody. Somebody who knows me now, who understands my insides. Who wants to believe in me and let me do whatever the what hell I want to do? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? For a long, long time now, Terry, I haven't loved you. I do not love you. I'm sick and tired of it. Why? Why are you doing this here and now? Why? Because I'm not doing for you no more done everything I can do for you and I'm sick and tired of it. Look at me. Look. Right now. I'm starting my life over and I'm doing for me. And I'm doing and I'm going to be who I want to be when I want to be it. I'm not going to live for you or for my father anymore. It stops right now. So you can take this ring. You can take this marriage and you can take Marlena and you can shove it up your because I've had it up to here with you. Hell yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know what, though? And obviously this comes with the hindsight of knowing they're divorced two years later. Neither of them are good enough actors that I would think anything other than watching this now 25 years later, there are some real problems in that marriage that they're both pulling from here. I mean, did you see him shaking? Jim Ross should have poured him a drink. <laughs> yeah, D- Dave talks about the acting. I don't think Dustin was doing a whole lot of acting. No, <laughs> he absolutely. <laughs> He's very, you know, yeah, he was firm that, in his actions. Yeah, and and this is like deep to the point where he's like really showing those dusty genetics, and he has that sweet bandana on, and like. This I was really into this around that time because I've always loved Goldust. I've always loved Dustin Rhodes. Um, just yeah, like I thought this was the coolest thing. And I mean, come on, Emmys, you really dropped the ball on this one because that was some good acting to me. Uh, someone that knows things about movies, I've watched a lot of them in television shows. That should have been nominated for some awards because that was good. That was good television. Yeah, it was. It's weird it to talk about how awful the acting is, though, because, like... Terry was uh, kind of kind of not the best of actresses there. Well, when Dave... she's not as good when it seems like she's trying to act. 
there are a lot of moments yes. in there where it seems like she's pulling from something genuine, and it's much more uh, believable. Uh, yeah. Well, Dave, uh, Dave was comparing it to the adults that played children on Beverly Hills 90210, <laughs> which is a big favorite of his. And Mel Rose, yes. Yeah, Mel, Mel Rose. Oh, right. gosh. Oh, yeah, Dustin's great in that segment. So, yeah, fuck when you might say All right. Ahmed Johnson came up for his match with Austin, but instead Kane came out, destroyed Ahmed with two tombstones. Mankind then bit a steel rod on Kane's face, who sold like he was shot, but then settled on The Undertaker. Austin came out and laughed about Ahmed getting beat up, saying he'd given him the, a worse beating. But there's a way they got out of that. NOD came out, followed by the LOD, and in the brawl, Austin gave Kamba the stunner and left. And next, we get Shawn Michaels and Hunter Hearst Helmsley. And boy, are the fans uh, loving them some Shawn Michaels and Hershey, Pennsylvania. Because uh, they obviously think that Shawn travels down the Hershey Highway. Let's go to the clip. Fix. Gentlemen, the heartbreak kid, Shawn! It's Vince's last raw. Cut the music. Is this live show or pre-tape? This is live. Okay, so they did live two weeks ago. Ravishing Rick Root. No, live one week. Right now. Yeah, live two weeks in a row. You're right. You're right. You're right. It's for all you fat, out of shape, Pennsylvania piss ants. Wow. Button your lips and open your eyes while I give you the past, the present, and the future of professional wrestling, the Generation X. Why did I not get it? My ride is in good here they come on our first town play, along with Shawn Michaels and China. Who really wears the pants in the family is what I'm wondering. I don't know that it matters. Well, Sean looks like he's uh, having a fun time. This is the most zonked I've ever seen Sean look on TV without a close-up. <laughs> I think it looks cool. And he's got a cup in his hand, so <laughs> I don't think that's coffee. I think it is. I, I, Maybe it, Irish coffee. Well, <laughs> I don't think GHB makes coffee Irish. Oh, <laughs> man. What? We know he did GHB. I think he's even talked about it. Canada, a man who refused to be here tonight as a result of the comments and the actions of that man last week. We're talking about Brett the Hitman and Hart, got the best there is, the best there was, and perhaps... The best there ever will be, but all of that will come to a head this Sunday on pay-per-view when Shawn I'll Michaels say. and the Hitman get it on. And it wouldn't surprise me if you said earlier on, JR, that it was going to be the very last time they would ever be in a ring together. It's going to be very, very special. We'll sell out all our fans watching across Canada on TSN. We're looking forward to seeing you this Sunday in Montreal on pay-per-view. Shawn Michaels, the heartbreak kid. Hands off the merchandise. 
I'm just curious what it sounds like when you talk. What does that gesture mean? Shawn Michaels is Hunter Hemsley in for it, Toy. Hunter Hurst was hyphenated on the side. They are degenerates, and they are proud of being degenerates. And if Shawn Michaels does become the WWF champion, who knows what's going to happen. I know it's only a couple months since we've seen him be DX with that entrance music. That comes next week. Yep. We'll talk about that next week. Shawn Michaels, let's take you back to this past week on Raw. Bret Hart versus the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock, for the WWF Championship. Near the end of the matchup, <laughs> you came from out of nowhere, look at the Titantron, and interfered. Oh, ever the opportunist. Now, perhaps now, Weird, no one ever talks about him slapping his thigh. As you see, Ken Shamrock. <laughs> Shamrock could have become the WWF champion. Should be the champion right now. There's the Sean and Whoa! Plants he just kissed him on the mouth. Uh, here, yeah, keep it paused. This that right there shows that Shawn Michaels' liberal agenda has always <laughs> has always existed. That's why he fought with the Road Dog about uh, all the discrimination that goes on in these United States. And uh, yeah, I am just proud of old heartbreak for just showing <laughs> showing all those fans. Hey, I'm comfortable with myself, so you guys could chant away, but I'm I'm friends with all different kinds of people. <laughs> I wonder if you that was coming. Just don't get him around uh, most of the other click guys, though, or he'll start making fun of your uh, mental illness issues that you've confided in him about, apparently. Oh, no comment. What, do you not believe Uncle Dax about that? I just said no comment. There, there's okay. there's a... Uh... Uh, a nail polish story that one of them told recently that I called bullshit on, but hey. Okay. <laughs> Wait a minute. Did he just... And it's just China. He ain't kissing rude. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps sure. now, Shawn Michaels and Degeneration X, you may have... You've talked enough. Let me tell you something, Michael Cole. You know, Degeneration X has come out here. Oh, his voice sounds so different. I wonder why. <laughs> it changed so much in the next two years. Can't put my finger on what changes in those next two years. Well, we've seen that in wrestling today, too, don't we? With certain female wrestlers. A certain female wrestler. Definitely one, yes. Week after week, shut it. Oh, now they're chanting. Yeah. We've come out here week after week. We've given you an extremely hard time, and you've done one heck of a job. Most people would have taken off by now, and God knows we've run out our share of announcers. You've done a heck of a job. Put it here. That's right. You deserve all the... Oh. <laughs> him over they shoved him. He also shoved him really fucking hard, too. <laughs> yeah, he did. Uh, God damn, pal. Gotta make it look real. <laughs> and that just about does it. I shouldn't take that. No. Just... Okay, now, now that we've had 
had the comic relief. Cross chop right in his face. It's time for the wrestling world to hear it from the lips of the man. As everyone knows, the Heartbreak Kid is the showstopper, the main event, the icon of the World Wrestling Federation that can still go. But now, I had decided to take it up one level higher. From now on, Shawn Michaels will always be known as the wrestling No, 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 Shawn. Now, I'm your friend. I'm your best friend. And I know where you were going to go with that. Right. But you might be the icon. And you are the showstopper. But let me tell you what. (laughs) To be the god, you actually have to be as old as God. To be a god, you had to be there when Pontius Pilate made the turn. You had to be the main event in the Coliseum when the wall came down. And you had better be able to walk on water if you expect anybody to watch Age in the Cage. For the record, Hulk Hogan turned 43 uh, three months ago. Excuse me, 44. That, like, he seemed so much... He seemed so much older then. Well, and stay out of the sun. Yeah, and DX was making Michael Cole miss Bosnia. Uh, you know, but the, the, the thing is, it wasn't ju- it wasn't just it wasn't just his uh, appearance. You got to think about it. By this point in time, Hulk Hogan had been on top of the wrestling world for thirteen, fourteen years. You know, yeah. Shawn Michaels would retire thirteen years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like, and you also got to take into consideration that like in the eighties and and early 90s like we didn't know anyone's age if you would have asked me how old earthquake was when he was 26 i would have been like <laughs> that man is 50 years old for sure there was someone that was on howard stern i remember like in the early 2000s maybe late 90s and i remember robin quivers making a comment to the effect that she thought rick flair was at least 60 at the time yeah and, and flair had to have been his 40s at the time right uh, had he hit 50 no he was a- no, Flair would have been. What time, What year are we talking? Ooh, I'm gonna say somewhere in between, maybe like ninety nine and 02. He's about forty seven, forty eight. No, well, he's born February forty nine, so he would have been early. 50s. Oh, okay, at, so at, fifty. Yeah, I guess yeah. it's not that far off. So let's see. How old is AJ Styles? Stop you. He's forty. Can't judge it. No. Nope. Yeah. Don't you do it, Bix. We do not besmirch the king of the impact zone, the king of the some TNA asylum. Are, some, some people are lucky. They just don't age. AJ. <laughs> Brian Danielson's 41. Well, I mean, he can look older than what he is at times. Depends on how how his face looks. The Where, gay community. Remember that? <laughs> All that. Okay, so I have a question then before we move on. Being that allegedly Dave got word going into that AJ appearance that there were going to be more prank calls than usual. Oh, yeah. Did, uh, yeah, did you have anything to do with that? Who, me? Yes. No, I, I still, to this day, I love AJ Styles. I I mean, obviously... So Sinbad we... had nothing to do with that? 
Not that particular one. No, I I did a lot of the, I did a lot of those, but I I had nothing to do with AJ. I was clean on that one. All right. Well, let's go back to someone who probably does know how big Batista's dick is. Oh, here we go. Okay, Triple H, you've made your point. But one thing is for sure, at Survivor Series, I will show Bret Hart that I am indeed the man. But what I want to comment on right now is what everybody was talking about last week. Everybody is upset because last week, Shawn Michaels cracked a few people up. (laughs) So to speak. But that is nothing, nothing compared to what I'm going to do next week. Wait a minute. Next week, I've got two things I'm going to do. First, the Heartbreak Kid is going to come out here and walk naked. What? Oh, God, I forgot that was the thread if you didn't win the title, right? He's going to what? Wait a minute. This is going entirely too far. And then the next thing that I'm going to do is take the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock, and show him the world's most dangerous man. So Slaughter, why don't you get out here and make that match official? I've heard of some customs like that. Well, I can tell you the commissioner is watching this. Because of what... Come on, Chin, get out here! Of what Michael's doing <laughs> in order! The commissioner... No, Mr. Chin is from a different promotion. ...to drop his trial... Come on, any, Chin, man! ...anything at all that like big, that. big, huge Chin down here! Can I skip ahead? This isn't very good, and he's not even high enough to make it at least historically interesting. Well, I mean, we got to the part we needed to play. Okay. All right, so... Um... Uh, here, here's here's a little bit of advice uh, to all you uh, Twitter users. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter will retweet literally anything that you write about him. I don't think he oh, yeah. understands what exactly is happening. Uh, he recently retweeted me saying, uh, oh, the good old days of being an Iraqi sympathizer, which he retweeted. And then put a big Sergeant Slaughter smiley face on there. So, interesting guy. Uh, I want to book him to fight uh, Nick Gage in a uh, <laughs> boot, boot camp, camp match. match. Yeah. And I keep calling him a coward, and he, he said he'd do it. So, we'll see. <laughs> All right. So, basically, Dave uh, sum, sums up you know what we already said. The, the thing with the God wrestling God thing is Hogan said he was God. On Nitro the week before, the Triple H put whoever his mouth as a teaser, not letting him say it. To my God, me and old, blah, blah, blah. Slaughter came out and they put the helmets on with the windshield wipers on them. <laughs> so that's where this comes from. And uh, <laughs> hilarious. And uh, Slaughter ordered Michaels to wrestle Shamrock later in the show. In the latest in Tacutus, they showed a mad Mark Marrow going into Sable's dressing room when she didn't have her top on yet and dragging her out with her hands basically covering up her boobs. Then Mark Marrow beats Savia Vega with a low blow and a diamond cutter called the TKO in 232. Michael Cole tried to interview Sable, but Marrow drug her away mad while she was trying to wave to the fans. They says, I guess there's no such thing as a good relationship in this profession. You got that right. 
Big Van Vader beat the British Bulldog in a dog call match 335, dragging him around. Then Team Canada attacked Vader until Steve Blackman, the fan, made the save. Team Canada began stomping Blackman until Vader covered him up to protect him. Let's watch old Steve Blackman. Oh, yeah. Let's watch him make his uh, debut here. The lethal weapon. Yes. One of the hardest autographs to obtain. <laughs> Vader. Vader has won the match, yeah, but, he's, but he's getting the hell beat out of it. Yeah, not much of a victory celebration. And oh, look at Trent Kressler does burn. And Vader is, is just taking it from the... Canadian sympathizer Doug for Furnace. For Furnace. For Furnace. Get somebody. Who is this oh. guy? What is? trying to get that off from his neck. Vader. If yeah, Vader's doing it with a dog car on He has been pummeled, and whoever this man is, who came in, I guess, to help out Vader, is going to be escorted to the nearest jail. Escorted. As much as we encourage fan participation, ladies and gentlemen, from all of you, we don't encourage this. This man will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. He's spending a night in, uh, in Hershey's, uh, the Hershey Hotel, so to speak. Yeah, I suppose. And ladies and gentlemen, right here tonight, live, still to come. Yeah, we don't advocate oh, this. We're going to book him on the, on the show next week, on the pay-per-view next week. <laughs> Do they even identify him on this show? Uh, no. Not till the weekend TV? I guess so, yeah. Because that's it for him on Raw. Huh, Okay. I do like the touch of doing it somewhere that's actually local to him, though. Yeah. Like they did for Santino. Yeah, the thing is, though, is that, I mean, you know you know what the deal is when the heels are selling for this dude, which you saw them bumping and selling for him. How do you know they, they're selling? He, he knows martial arts, Chris. Yes. But, uh, you know, as Stu Hart would say, that big rhino got him. <laughs> yeah. Also, highlight one of the highlights of this was uh, Jerry Briscoe and breaking this up for some reason, dragging uh, Neidhart halfway across the ring by his trunks while from a standing position. <laughs> like no one, no one of the other people were being separated like that. He just decided to yank him. Yeah. All right. Uh, this is followed up by Billy Gunn and Jesse Jamis beating Jose Estrada Jr. and Jesus Castillo. And 522 of a bad match. And the main event saw Shamrock beat Michaels by DQ and Rude and Triple H interfered after the ref missed Michaels tapping out from ankle lock. So the idea is that Shamrock has made both Brett and Shaw tap out in successive weeks. 
as a way to elevate him to the top level. And uh, it was a good match, except Michaels was calling spots so loud you could actually pick them up on TV. <laughs> and there were two badly missed time spots, one of which Michaels was almost laughing about. After the match, Triple H gave Shamrock a pedigree on the briefcase. Didn't it turn out maybe that Sean was doing that as a rib because he was also telling Shamrock to call spots very loudly as a rib? <laughs> so he was trying to make him believe that he needed to call spots that loudly? <laughs> Wouldn't surprise yeah. me. I that's I'm pretty sure that is the story. That's the one that I've always heard. Yes. Um, uh, Torch has a pre-raw and after all pre-raw had Salvatore Sinceri that jobber Tom Brandy beat Brackus with his feet on the ropes and Flash Funk beat Tiger Ali Singh. And in shotgun matches, we had Taka Michinoku and Scott Taylor over Pantera and Super Loco. Mankind over the Sultan. An interview with the Jackal and the Truth Commission was interrupted by DOA, resulting in a brawl. And then Road Dogg and Henry Godwin beat Justin Hot Bradshaw and Thrasher. <laughs> was this Battle Bowl? With the use of a ring bell as a weapon. And a dark match finale, Undertaker, LOD, and Austin beat the NOD in an eight man tag match. Austin tagged in only once at the end of the pin Farouk after a stole cold stutter. Now, after Raw went to a commercial break, Michaels and Hunter had a shove match with Dave Hebner, a la Ric Flair and Tommy Young. Which was hilarious, and they had the crowd popping. The top four babyface pops in order came for Austin, Undertaker, LOD, and Shamrock. The most heel he went to Michaels, Hunter, Rocky, and Kane. I had to mute myself because I was laughing at the Battle Bowl comment you recently made. <laughs> and I realized how loud it was getting, so I had to mute myself. Uh, that There was, like, in this, this year and in 98... Uh, there was a lot of those just like, like a lot of just weird makeshift tag teams that would last like not very long at all. And then they would just go away and like, it was forgotten. And there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you watched 1988 NWA and you saw Oh no, <laughs> that goes without saying, uh, it's, um, do you, do you remember like, uh, this is like maybe 94 or 95 uh, with Bob Holly, which obviously his push was, you know, he never really had a push, but like that they would just have him in the ring with the job guys. Like he would just be in there with like Brian Costello or whatever, like already in the ring. And then they like, then they just changed their mind eventually and just started like using him again. But like, I always thought that was crazy that sometimes they would do that with wrestlers. Like, gimmick you know wrestlers that came in with vignettes that are just kind of jobbers and then they you know brought them back i guess well I, he's the only one i can think of that really like comes back from it you know in 1990 and they were about to say had a bunch juan garvin uh jim brunzel borsukov that would are the obvious ones off the top of my head that would team with coco be aware yeah well coco did it from his Started the company though, so that's a little different. I mean, the thing is, is that I mean, you look at like 1980 NWA, and you got like Ricky Morton and Nikita Koloff teaming up one week together and talk about how they're going to be a, a record tag team. Then you got Ricky Morton and Brad Armstrong teaming up. This is the Robert Gibson quits. They're going to be a regular tag team. Then you got like uh, Nikita teaming up with Dusty Williams one week. I mean, it's just yeah. It's them throwing stuff against the wall, see what'll stick. Basically. That was cool though, Nikita and Doctor Death. 
And he, I mean, I, you go back and watch even 81 Crockett. They do that a lot too, where, you know, Jake Roberts teams with four different people on, on four strip weeks of television. He's, he's with Jay Youngblood one week. He's with Steamboat one week. He's with Blackjack one week. And he's with Blackjack Jr. Wyndham one week. Yeah. It's just doing whatever, I guess. And remember, remember, uh, also there was that legendary, uh, Arn Anderson and Matt Bourne team before, uh, Matt Bourne ran into the law. Yeah. He fought the law and the law won. Well, yes, Chris, they did. I have a question. Was George Scott the booker during that 81 Crockett period you were talking about or 80, whichever it was? No, that's Oli. Okay. I asked because what does George Scott do when he takes over the book in WCW? He puts people most memorably Eddie Gilbert with a bunch of random tag team partners throughout the same taping. Oh, uh, George Scott at that time period had just been fired. And always booking both territories, always booking both George and Crockett. George, George Scott's working in, uh, for Leroy McGuirk. Okay. All right, the Patriots doctor recommended that he retire because his tricep tears appear to be a chronic problem. Current feeling is he'll only go surge and be out three to six months. That poor fucker. Gets the, you know, gets the biggest break of his life and then has all these injuries. Well, he knew something. Yeah, he knew. Yeah, he, he, he knew, knew man. Dr. Bill Hackett forge a letter clearing him. Like that. Yeah, I know, but still, I know, but still, you know. Yeah, he was just trying to get a, a payday off that broken body of his. He was like, uh, what's his name? They got drafted before Jordan. Sam Bowie. Yeah, he was. He Sam Bowie the shit out of the WWF. Wait. Yeah, but Sam would, would would you know when he was healthy? I mean, he would look great, and then he'd get hurt again. You With know, Sam yeah. Bowie's favorite tag team, the Sam Bowie Express. Stop it! Terrible. Stop! Terrible! Gosh, that's horrible! <laughs> wah, wah, wah. All right, on that note, let's go back to another unhealthy wrestler, the Torch. Add Yokozuna to the list of wrestlers who may never be able to return to the ring. He fed his physical with the New York State Athletic Commission before he scheduled to return last weekend at Nassau Coliseum. His obesity and irregular heartbeat caused him to fail the physical. Despite losing substantial weight a few times over the past year, he's always put it back on. It's said to be over 800 pounds now. New York State Athletic Commission physical is honored by nearly two dozen state, other state athletic commissions. So until he passes the physical, he is of limited use by the WF. Therefore, be that as may, because WF has given him so many chances to lose weight, his job is now in jeopardy. WF also doesn't want to take any chances given the Brian Pillman situation. Yeah, I, lo- I love Yoko, though, man. Well, everybody did. That's why they kept giving him chances to get better. And, you know, they kept, they wanted him to be successful. Well, and also there was probably some guilt because the, unha- the particularly unhealthy habits were introduced by wanting him to gain weight for the gimmick. Yeah. I mean, it killed him. It did. The thing was, though, is if you look at him in 93, that, that, that's where he needed to be. He just needed to stay there. He was perfectly fine at that weight. Yes, it was big, but he wasn't what he was going to get. Yes, when he won the 1993 Royal Rumble, when a known idiot uh, that doesn't know the rules of the Royal Rumble, Macho Man, tried to pin him. <laughs> And that wasn't the first time that he has uh, eliminated himself uh, from the Royal Rumble because he just doesn't understand the rules, I guess. Yeah. All right. Let's go to uh, Toronto, the Sky Dome, and Bret Hart's last match in WF in Canada. 
14,374 paid for 296,684 merchandise, 133,000. Max Meany beat the Army Midget. <laughs> Tiger Ali Singh beat Miguel of Los Barricos. D'Lo Brown Akama with Rocky beat the Headbangers. Ahmed Johnson with Glenn Kalka beat Rocky Maivia with the wrestling OD. Thanks for interference by Kalka, who DDT Rocky behind the rest back. What a result. Golda Savivia didn't take place, so Golda Gold doesn't have any medical clearance due to his injured wrist, but they brawl briefly anyway. LOD beat the Goblins after Henry accidentally hit Phineas with a slot bucket. Vader beat Farouk by DQ in a strap match in the brawl with NOD, LOD, Shamrock, Godwins, and Ahmed Johnson. Shamrock beat Hunter in a no-holds bar match as Hunter accidentally kneed China, and Shamrock rolled him up for a three count. And Steve Austin, Mankind, and Undertaker beat Bret Hart, Jim Neidhart, and the British Bulldog. The Hart Foundation got the biggest face pop of the night. The match ended with Kane to shut Undertaker by walking it into the aisle, at which point Brett, but Undertaker in the sharpshooter. Austin interfered, broke up the hole, then gave Anvil the stunner for the three count. Brett circled the ring and saluted the fans for leaving. So that's Brett's last match in Canada. You hear more about that on Between the Sheets Patreon show on uh, patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. Well, next to last. It is. Well, you're right. The next to last. The last you're right. You're right. Has it's planned finish. Yes. Listen, consumers, I do this. Me. I do the Patreon. And the amount of stuff that I've learned from these two knuckleheads that go so deep, mostly unnecessarily deep in a lot of subjects, but it's just like I have learned and somehow like retained so much of this information you guys have taught me by these Patreon shows. Uh, So, yeah, everyone sign up. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Five dollars. I mean, come on, what a bargain. Yeah, five. Yes. Come on. I mean, you can't even get a damn value meal anymore at McDonald's for five bucks. No, you can't. There's a way, though, I learned on TikTok. I'll tell you guys later. <laughs> Although you can't oh, get a month of Fight Plus for five bucks. Yes, you can. And you could see Black Label Pro, GCW, uh, AIW and just breaking as we're recording wrestling revolver. Well, how about that? The, the, the hit, more and more. The hits just keep on coming. So there you go. Yes. Um, since we're, this is yeah, we're about the only time we talk, we'll talk about Bret Hart on the show. Uh, Mikey, Who? any thoughts on, on any thoughts on Bret Hart? Um, he is a, like, like his nickname should be the silver medal. Like he's, you know, he's, <laughs> he's like a good, like mid card guy. Um, he, the uh, one time he got carried by this guy, Tom McGee and like, it was <laughs> it just like, you know, and then Brett, because Brett is like a very bitter guy. Okay. Uh, he got, he forced Tom McGee out of the company because Tom like kind of showed him up so much. And then there's this wrestler named Shawn Michaels. Uh, he is one of the greatest of all time, possibly the greatest of all time. And uh, Brett was very jealous of him. Uh, Bix, uh, can you turn your mic off when your cat's around? Uh, so, uh, yeah, Brett was the really only jealous. cat in this apartment is not here right now. Yes. Yes. The, the only like uh, 
Brett was very jealous of Sean's skills because uh, Sean could fly and he had a bunch of different matches. And then Brett and Ric Flair, they just had the same match over and over there, like a kiss concert. <laughs> and they, uh, they were both jealous of Sean, who is, you know, just a wrestling king. And wrestling God. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah, so we could say it. Sure. He's a wrestling God. And he just, you know, he changed the face of wrestling. Uh, and Brett, um, you know, Brett tried to bring us Brockus. Brockus was at that, that dinner that one time, uh, and in that Bret Hart special. And then, uh, who, who uh, else? You're he, losing the thread of whatever the hell you're trying. Also, also, uh, he brought us like Ken Shamrock who like just for what he could have been was just, boy, did he take a shit. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, I mean, re- really, like, if you guys really break this down, okay, Ken Shamrock should have been the fucking biggest thing in the world, okay? Like, at that time. He was a legit fighter, and he looked like that. He couldn't talk, but, like, you know, give him a mouthpiece and have him be a killer. But everything that they... Well, just... they eventually did that after a year and a half. Well, yeah, see, what happened was... uh he eventually got better because he decided to cross the line. And when that happened, he got a little bit more interesting. Uh-huh. But, yeah, but, but, uh, fuck Bret Hart. That's it. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. I just, I just love your hate saying, mail to Mikey Blant. <laughs> yeah. yeah but he, on Twitter. he also famously said, and you guys could look this up, that triple H was not in the top, 1,000 wrestlers of all time. Eh, whatever. <laughs> he has his reasons. <laughs> I, I, I just love you saying you don't like Bret Hart because he always had the same match, and yet you put the butter-turning guy on every show. Are, are, are you... <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll talk later, Dave. <laughs> oh, are you, you going to make it that I get another angry DM from Dan the Dad? Uh, <laughs> Dan is a quality guy. He is a, a friend I, I of mine. I don't fault the hustle. <laughs> yes, Levi is great. Levi is a great wrestler. He's a he's he. You know, he's challenging for the BLP heavyweight championship in just this weekend, actually, uh, at Slamilton from oh. beautiful Crown Point, Indiana. Well, <laughs> here's to hoping that he doesn't open the match with the bunner turning spot then. <sighs> <laughs> Oh, man. I'm Moving on. There. All right. Go uh, Lafon was arrested on November 5th due to, after a domestic dispute in Calgary. It was a really strange situation. It's basically someone came to his house looking for a fight over a woman. Both unknown to the other were carrying a gun. Lafon pulled his first and had the guy on the ground with the gun in his mouth crying for mercy. At that point, the woman, who didn't know what was going on, came over and stabbed the other party. Lafon dropped his gun to stop the woman from slashing the guy's throat and wound up fighting the guy. It was pretty one-sided. In the melee, a gun went off. Neighbors called police, and they arrived with SWAT helmets and dogs. Lafon was arrested for assault with intent to do bodily harm, and the girl was arrested for firing a firearm within city limits. He has a court date of December 22nd. That's a wild and wacky story, isn't it? <laughs> I am so confused by this. I don't even know if I want to try to diagram it out. I think we should just move on. 
Hey, that girl was, was was trying to kill that motherfucker. I'm trying to slash his throat. <laughs> Phil was just, Phil just had his gun in his mouth. <laughs> wow. All right. Um, I, I don't. I don't even have a comment for that one. Go ahead. Yes. All right. Goldust. This all. Uh, the rest of the WF section it comes from Pro Wrestling Torch. Goldust's new lover. Is it really uh-huh. turn to be turn to be Sable? What was that again that Mark Merrill said his reason for leaving WCW was? He didn't want his daughter to see him on TV with another woman? Eh, wait a few more months. Yeah. That, but, uh, no, this ends up being Luna. Yeah, but it, it kind of makes you wonder how, how that would have went. If it's Goldust and Sa- if it's Dustin and Sable together... That doesn't but make Dustin, any sense with the angles they've been shooting, though, with Merrill. But Dustin not... Dustin not not being the artist formerly known as Goldust, if he just becomes Dustin yeah. Rhodes. Yes. The man who he wanted to be. Or Dustin Runnels, or however they do it, right? Yeah, the man the man who he wanted to be, not who Terry wanted him to be. And who better to go with than one who Terry had kind of been a rival of. That makes sense. The one who but, Terry hit on when she did not want her to. In yes. I love Luna, man. But it worked out in its own way. Absolutely. It's crazy ass shit. And that gold dust Luna relationship. Acknowledging internally that WCW is doing Bill Goldberg what they should be have, should have been doing with Ken Shamrock. It's become a point of inspiration to them now to get Shamrock over as a main eventer. Shamrock trained closely with Brett and is expected to be upset with his departure. In part because when he signed WF, he was promised a win over Brett. Oops. <laughs> That don't happen. Yeah. He had just a skill level to do it, too. Yeah. And, you know, with Goldberg, people forget this. Initially, they're kind of positioning him, not outright saying it, as a shooter type. With a lot of the moves he's doing and stuff, and the gloves and everything. Yeah, like, for sure. Um, that, just kind of the way he carried himself, too, and the way... I mean... When when did when do you think they kind of went away from that? I think when Brett and Sean became the play. Anything else? You know, I mean, if you think about it, they probably should have won Brett Shamrock a Survivor Series as the match. I mean, why not say Brett and Sean until Mania? Because look what happened the last time they did that. Oh yeah, there's that. Oh, this next item here is wonderful. Rick Rude is happy with his role in WF as long as he continues to receive his paychecks. He doesn't plan to add to any political problems. Well, <laughs> oh, dear, just you wait. That'll change. More oh, on that man. next week on Between the Sheets. Oh, top my US, goodness. Yeah, top USA Network executives happened to scream wrong when Michael's mooning the camera last week. They're said to be appalled at the overall content, yet they didn't tone down the content the next week. Hmm. They weren't appalled by those ratings, you know. They're getting exactly, exactly. There's what else was on USA at the time that was that was getting any nothing. There was nothing. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. Is this is this pre Monk? Oh. Yeah. Oh God, yes. Yeah. When was Monk? In the, two, the early two thousands. Okay. People from Rupert Murdoch's Fox Network have been acquired about wrestling, not necessarily with though. Yeah either regarding starting their own group, investing in one, or carrying one on their network. They've taken notice lately of the Monday ratings. Oh, Rupert Murdoch's Fox. I was confused there. 
Yeah, they they definitely didn't report that same news uh, every year uh, from what the. I would like, say what ninety five to yeah. three. Yeah, I mean, it, just every year we, we'd get a little bit of it, and like every wrestler just believed, like, well, he's rich, so he for sure wants us, and every single promotion, everything went and talked to them, and no one ever made it happen. So I guess he didn't want it that much, huh? This is like every year for like five years. Yes. You know? All right, uh, in the close, the reason why WF would consider selling stock publicly for a minor percentage of their company is not necessarily a sign of them being in financial trouble. In fact, the attitude in WF is that the wrestling landscape has more potential for profit than it has in years. This year will be much more profitable than any the past eight years. But with competition from a media conglomerate like Time Warner, they need more funds to be able to take advantage of profitable opportunities like Time Warner can so easily do with their deep pockets. Considering selling stock publicly for a minority percentage of the company. Huh. Yeah. Two years out, too. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, Wade's got some sourcing on this. We noticed this on the Patreon shows, too. He's got some sourcing on this that Dave clearly does not, but it seems to be at least somewhat on the ball. Well, he's a soothsayer. That old Keller. They're like, oh, man, Wade's being too obvious. Let's feed him some fake Rick Rude news. <laughs> well, Rick Rude may have been happy at the time. And then he oh, got I'm unhappy. Not saying it's false. Yeah, quick. I'm saying that it's yeah, it changes. Yeah, in one week. Yeah, because like I, yeah, I I don't know how all that went down, and I'm I'm sure like a large sum of money changed hands uh, to make him go there as well. Uh, but like, just how abrupt it was was just so, me being you know 14 years old at the time it blew my fucking mind i was like oh my gosh this is the crazy and why like i don't know why i even cared he didn't wrestle or anything but I, it was just crazy that 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 happened and like and it was it, it got the reaction out of me that they wanted i i was the target audience and there you go it worked all right let's go international now me and bix are here solo as mikey had to go uh do some parenting. He'll be back later on. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's go international. Starting the land of the rising sun, all Japan pro wrestling. They're not all tour or anything, but there continues to be a lot of rumors of a Tokyo Dome show next year. Headline by Mitsuharu Masao against Toshi Kawada to commemorate the 45th anniversary of the Dippon TV network. Oh, was that the occasion? That's what Dave says here, yes. Now I'm curious if Wikipedia or anything says when they launched. Exactly. Uh, October 45, 1952. 45 years. Okay, so the anniversary would have just passed, though, at the time of this. New doesn't show. matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it, it's like the year. It's in the, the calendar 365 days year. Yes. That's how they work in Japan. They don't necessarily do it by anniversary dates. Uh, mm. But that's what happens. So there you go. Yeah. Now speaking of dome shows, New Japan, who had run multiple dome shows, five in fact, and this is the fifth one, the final dome show in 1997, went up on a flat note with an uneventful and large disappointing show on November 2nd, the Fukuoka Dome. 
The crowd was announced at 48,000, although those there live estimate the real figure is closer to 40,000, and the largest indoor stadium in Japan with a capacity of just under 70,000, which would be the smallest dome show crowd ever for the promotion. Fukuoka has always been a tough sell, even when the promotion was at its peak and the lineups were attractive. Which is why there had to be always debates after the show in the past about trying it next year. In fact, there was no show at the building in 1996 or doing annual events from its opening in 93 through 95. Japan had been the most successful promotion of the world, but in fact, in the history of the industry over the past few years, when it came to successfully running stadium shows, this car was a reality check of what media noticed over the past year about the long-term future of the company. Japan has remained successful on big shows this year, particularly packing its January Tokyo Dome and subsequent debut shows this year at both the Osaka and Nagoya Domes. After a second Tokyo Dome was so a disappointment, although that was easy to explain because the show was only booked after the agreement the company had with, made with Ken Shamrock and his mentor Shin Hashimoto would have been an easy draw. When Shamrock signed the OEF, leaving Japan with a dome booked, no man had meant to fill it. The replacement, Naoya Ogawa, didn't have the box office juice to wrestling fans, even though he was a well-known mainstream name from his days as a national hero from judo. Funny how times change. In recent months, New Japan has done big business with the countdown to the end of the career of one of the country's all-time wrestling legends, Ricky Choshu. However, that countdown has one big show left, and after that, there doesn't appear to be anything on the horizon for New Japan in 1998, as a lesson of this card showed. Okay. Um, just check to make sure. This is the only Fukuoka Dome card they ever ran that was not wrestling Dontaku. Yeah. Because they ran Osaka Dome debut during Golden Week instead. But that was not billed as wrestling Dontaku either. It was Strong Style Evolution. Yeah. So basically what the deal is, is, is the problem is New Japan's heavyweight scene. You could tell that while they had young talent, they were not guys that were being ready for becoming main, main event stars. New Japan, the most vibrant scene they have is the junior heavyweight division at this time. I mean, it's it's about to you know bust. I mean, it's, it's ninety seven is an amazing year for the juniors, and those guys are going to be the focal point of the shows as far as work work rate. But they're not the main events, you know. So we're getting that time here where there's no, there 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 is no Anoki, Fujinami, Choshu, or even Muto Chono Hashimoto on the horizon. No, so really, they're about happened? to suffer. What happens is that they badly needed Tenru when he came in as a regular. And they're not the only ones because, I mean, they, all Japan's in that same boat. Because yeah. Kawada, Masawa, Kabashi, I mean, Akayama is the younger guy. But you had the big four, the four pillars. And we're in 1997 going 1998. I mean, they're not what they once were physically. Yeah, I mean, Akiyama is pretty much at their level now, so there is that. But even th but, but we saw what happened with him, though, when he got the, the big push and when the GAC champion, you know? Yeah. It, it, it wasn't big box office. So, I don't know. It's just the times were changing as well. All right, from a Japanese fan standpoint, this card only had one ticket selling match. Choshu versus Kensuke Sasaki, Teacher versus People. Even though it would be their last ever meeting... Sasaki was the current IWGB weight champion after being given one of the biggest pushes in company history. That doesn't appear to have totally worked. And that Sasaki has never beaten Choshu in a singles match. So to put the result of the matches in question, the match was made non-title. Figuring that usually when the champions in high-profile non-title matches use an angle for him to lose to build up a title match. From a show standpoint, reports are as large as a series of uneventful so-so matches with the exception of one match you figure would be great. 
Shinjiro Tani's retaining of the J crown against Wild Pegasus Chris Benoit. There were no real angles coming out of the show other than the continuing build for Don Fry versus Naomi Ogawa, which is like it for January 4th at the Tokyo Dome. And a post-match angle at the party where legendary Holly Karate champion Gerard Gordeaux, who has done jobs and work matches in the past to the likes of Akira Maeda and Antonio Noki, and was finalist to the very first UFC losing to Hoist Gracie, challenging Senior Hashimoto to a match at the Dome. We don't mean gay figures at the press time, but doing the merchandise sales, particularly Choshi merchandise, which all sold out, were very high. That the company printed 8,000 programs for the event, which sold out in the record time for a total of $135,000. Pretty good. All right, let's go down to the show here. Kizuke, excuse me, Kazuki Fujita and Takashi Azuka beat Kendo Kashin and El Samurai in 846. Azuka and Samurai at their Blizzard Suplex said to have been an average match. Akira Nagami and King Kimura beat Hiro Saito and Tetsuoshi Goto in the ICA Shikan versus NWO match in 11-19 when Nagami pinned Saito at their German suplex. Also said to have been average. Jushin and Liger and Tiger King, Satoru Sayama, beat Koji Kanemoto and Tatsito Takeiwa in 14-18 when Liger pinned Takeiwa at their Super Fisherman's Buster. This match had a story behind it being the first time Liger and Sayama, who are the two most noteworthy junior heavyweight wrestlers in history of Japan, and arguably the history of pro wrestling itself, team up for the first time. This has been a disappointment as Sayama blew up from being too heavy and didn't look good. Sayama worked at all these dome shows, basically in 97. And yeah, he gained weight. That's for sure. <laughs> but, I mean, he did okay in the other matches, I thought. And I thought he was fine in this one. He acquitted himself much better than he had during his previous New Japan appearances. In this and it was cool as shit seeing him with Sayama. I mean, with, with Liger. Another new fan in the NWO match, Mishoshi Ohara and Hiroshi Tenzan and Scott Norton, six-man, beat Tadao Yasuda, Satoshi Kojima, and Manama Nakanishi in 12-26. When Norton pinned Yasuda after a powerbomb, Norton suffered a legit leg injury during the match, but after the show appeared to be okay. Then Shinjiro Tani retained the J-Crown, beating Wild Pegasus in 1928 with a springboard spin kick on a dragon suplex with the pin. This has been an excellent match. These two have had singles matches in the past, but the high-flying junior heavyweight style doesn't play well in the big stadium as it does in a smaller building. Is this <sighs> the last time Chris Benoit ever actually wrestles as a junior heavyweight? Yes, I think so. But I, but there was Tokyo Dome junior matches that got over great, so I don't know. Not a ton in this era, though. So That's why I said some. I, I mean, it happened. It's not until the recent era where there was any consistency to junior matches getting over in the Dome. But in general, the undercard is much... Well, A, it's less of an undercard undercard at the Dome these days. And also, still, though, the people who are going are more into everyone, even if it's still a more casual crowd than most shows. Yeah. Yeah, as I check real quick with Benoit... So, no, he comes back... He has a tour in 99 that I completely I totally forgot, forgot about, about that. Yeah, that's why I forgot about that. And this... This is his first tour since September 96. Oh. Or no, excuse me, he did March. Sorry, I scrolled past that somehow. So, hmm. it is it is weird seeing him still booked as a junior at this point, though. When in WCW, they've gone out of their way not to book him as a cruiserweight. Hmm. And then finally, he becomes a heavyweight in January 2000 at the Dome Show with the Tenzon match. And he's gone from WCW a few weeks later. Yeah. All right. Uh, Don Fry beat Kazuo Yamazaki in 1221 with a choke sleeper. Fry again played heel, this time doing the Mike Tyson biting Yamazaki's ear, and Yamazaki selling it like a Vander Holyfield for the big heel spot. Hilarious. It's amazing how much heat a minor heel actually can get when it's put in the framework of a believable-looking contest. 
Fry played on that angle too. Fry gave Yamazaki a lot of offense, and Fry had to escape the ropes to several times on submissions. Well, it's not. He would eventually, but Dave doesn't understand what the gimmick is and what the heat with the gimmick is. It's not that it's in the context of a believable-looking contest. It's that the shooter, quote-unquote, has the gall to cheat when he, quote-unquote, doesn't have to. Yeah, there's that. And, it's, and, and you know, the Mike Tyson thing was a huge deal worldwide, especially Japan, because Mike's always big in Japan. Yeah. So playing off of that, you know, as well, absolutely. So yes. Mike Tyson, who will be back on AEW TV before the show goes up. Yeah, I guess. All right, the other guy would be Erwin Vreeker, a kickboxer from Holland in 319 with an arm bar submission in a nothing match. Just giving a guy a win. Kensuke over Choshu using Choshu's own favorite lair in 1134. This match had a lot of motion to it with Saki crying on his way to the ring. Why wasn't this the main event of the show? I mean, we'll talk about what the main event was and how that came. This should have been the fucking main event. Yes. This, this didn't make no sense 25 years ago. It makes no sense now. Because let's, I mean, let's run down the next two matches. Shinyashimoto over Hubert Numerick, a six foot seven kickboxer, this time with something of a real reputation from Holland with both NHB and K1 experience in round style match with a face lock submission and 104 the second round. And the main event. Instead of being an anticlimactic, as IWGB Tag Champions Keiji Muno Masiro Chono beat Tatsumi Fujinami and Tanuka Nichiro in 21-33 when Chono made Fujinami submit to the SDF. Norton, Tenzan, Saito, Goto Nohara, all the ringside, and Goto Nohara pair are now officially NWO members. Why was it Choshu and Kensuke the main event of this show? You know what it feels like to me? What? This is them acknowledging that they feel like Tenru is the biggest draw they have access to at this moment. I mean, I get it, Mudo and Chono versus Fujinami Tenru, but you're building up to, you know, this Choshu retirement, and it's Kensuke against Choshu, and Kensuke beating him for the first time. Why not? No, you know what? No, I'll tell you what this is, Bex. It's NWO Japan. Hmm. NWO yeah, Japan's a bigger is. deal than, than Fujinami and Tenru. So it's 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 really. the dynamic of NWO Japan versus a star as big as Tenru. Yeah. Because NWO Japan is at its peak as a pop culture thing at this point, pretty much, right? Or a little after this. Yes. The most ambitious attempt in recent wrestling history to create something close to a unified champion, the J-Crown, has not fallen by the wayside. When the announcement in New Japan Pro Wrestling on November 5th that they were going to return six of the seven J-Crown title belts held by Shinjiro Otani and retain only the company's traditional IWGP Junior Heavyweight title belt. The decision was eventually going to happen at some point, and as when all the belts were unified at the G1 Climax Tournament in August 1996, the promise was made that eventually New Japan would return the belts to the original promotions. Thus far, only one of the original eight belts was returned was the War International Junior Heavyweight title belt, which used on the Liger, which he held the J-Crown return early this year to war, losing it to Yu Joshiroka on a war show. The timing of it came largely due to the World Wrestling Federation publicizing in Japan that the WF Light Heavyweight title, which was one of the seven belts, was not recognized by the promotion. This is creating their own title with the same name. The WF wanting both its light heavyweight and junior heavyweight titles, which is a junior heavyweight title, not part of J-Crown, and one that has been recognized in Japan for a decade, belt back, New Japan decided to return the titles. That is such a great touch that apparently they wanted the old back that has been dormant since 1986, along with this. <laughs> yes. UWH World Junior Lightweight title, Great Britain Junior Lightweight title, belts were returned Mitch Knuckle Pro, which had purchased those belts for its own company usage. 
WBA junior lightweight titles turned to its owner, Grant Hamada. NWA junior heavyweight titles turned to Russell Dream Factory promotion. NWA welterweight titles given to Negro Casas, who was in Japan for the last New Japan tour and held that title before losing it during the J Crown tournament. Amazing. Yeah. Um. All right. So if we look at this too, though, I mean, like, a lot of these belts were barely being used anyway. Yeah. I mean, this was not a hugely prestigious collection of titles. Yeah. Um. One of the two, which which was the NWA belt, the middle junior, junior the welterweight, and no, the, but, uh, uh, which was the one that was not really being used up to this, the Motegi one, I guess. Yeah. Or was it? Or was it the Negro Casas belt was the one that was barely being used? No, the welterweight was being used in Mexico. Okay, and then okay, so the UWA thing I find fascinating too because so the one here is the World Junior Light Heavyweight Championship. Which they kind of, because like with the NWA belts, the UWA belts all look the same. It felt like they kind of pretended was the same as the other UWA title they'd been using earlier in the year. But it wasn't, because that one was what? UWA, was that junior heavyweight? Or no, you get, no, remember, you got junior heavyweight and, jun- and junior light heavyweight. But is, is the one that had been defended in New Japan for the previous couple years... The the one that the one that Norio Hanaga won from Santo was that what was that was that junior heavyweight because this is not that uh, uh, I don't remember okay I have no I don't remember it, it, all these belts confuse me I'm sorry so yeah yeah well I mean, that's what I was getting at so I don't know I don't know I don't know I mean what what do you make of this like well a I want I'm curious why war wanted their back belt they back just part. tired of it tired they just wanted to go back to the IWGP junior title that's it I I get it no but why did why did war ask back first because I had forgotten that was the order I thought the WWF thing happened first I don't know okay it was the no, UWA welterweight title which one was a part of the J crown right that was the one that had been in New Japan Defending New Japan the previous couple of years, but then was not part of the Japan. Right? Yeah. So I, I don't know. It's hard for me to explain. It's I don't all, know. That's my point. This is all very confusing. Yes. All right. Well, let's go to the indie scum now. Battle Arts. Frank Walken Hall and her are fifth from 1,500 fans. We have Okoto Hadaka of Mamoru Okamoto. Carl Greco over Takeshi Ono. Yuki Shikawa of Mohamed Yone. Wataru Sakata beat Kasumi Yasuda in a rings rules match. Minoru Tanaka retained the UWA World Middleweight title over Masao Orihara. And Alexander Oska over Daisuke Akeda in your main event. Almost, almost 20 minutes, too. Looks like a fun show. And always fun when you start to see non-shoot-style guys in earlier battle arts, too. Because early on, it's more of a just a basic, you know, Ishikawa-centric shoot-style promotion. Things start to kind of change i would say when like 98 mm-hmm. yeah all right big japan pro wrestling november 4th is suruga joe castle gym in front of 1530 fans shimmy masazaki over yuchi Taniguchi. neftali won a three-way dance over ayakoyama and miho kawasaki masayoshi motegi and makoto saido of minoru fujita and genosuke kobayashi takashi shikawa over shadow number seven that's uh, Rocky Santana. Ishiro Tajiri over Zumbido. Kendo Nagasaki and Kishin Kawabata over Ryuji Yamakawa and Tomoki Homa. 
And a barbed wire board, street fight deathmatch, great pogo, and Shadow WX over Shoji Nakamaki and Takashi Okado. Hmm. So should need to cancel all plans for big shows in December that would include WF and ECW talent. And won't be working with either group for anything in the future at this point. WF is attempting to open up talent relations with all Japan. Onita wants to build the whole promotion around FMW versus Zen. So the original NWO Life Funk match of wrestling angle has been dropped. And the only foreigner they're keeping is the Gladiator Mike Awesome. So it appears they won't be using Terry Funk or the Headhunters any longer. Oh, so this is FMW, technically. Yeah. So he's running FMW again at this point? In a way. Oh, great. Does that surprise you? Not really. Michinoku Pro Wrestling, November 2nd in Nakayama Town Gym in front of 593 fans. Well, it's a Wilkins Jr. who, yes, is Wee Willie Wilkins. We got that uh, confirmed. Yes, because so, uh, I was wrong. Pete uh, F. found some of his WWF squash matches from that era, and it's clearly the same guy as Wee Willie Wilkins worked there. He's introduces Wellington Wilkins. But he was not the Mongol in Mid-South. So I was, I mean, so there is that. So the Mongol in Mid-South is a different person. But there you go. Uh, Wellington Wilkins Jr. beat Masato Yokosushi. Talking about his four over the Magic Man. He's a Magic Man. Jinshi Shinzaki over near Hoshikawa. Then they got the Tag Leagues, where you got Pedro Russo and Yoni Genjin (laughs) over Superboy and Dick Togo by his qualification. And Men's Tail and Shoichi Vanaki over Great Sasuke and Super Dolphin. So. Oh, you had to do the Russian dog and caveman team. Naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then we had Samurai Project. Yes! November the 2nd at Aiko Ishida Ekame Nissan Technical Center Bus Terminal for 2,000 fans. Okay. Shiro Nakano over Kyoko Ichiki. Shigeo Okamura over Exciting Yoshida. Yes! The Mass Falcon over Mr. Nobukikasawa. Apollo Shigawara over Phantom Funakoshi. Yes. And then Mr. Harvest, Ryuma Go, and Yuji Fujiwara, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, excuse me, over Asian Cougar, Imagine, and the Great Sensei. <laughs> Imagine. Now, by the way, would I be correct in assuming that uh, Mistel Harvest is a bad transliteration? This is Mr. Harvest. I guess. Uh... I haven't felt this way since someone explained to me that Gleet is not actually Gleet. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> oh, man. Kingdom ran Cork and Hall on November 3rd and front, drawn a cell at 2160. The crowd was drawn largely with the idea that Novika Takata might make an appearance. He wasn't scheduled to wrestle. It'd be his first public appearance since the Hoist Gracie match. Hickson. Hickson, excuse me, Hickson Gracie. I just said Hoist earlier, so don't mind. As it turned out, he was there, but stayed backstage. Hiramitsu Kanahara upset Yoji Anjo in the main event when the arm breaker finished in A47. Felix Lee Mitchell, who was 0-2 in USC with losses to Mark Hall and Ken Shamrock, made his pro wrestling debut, losing on another card to Masahita Kakihara in 3:26. Let's go over the results. Shunsuke Matsui, Daijiro, over Minoru Toyonaga. Kenichi Yamamoto over Masaru Hara. Kakihara over Felix Mitchell. Felix the cat. Yoshiro Takayama over Yue Sano. Yuki Sano. Kazushi Sakuraba over Greg Douglas. Who? Uh, yeah. And then Hiromitsu Kanahara over Yoji Anjo. Your main event. Greg Douglas? Yeah. It's probably, it's probably some American fighter or whatever. I don't know. 
It's pro- I mean, it could also just be some random guy they recruit into the dojo, like some of the UWFI foreigners, too. Maybe. I don't know. Alright, now let's go to Joshi. Zenjo, Ultraman Women. November 8th at Nakaoka City Gym. We have Mio Wakazawa over Miyuki Fuji. Naina Takahashi over Sachi Nishibori. Kimiko Maikawa over Emi Murakawa. Takaka Inoue over Nane Takahashi. And Utops, Yumiko Hota and Karo Ito over Manami Toyota and Momo Nakanishi. Oh. I did forget that Emi Sakura had a run, actually had a run here, though, in All Japan Women. So which is her real yeah. name, Motokawa or Sakura? Um, I thought it was Motokawa. That's what I figured, but let me see if it actually says anywhere on Wikipedia. No, 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 no. Yeah, it is, it yeah, is Motokawa. It, yeah. yeah, it's Motokawa. All right, uh, back to uh, Joshi here. Gaia, X-City Hamamatsu on November 8th from 1100. Meiko Sotomura over Hiromi Kato. Rina Ishii over Maki Namao. Takura Rota over Maiko Matsumoto. Shigeru Sato and Shikai Nagashima over Shigusa Nagaya on Meiko Sotomura. Toshi Yamatsu over Sunoko Kato. And Toshio Yamana and Rina Ishii over Karu, all caps, and Sakura Hiroda. JWP, a soccer professional gym. I wonder how they did there. Uh, on November 7th, Sari Osumi over Ayakuyama. Kyuri Suzuki over Kanaka Matoya. Devon Masami over Kaman Bolshoi. Tomoko Miyaguchi and Kyoko Inoue over Tomoko Kazumi and Hikari Fukuoka. And Riko Mano Mayumi Ozaki over Kanaka Matoya and Danamai Kansai. And we go to LLPW, which was a show in Tokyo. That's all it says. For 253 fans, Mijigo Nagashima over Keiko Ono. Mizuki Endo over Mikiko Furigami. Nario Tateno over Miho Watabe. Shinobu Kandori and Yashikura and I over Halicito and Carol Midori. Igo Sawai and Suri Okino over Rumi Kazama and Michiko Omakai. There's your Joshi Rundown, Bix. Hmm. Sad that Neo's not in existence yet. Well, we had uh, Ichiki earlier, anyway. Yeah, we did. All right, let's go quickly to Germany. This is international encompassing section. Berlin on number six. Franz Schumann over Eddie Steinblock. Mide Zerno over Drew McDonald. Karsten Kretschmer over Oswald Schuttis. Disqualification. I don't think it's that. I think it would be more like Schutz. Schutzi, Schutz, whatever. Schuttis. Cannonball Grizzly. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. Over Christian X9. Rasta the Voodoo Man over Osama Nishimura. Tony St. Clair over Robbie Brookside. Just how many excursions did Nishimura have? He traveled the world. What can you say? All right. Mexico, CMLL, November 4th, Marina Coliseo. Brandon. Let's go to Brandon. And Fletcher against El Cafre and Kundra. Bracito de Oro, Ciclancito Ramirez, and Ultimo Dragoncito. Women against Damiancito Aguerrero, the future virus. Fierito and Perofito. Then we got Solar, Solar 2, and Ultraman Jr. Over Arcan- against Arcanjo de la Muerte, Galelo de la Muerte, and Mano Negra. Mascara Magica, Sendero, and Tony Rivera went against Satanico, Valentin Mayo, and Violencia. And El Fantasma, La Fiera, and Liz Mark went against the Encarnas, Dr. Biden Jr., and Emilia Charles Jr. Now, on November 7th, Remake, we had a Copa Victoria tournament where we had La Diabolica and La Infernal beating Flor Metallica and Princesa Blanca. Then we have uh, Figure Blanca going to WDQ or Black Warrior. Apollo Dante's uh, over Lise Mark. Elantis over Shocker. El Fantasma over Mascar Ayodos Mil. Tatavana Jr. over Brazo de Plata. Emilio Chavez Jr. over La Fiera. Violencia over Universo, Universo dos Mil. 
Panther over Mr. Niebla, and Felino Negracasas over Io de Santo and Scorpio Jr. by disqualification, which is a big deal. This is the big, this is the angle that's getting Santo to turn back uh, Technico. And it was time. I think a year or so with him working heel at Arena Mexico was enough. Yeah. yeah. He got what he needed to out of it. And the dynamic of him only being a heel in Mexico City was probably going to wear a little thin regardless. Because it's not like he turned anywhere else. He didn't turn anywhere else, but, I mean, there were instances where he did get booed. Yeah. And he wasn't uh, a rudo anywhere else but here. But still, yeah. All right, we'll have more on that next week, too, as we have more to the story. IVRG, Arena Lacapon, November 2nd. Alcon de Plata and Power Power Blanco, White Power, (laughs) over Doberman Killer and Hypnosis. (laughs) Is Astro, well, this is also, hey, remember, Ku Klux Klan was a gimmick in in Mexico, too, baby. Yeah, okay, but with the hoods. But who are the who are the Rudos and who are the Technicos in this match? I think that's the uh, Power Blanco because Doberman Killer definitely was a, a Rudo. That's what I'm saying. So Power Blanco is a Technico. I don't know if I like that. Yeah. Disastro, Maxi Payaso number three, and Tramposa over Fantasy Oriental and Shimonomanaga. That's a heck of a Technico team. Bruli, Circus and Orodi over Alacanandorado, Doctor Cerebro, and Sumo Fuji. The great Inimigo Publico won by disqualification over Bombero Infernal. Of course, Inimigo Publico had a career-ending brain injury. Yeah. And when he was on the cusp of becoming a pretty big deal. And Batman, Tony Rivera, and Ultimo Vampiro over Maniacup Oficial in Vigilante, your main event. Who is Batman? Bruce Wayne. Promo Azteca. They ran uh, November 7th at on, on November 7th TV taping. They had a three-way among the minis. Jerito Estrada over Perafito and Mini Supercolo. Brazo Cibernetico, Colt, not Colt Cabana, who's currently wrestling on AEW. Yodo Diablo and Jurassico, not um, Luchasaurus, over Huracan Ramirez Jr., Laguila Oro Jr., and Raide. Pantera retained the IWRG Continental Middleweight title in Paramazteca over Halloween. Then Damian and the Villanos, 3, 4, and 5, over Ninja de Fuego, Shiru, Sky Day, and Super Astro. And then the Headhunters, 1 and 2, Jerry Estrada and Perata Morgan over Ia de Lismarck, Mascara Sagrada, Super Parca, and Tenebas Jr. That's a card. Yeah. Um, okay, the guy who's listed on Lucha Wiki is the Mexico City Batman, is the guy who is also Principe de la Noche and Mega Electra and X-Lord. There's also Batman in Guadalajara. It's a, it's a big deal in Guadalajara. So there's that. Yeah. Um, so also going back to IWRG is... So which Ultimo Vampiro is this? Because... Oh, God. There's I'm, been many. No, so I'm don't even try. Because it's not... It's not the don't even try. not the famous one because he doesn't show up till ninety nine and became the second <laughs> super mega. So it's either Negro Navarro or or uh, Guardia. They don't even try. Um, All right. Yeah, well, there's no end. Yeah, there's no end date for and start date for those two. Don't even try. Double C. Number second at Coliseo, Rebecca Kolberg, they coupled Rojo, Black Boy, Victor the Bodyguard. 
Lightning Kid, not Sean Waltman over Muhammad Hussein. That Rico is Slott. George Weingaroff, right? That's Lou Fabiano. Oh, wait. Rico that's right. I always get confused because in Memphis, they were Sheik Hussein and Sheik Fabiano. But yes. you're right. In Puerto Rico, of course, it's Lou Fabiano. Rico Suave over Lale. Rico Santana over Scovan Crest by disqualification. Invader Numero Uno over Glamour Boy Shane. Carlos Colon went to a draw with Fate Razor Ramon. More on that next week. And in the Universal Heavyweight title, uh, Mr. Ratings, Ray Gonzalez, retained over Dutch Mantel by disqualification. Is he Mr. Ratings yet? No, but he just he has that name. So no, there you go. Was it Dutch Mantel or was it the guy we assume runs his social media accounts? <laughs> well, who knows? I'm guessing it's really Dutch Mantel. Okay. All right. It's halftime. So after some great 1997 commercials, we've hit to the halftime seven of the show, where we'll talk about Patreon, we'll plug all our other stuff, and then we'll come back with Mikey Blanton, and we'll talk about Ultimate Jeopardy 97 at ECW Arena. We'll have Early Omega and the wild story of Dan Seven versus Dory Funk Jr. in a real fight, quote-unquote. All this and more after the break. Thank you for calling SNET. How may I help you? Our rates are very competitive. In fact, we yes, can to call Europe. In a customer satisfaction study by JD Power and Associates, mainstream users ranked SNET number one in long distance service. So we thought we'd take just a moment to celebrate. SNET. How may I help you? SNET. The hardest working, highest ranking long distance company. Introducing Mediterranean, the first pasta sauce to take you beyond Italian. To the Mediterranean. Mediterranean. Rich, red, and remarkable. Go beyond Italian. Mediterranean. Gumbo, gumbo, gumbo. It's soup with jazz. And healthy choice makes a wild one. It's called zesty gumbo. Chicken, sausage, lots of flavor, and a lot less sodium. That's healthy choice. You get yourself a big bowl, and you let the good time grow. You've seen big and bigger, but you haven't seen the JCPenney biggest sale of the year. Save 15 to 50% on thousands of items Saturday, November 8th, 7 a.m. till 11 p.m. Don't miss it. It's big. JCPenney, I love you, time. Rush home from work, your night to cook. Cheese to the rescue. Make a quick Mexican pizza. Tortilla, ground beef, Colby Jack, peppers, salsa, you got the knack. Cheese to the rescue. Yeah, once a month, we have to sacrifice one of each model to prove that the other ones are just as good. It tolls for me. It's a cage, yes. It's a cage. Be strong. What you place human beings in. And they have to be protected somehow. We take a, a space frame and take it apart weld by weld. One way to test any product is to physically tear it down. It's very tough to tear apart one of those cars. Uh, I challenge anybody to try it. Me personally, I'm glad we do it because that's something that I can lay the old Mark I eyeball on and I know that exactly what I have. I'm not trusting anything except myself to know it's correct.
watching Homicide on NBC. Saturday. Candy colored clown, they call the Sandman. I remember the smiling man. Go to sleep. You okay, Keith? Everything is alright. I'm ready. The door to a boy's fear is open. This is my son you're talking about. And the dream doctors save him. Sleepwalkers on the NBC Saturday trilogy. At 11, what does this nerve gas attack in Tokyo two years ago have to do with New York City on Sunday? We'll tell you. Plus, why a bit of American history on the auction block at Christie's is causing controversy tonight. And on the run from the law, the dramatic end to this pursuit at 11. All right, we're back. I hope you enjoyed all those great 1997 commercials. As we pivot to the halftime seven of the show, we'll begin. Well, we're talking about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And yes, timely. We're in 1997 mode. So part one of our look back at 25 years of Montreal is up on the Patreon website. Yeah, I just gave the address for patreon.com slash between the sheets. So you can go listen to that as, uh, we discussed it the week we were in here on this show, but all the Brett and Sean stuff is on that show. So you can listen to that and get all your Brett and Sean fix as we look at uh, all the stuff going on with Brett and Sean before Survivor Series and Night of Survivor Series. And a very detailed, in-depth look at that. And uh, I've had quite a few people tell me that they thoroughly enjoyed it. They loved the deep research that we did, all the various sources and stuff that we use to put it all together. So, uh, rave reviews of the, of the part one of our three part series. So everybody check that out. If you haven't checked it out already and we'll have the other two parts coming up, uh, the next two months where we'll uh, finish the story and then we'll start figuring out what we're going to do for 2023. Crazy. There were 2023, two months away. So, uh, yeah, five dollars a month at patreon.com slash between the sheets. Everything, you know, inflation's all around these days, but we haven't raised our rates. So, uh, we're, we've been free from inflation folks. So join us and, uh, you get your money's worth, believe me. And, um, yeah, I just, I mean, it's crazy right now just to go off track for a second, you know, being in the grocery business, that's been one of the biggest, um, deals with inflation is the hikes and that stuff. And, um, it's produce right now is a situation. Um, lettuce, for example. Um, mm-hmm. California, the lettuce in California is going through some hard times. Um, you got any guess on what a case of iceberg lettuce is costing us right now, Bix? What does it normally cost? Well, I mean, okay. Um, between, I say between 30 and 40 bucks. Right normally, now. oh, right now, yeah. And what it, so normally? Yeah, I mean, would be. well, right, right, right now, normally, I said it would be thirty between thirty and forty. But what is it going about to go up to? I'm gonna say sixty. You're very close, about sixty-five to seventy dollars a case, Ooh. and that's twenty-four heads of lettuce in that case. Hmm. Red leaf, green leaf, and romaine is already four ninety-nine a head right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, cooking oil, about six dollars a bottle if it's not on sale. Uh, flour, flour just came down in price. The four forty nine a bag. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's crazy right now. And uh, but but our Patreon 
It's not crazy. We're still the same 2017, 2016 prices. So everybody take advantage of that. Dollar Month gets you access to the Discord Thanksness segment. $25 on you pick a show for the week. Now, when you have this on your mind, you want to do this show, have two shows in your mind because the show that you may want to do, we might not be able to do for various reasons. One reason could be somebody may have that week on the calendar already picked and we already have shows lined up and you know for a while. Or it could be a uh, deal where something we may have talked about already on a previous show that you might not know about, or may have forgotten about. So um, have that, you know, that process in your mind of uh, which we'll talk about. If you have any questions, you can ask us. Follow the protocol on the Patreon website on how to get that information to Bix so we can get you on the calendar. And of course, you got your uh, 30 day rules in effect. Please get this in before 30 days of the show you want to do. 10 year rules in effect. Wednesday to Tuesday on the timeline. All that stuff. So uh, we get that and we should be good to go. $50 I'll just sit in for a segment of the show if you choose, and 100 for the whole show if you choose. That's at patreon.com slash between the sheets. So, yeah, we dropped a new show. So, um, we had quite a few names last week. I spent more to say this week. So, Biggs, who we have to thank this week as our new and or returning patrons. Yes, let's see who now can enter the uh, Discord and find out from Ian Riccoboni whether or not those were shoot glasses or working glasses that got broken. <laughs> yes, uh, you can get all that lowdown. And yeah, I forgot the, the one thing too uh, with the Patreon. Of course, if you want to do annual, that's $50.40. Yes, and we have anniversary billing. And anniversary billing, of course. Can't forget that either now. Yes. So there you go. So now, yes, it works the same as basically any other subscription now, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right, so we would like to thank, as I scroll down, I actually do have to scroll here this time. I love uh, to hear that. David Baines. Thanks, David. Brandon Lockwich, who I feel like we just had a few weeks ago. Well, hey, thanks, Brandon. Adam Klug. Thanks, Adam Klug. Uh, Joe Diaz. Thanks, Joe. Robert. Thanks, Robert. William Lanham. Thanks, William. His name has been mentioned many times in this segment. Yes. Eduardo Martinez. Eduardo! Thanks, Eduardo. We got a year sign up from Jeff Quinn. Thanks, Jeff. We've got a switch over from monthly to annual from Howard Hahn. From who again? You broke up. Howard Hahn. Thanks, Howard. Rob Page. Thanks, Referee Rob Page, yes. That's right. You should make that his name on here, too, so I don't forget. Well, that's easy to know. Yeah. Uh, Bo Browder. Thanks, Bo Browder. Daniel Hoey. Thanks, Daniel. Daniel Rayleigh. Thanks, Daniel Rayleigh. Terrell Wilson. Thanks, Terrell. Justin Brennan. Thanks, Justin. And Joe Fitzpatrick. Thank you, Joe. Yes, yeah, so great to hear Wardo's name. One of my uh, favorite people yeah. that I've met along the way going to uh, wrestling shows. Good dude. So, uh, yes, we thank all you new patrons, old patrons, patrons that have been there from the beginning. Come along the way. We thank everybody for their support of patreon.com slash between the sheets. 
All right, IWTV Bix, always uh, a lot going on there. So, uh, what's uh, what you seeing this week? What's catching your eye? Well, fresh in my mind because for some reason, I'm assuming the internet went down at the H2O Wrestling Center. <gasps> Excuse me, I don't know why I hiccuped slightly there. Uh, the Sean Henderson presents Colby Carino's Painted Black show did not live stream. So, as we're recording this, it premiered last night. And I caught some of the show, including uh, the return of Allison Danger, teaming with her nephew Colby Carino, and George South versus Jimmy Lloyd in a death match. Yeah, I've seen videos of that stuff, and uh, you know it's great to see Allison back. You know, in the ring again. She's had you know time away for different reasons and stuff, and uh, great to see her back around there. Um, Jimmy Lloyd and George South, I saw videos of that too, and yeah, that pr- looked pretty damn wild. It was, uh, which would be expected. Good. I mean, it. I don't know if it was quite as good as the match Colby had with George a year ago at the AML show, but it was really good. Probably Jimmy's best match in a while too. So I was happy with it. Um, I find it fascinating that Colby somehow convinced George South to become a sometimes deathmatch guy. Hey, whatever works. <laughs> uh, and he, so he had his jacket on, which of course it had the John 316 patch, but also had like other stuff on it. And he comes out to uh, Journeys Don't Stop Believing, which of course being at the H2O building, using Journey got him over too. Of course, yeah. So, so that stuff. was fun. Uh, you know, the Carinos versus the Kirks match was fun. Um, I did not see everything. Uh, joined him part of the way, but seemed like a fun show. So, worth checking out on IWTV. Oh, and because I did not watch from the beginning when the pr- premiere was on, I should check this out after the fact, I did not get to see the uh, Jada Newman versus Marcus Mathers Loser Goes Back in Time match. Although I did see a screenshot on social media that showed that uh, Marcus Mathers lost and came back out through the curtain as a small child. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Was it well, an actual actual child? Are you asking me if it was a working child? <laughs> I mean, was it an actual child that was wearing like his gear or something? Yeah, it was wearing his is kind of his clothes and stuff. Yeah. Okay. It, he the kid was <laughs> so. Well, okay. Yes. Interesting. So that went up. Uh, as far as live streams, there will be a GCW settlement series on Tuesday. So really, day after the. <laughs> November eighth. Do they uh, know? They've they, this. They've actually announced the dates and locations for all of them through the end of the year, which I think is actually How about that? all of them because I think there's eight total, right? I don't. I don't. I can't keep track of it. But yes, yeah, so that's happening. Um, who knows what the theme is going to be? <laughs> <laughs> Ain't no telling. Because last time was uh, match types drawn out of a hopper. There's that. Who knows? And because Chris has now made it a rule that I can only read off live streams, that even if I've heard of the people, it they must be include people he he has heard of. There is only one other live stream for us to talk about this week, which is ICW <laughs> No Holds Barred, which is going to be Saturday night at uh, nine Eastern. Hey, I mean, listen, it's good that these indies are able to get out there and you know have their stuff on there, but. 
there's a lot of indies now that's on IWTV that's, uh, you know, putting out live streams and what have you. And it's people that I really haven't heard of, so I really don't don't know them. And hell, some of these shows have people that you don't even know. So I won't say yeah. which. There is a promotion that is now live streaming whose streams were added to the site for that will have happened already by the time you listen to this, but have been added in the last week since we did the preview last week for that weekend. And it, I legit, there is no one I recognize on that show. Like, I'm not sure who's going to be watching this. Well, I mean, Hey, can't up the hustle. I mean, yeah. if you're able to get on there, get on there and do your thing. And if you ever get some money, then good for you. Yes, just don't overspend anyway. on equipment thinking that you're going to suddenly make a million dollars or whatever. Please. Yeah. But anyway. But anyway. Yeah. ICW No Holds Part Volume 36. Because they're still, still doing the volume numbers with everything. And uh, probably the big match everyone would be looking forward to on this is uh, Casey Kirk defending her American Deathmatch Championship against Mickey Knuckles, who has been on a bit of a resurgence lately. Which... How weird is it to think that Mickey Knuckles is now a 20-plus year... Well, not 20-plus, so like 20-year veteran in the wrestling business. We're all getting old. What can you say? Yeah. We're all getting old, Bix. I mean, uh, (laughs) it's crazy. Like I said, I mean, the 10-year rule on the Patreon show is about to be 2013. We're going to get to the point where the 10-year-old is about to creep up to the amount of time we've been doing the show. Well, also, that means I didn't even so, think about this, and thank God no one's requested it, which, by the way, means don't. Don't even bring it up. <laughs> I was going to say, 10-year-old now includes the three-hour Raw era. Yeah. Has for a few months now. Yeah, that's not, yeah. No. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. No one's nostalgic for that that would actually listen to the show. <laughs> yeah, but still. Uh, All right. All right. So what, yeah, else, so is what that, else is on that ICW show? Uh, new IWTV World Champion, Cruel. Yeah, that was a surprise considering what we talked about last week at halftime about AC Matt defending the title against Tank. And then the next, and then the same day we recorded the halftime, they do a title switch, which nobody, I mean, nobody expected it. And the so, week, well, I mean, well, it, I mean, or much less expecting it to be a squash or anything like that either. Uh, yeah, so big surprise there. So well, Especially because, uh, what, was it the week before that I figured he'd be dropping it to Alec Price? You thought that. Yeah. I didn't say you did. I said I did. Yeah. So that's, Interesting on uh, what is now clearly turning into a deathmatch-themed streaming service. Um, also, a hood foot in action against Doctor Redacted. I think is the former Doctor Cube of uh, Kaiju Big Battle fame and more. So that'll be up on IWTV. Uh, when did I say that? Is Saturday, the twelfth at nine uh, Eastern. So. If you're not already a subscriber, go to independentwrestling.tv, use code BTSPOD, and we will get a referral fee for each month you stay a paid subscriber to uh, IWTV. All right, this week's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you're using Cognito Mode, you're in the source of either storing your browsing data and many times even selling it. But Private Internet Access can help. Private Internet Access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. 
And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private internet access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest damn VPN in the world by PC Mag. If you sign up with private internet access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's go over that, shall we? We offer three plans for you guys. You can get a monthly plan, eleven ninety-five a month, straight plan. You can get a yearly plan, three dollars and thirty-three cents a month, or thirty-nine ninety-five a year. That's a hell of a plan on its own. But we offer a better plan, a bigger plan, three years plus four free months, dollar ninety-eight a month, seventy-nine dollars for three years. 83% off. A great saving there, folks. Can't beat it. And why is that? Because that's so much more inexpensive to virtually every other VPN on the market. If you get it right now and you take advantage of BIA's 30-day risk-free challenge, try it for 30 days. See if you like it. If not, just turn it for a full refund. So you may wonder how you can get that. Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash 20 sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, hey, we're staying in 1997. Um, and this is a sh- Patreon request show by Tyler Gignac. And he requested it because he was at, in attendance at one of the shows during our week. Well, actually, As, he reminded me he was in attendance at two of the shows in our week because he's also at the Barry House show that you did not put in the notes. <laughs> well. You don't usually put the minor house shows in the notes necessarily. We'll figure it the, out. The Alan Barry House show? No, Barry, Ontario. Who's Alan Barry? So, so he's a friend of ours. Oh, okay. Has he been on the yeah. show? Um, possible. Okay. But anyway, um, so yeah, so uh, he 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 wants us to uh, talk about 1997 again. Of course, that means Survivor Series proper. So we'll talk about Survivor Series and all the stuff going on there. We'll talk about Brett and Sean with Tyler because he's. You know, he's, he doesn't have a Patreon show, so we'll get his thoughts on it, him being Canadian, and that point of view with that. And then, of course, we'll be talking about the two Raws, the live Raw, that uh, took place during our week, and Tyler was at the Tate Raw. Yeah. So we'll run down the non-Raw stuff there and just get his thoughts on everything in particular. You mean the non-Brett uh, stuff? And non-Brett Sean stuff. Yeah, which... And For also, Survivor Series. Well, I mean, well, I mean, we'll have Sean on, on yeah, Raw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also remember, it's not just that he's Canadian. He went to shows he had paid expecting to see Brad at. Yeah, so there's there's all kinds of uh, backstory to this. And also the first time that a lot of people heard the D-Generation X name. So, um, so yeah, it should be uh, quite the interesting WF section as it's going to take up about almost half the show. But we have other stuff to talk about, too. We got all stuff international to talk about. We got the uh, indie scene to talk about. And, of course, WCW, where they have a uh, interesting Nitro, where Bischoff makes the big announcement that Bret Hart is signed. And we have all kinds of other WCW insanity during our week as well. So, uh, yeah, it should be quite the show next week on Between the Sheets. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R, show proper at BTC's pod. Bix at David Bix. And Bix has an announcement to make, which he made it on you know on Twitter days before we record this segment, but now he can announce it to the world 
you know, he talks about he has this in this section. He's talked about having stuff in the in the ether, efforting all this other stuff. Well, it's finally come to fruition. So, Bix, make your big announcement. Yes, I am uh, now full time at Wrestling Inc. as part of their feature writing team, as part of the uh, expansion that has been going on since Static Media purchased the site uh, a few months ago. There you go. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, first thing that went up was about look, some Ricky Steamboat trivia. By the time this show is up, I will have had something go up about Giant Baba on Sunday. Giant who? Excuse me, Giant Baba. Giant Baba. Dog on it. Um, and I should have some New Japan, oh, New Japan trivia and stuff going up. And then within, oh, you is know, that your, you, so, so that's your thing. You're gonna be a trivia man. Is that is well, that not exactly? Be when you... I'm trying to figure out the best way to describe it. So. They're letting me be... I mean, so far I haven't pitched anything myself. I've gone with some of these suggested things. But um, they're letting me be myself as much as possible within their style. Like, I'm, like, going up and looking up translated stuff and going with, you know, trivia. Like, I mean, you know, I got to write about... got paid to write about Vic Steamboat. You know? But they're actually mm-hmm. paying, like, a living hourly wage. I know, but, but but is this like is this is this que- it's like trivia questions or no, what is it? It's, it's the you know the formatting they're using is hold on, I can tell you. Because when you say trivia, that's what I think first of all. Oh right. no, I just mean like some bar trivia or something. Hold on, I'll tell you what phrasing they use. I just figured trivia would be more palatable. Uh, facts about blank that only hardcore fans know. Okay, I got you. Now so you basically, it. so basically, you're doing like wrestling for dummies. Not exactly. I'm trying to do more than that, but well, for right now, I mean, for for that type of thing, I mean, you're explaining it to a a, a readership that might not be familiar with that. They may I mean, know I'm finding other stuff too. The Baba one that's going to be up by the time people hear this. I mean, it'll have uh, details, including stuff that might not have been available in English previously about like how all Japan formed and stuff. So, oh, there you go. I've been so it's not just the... trivia, folks. He has no, uh, no. He has he has uh, other historical nuggets as well. Yeah, the Steamboat one too had some stuff. I mean, each little entry isn't particularly long, but I used uh, some unused Steamboat interview stuff I had from uh, old Fighting Spirit magazine interview I did talking about his uh, his mom and how he facilitated her reunion with her family, who she hadn't seen since she left Japan. By going on All Japan TV and asking for his mom's family to reach out. Well, there was a time there in 81 where Steamboat was in All Japan for most of the year. I he wonder said, if that was, the time, that, that, that was the time period. Yeah, I mean, he said 84-ish, but this, I mean, it's post-brain injury and stuff, so it's like, and it's wrestler time, so it's like, I, I don't know when, I kind of would, I mean, yeah, I would have assumed something like 81, 82 when he was there more often. Because the way he described it talked about coming back between pretty quickly between, from tour to tour. Yeah, that's 81, definitely. Yeah. That's Russell Brain. Yeah, I, I would love to find if there's any kind of Japanese articles or anything about it. I would think, especially in that era of All Japan TV, prime time and everything, it would have been a fairly big deal, right? Uh, who knows? They, 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 have, uh, they have different stuff over there. Yeah. I mean... It, I was. It was weird listening back to the audio, though. I had forgotten what led to him telling the story because he really went on for several minutes telling the story. 
I forget how Japan came up, but I asked him, like, hey, in Japan, were you billed as Hawaiian, or did they bill you? Did they give your shoot background that you're half Japanese? And he explained that they said they billed him as half Japanese and then told that story, which I feel like he's told it before, but I couldn't find it in print anywhere. So this might be the first time it's been anywhere in print online, at least. Well, there you go. So, uh, Bix is doing big things with Wrestling Inc., so everybody go check him out over there. All right, we've been doing this every uh, halftime segment lately, so we're going to continue this week as Tales from the Territories featured Stampede Wrestling, and so like every week now is my new favorite show. This one is now my new favorite episode. This was fucking amazing. I, I really this- liked it, the Calgary episode. I think I liked the Florida one a little better just because of the root current stuff, but this one was quite good. I mean, the root curse stuff is awesome, too, but the reason why I love this one is just you heard stuff here that you never heard before, really. Because, I mean, you got you got guys on here that, you know, when they do shooter interviews, Stampede's not something that really comes up that much. Because, you know, it's not that interesting to probably some people. But the the stories in, in this one, man, the story, I mean, and the footage to go with it of bad news and the stomper, you know, just fantastic stuff there, you know, talking about that with Brett telling the story and everything. And just the story of Abby and how Abby became this mega star in Calgary. Brett's, you know, experiences with Abby <laughs> as a kid, you know, and then the stories about the stomper and how, how big he was and the rib stories, the Andre, the giant story with Smith Hart. I mean, just fantastic stuff. So, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, definitely an, another great episode. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I love this show. And next week, next week is going to be wild because Polynesia Pro Wrestling will be talked about. And uh, the reason why it's going to be wild is I'm <laughs> considering who's involved in this. It's Lars and who else? I forgot. Lars, Kevin Sullivan. Uh. Was Siva Afi on that deal? Hold on, let me look up. A couple, a couple of the natives were on there though, but I know it's uh, Lars and Kevin Sullivan part of it. But the one I was getting into is we gotta remember, Rock's the executive producer of the show, which is why they, yeah, I mean, yeah, but it's, it's also they're not going to talk ill will of Leah Maivia. Mm. My understanding is they do go into the real st- from at least what. Evan said on, I believe, on Lapsed Fan, they do get into the real story of the racketeering case. Well, we'll see. Uh, I mean, we'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Polynesian Pro Wrestling, definitely uh, something that's uh, rare to get talked about. So, uh, yeah. definitely looking forward to that one. And I mean, based on who the guests are and the time frame, like, it it will probably be, I would think, more, much more of a Poly Pro show than a Hawaii show in general, because... Well, it's, and, probably, it's just probably pro wrestling, so yeah. Right, as opposed to, you know, Hawaii or 50th State Wrestling. Or, oh, they ain't talking about that shit. I mean, they may give it like a background of history. Right. But the people that's on the panel are going to be people that weren't there in the mid-80s. Yeah, I'm trying to see. Let me look up an episode guide or something. In the meantime, though, as far as the Calgary episode, um, to me, the most fascinating part was how this is the most normal I've ever seen Abby act in my life. Oh, yeah, he was chill as hell. Like he he's Abby. He was Abby at the farming. farmers market. Yeah, that's he's Abby I mean. at the farmers market. Yeah, 
He wasn't being all carny abby like he is in shoot interviews. For whatever reason, he just was chilled out. Yeah, he was he was abby at the at the Jordan's farmers market. If you've seen him up there buying produce. Well, didn't you say he was wearing the same clothes too? He always wears pretty much the same suit, maybe different. Uh, well, he wasn't wearing the suit suit. He wasn't wearing his blazer. Mm. But, but, I mean, he was sitting there, you know, with his shirt and tie. He's always in shirt and tie, you know, always well, was always well-dressed, um, driving the Cadillac. And, um, yeah, I mean, he was awesome in this. Dr. D was great. The story about Dr. D and the fans, you know, and, and how they were trying to uh, – to fuck him up, including one trying to kidnap his kids. I mean, it's just you get a lot of, of stories there. The stories about the weather, the bus. Yeah. Oh yeah, it, Brett. You could tell Brett was having the time of his life because I mean he's talking about his childhood and talking about him, you know, being young and everything. I mean, it's just it's just great. Yeah, I mean the other thing that's weird for me, like I tweeted about watching it. <laughs> For watching really anything that pulls like YouTube and Tape Trader Calgary footage, it's just how much of it is clearly stuff I converted to DVD. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can look at it and see, oh, that's the Vern Sieber tape I converted to DVD. That's the beta tape I converted to DVD. <laughs> like, it's weird. Like, because I had for a time probably the best calgary collection of anyone for a little while because i tr basically got like i had the stuff people had given to me from their old collections and i tried to get everything else so because other than like i know like some like tsn shows that other people had but other than and you know like in the old home videos but like from what shows up it seems like it's usually the stuff i converted to dvd which is weird. But there, there was other stuff on there, too. Which, well, uh, WWE yeah. Network stuff, yeah. Yeah, there was stuff on there, too, that hadn't been around that much, so... No. Some of it looked like the network stuff that uh, got pulled, actually. Yeah. <laughs> which is, I'm assuming someone found it, but... Yeah. That was amazing. But, yeah, good stuff on uh, on Tales from the Territories. Everybody go check that out. Yes, and then Portland the following week, and season finale will be world-class. There you go. It's going to get even better. Sucks we don't have a Mid-South one. I haven't looked at ratings. How has the show been doing as far as a... It, they have went down, but I haven't seen anything about, you know, any new stuff about ratings, but if it's gone back up yet or not. Hmm. It's Vice TV. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, how was it doing compared, like, to Dark Side? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway... Everybody go check that out. All right. Well, that's it for this segment. Let's get back to the rest of the show. All right, Mike, he's back with us as we go to the U.S. indie scene. And let's go to Extreme Championship Wrestling, where we have Ultimate Jeopardy 97. Where the Sandman made his return on November 8th at the East Arena before about 1,100 fans. Taz and Tommy Dreamer faced Sabu and Rob Van Dam on top. Pitbulls attacked Taz, taking him out of there. Dreamer pinned Van Dam, but was destroyed by both after the match. They were about to break his injured heel when the lights went out and Sandman showed up drinking a beer when the lights went back on to make the save. Let's go to the torch to get the full rundown of the show. Mikey Whipper at B Spike Dudley in your opener. Crowd chanting Spikes on acid and LSD at Spike. 
Spike in early head scissors and Hurricane Rana through the ropes. He then somersaulted Mikey at ringside, which prompted a chant of ECW. Spike tried to do a flying leg scissors, but Mikey countered by hitting a stun gun to take over offense. Mikey went for a top row superplex. But Spike turned around to a powerbomb. Mike got the advantage back with a super kick and then splashed Spike on the floor. Spike and running di- top rope diamond cutter scored two count to pop the crowd. Mikey threw Spike over the top rope and then hit a whippersnapper, top rope stunner for the pin. Fans popped. A solid six minute all action opener. A running the, the, top rope diamond cutter. So the acid drop. Yeah. Basically. But this is like really like for that kind of. Uh, style character this is really a passing of the torch type of match if you think about it well i mean even though spike lost but i'm saying it's you know mikey was the the kind of uh that style the underdog darling yeah yeah and then you know it evolved to being spike which is you know kind of a cool thing uh I didn't find him particularly entertaining, but uh, I, I, I always liked Mikey Whipwreck, and I even liked him in WCW. Spike was fun for what he was. I mean, he's a fun dude to watch and stuff like that, but yeah, he didn't have the character that Mikey had. You're right. Um, one time, uh, there was a Ring of Honor show, WrestleMania weekend, the uh, WrestleMania 22, and uh, Ian Rotten uh, had a IWA Mid-South show, and Spike Dudley was on that show, and he unsuccessfully tried starting a fuck ROH chant, and it was just him, <laughs> and no one did it, and it was very awkward. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right, Justin Credible will beat Chris Chatty. Fans chanted, let's go Kramer, and just an a-hole. Chris nailed three arm, bar, arm drags early in the match. Chatty came back with a head scissors. And clothesline Justin over top rope, and then dove on the Justin and J- Jason. In the ring, Justin hit a flying DT to give him the advantage, then drop kick Chatty in the face. Justin hit a top rope, Frankenstein for a two count. Justin missed a turn, Buckle got football kicked and crotched. Chatty missed a top rope, Moonsault, later was tombstoned and pinned. So there you go. Justin Credible's getting some wins, building him up. Uh. And this is followed by Blue Meanie pinning Jason. <laughs> Before the match, Jason sent Justin to the back. He said the 30 wrestlers in the back, only five can wrestle, and he is one of them. He tells anyone from the back to meet him in a street fight. Sir Meanie came out with Supernova. A minute later, Meanie rolled up Jason, gave him a wedgie, and scored the pin. The crowd did the YMCA salute along with Meanie. Jack and Cronus even came out to the upper stage to do it as well. Hilarious stuff. I hated, I hated it. I hated that, that this era of Mania Nova. Hated it. Because the post-Blue World Order, them it's just like, oh, they're lost. And then Mini leaves, and then Nova becomes Indy Nova at that point. With all the, you know, with his suit and all that shit, and becomes the influential wrestler. So, yeah. Rick Rude came out. His final night in ECW Arena to introduce ECW title match. Fans chanted, you sold out. You fuck China. Rude what? Introduced... <laughs> yeah. uh, Rude introduced... Well, that's an insult, Mikey, to the ECW fans because he would fuck this guy that looks like a man. But, Rude... okay. I, I, I just to give you the rationale for those ECW fans at the time. Why would a normal man want to fuck her? Well, Rude introduced Bam Bam Big. that a, less, like, a little less than two years earlier was chanting, Bischoff takes it up the ass. 
<laughs> yeah, they uh, they also earlier, as he said, uh, was chanting uh, Justin asshole. Like that's yes, a, <laughs> yes, good one. Rudy and Juice, Bam Bam Bigelow. No, that's that's supposed to be just an asshole. That is not supposed to be a homophobic reference to putting things in assholes. I don't think. No, I, exactly. I know that okay. what they meant, but it's what what they said was just just. In... Just in asshole, like that. That's what they said. <laughs> so, so Rudy yeah. Bigelow, Chris Candido came in that storm attack Bigelow in the aisleway. Rude ran down to make the save. Fans chanted "Bye bye, Bam Bam." The ring announced that the match had been postponed until later in the show. Al Snow pinned Paul Diamond with chastity. <laughs> Snow brought out the mannequin head with him. He laid down at as if the head was giving him managerial advice. This match right here. I'm, uh, when, I, when I remember watching on TV, this is when I knew this motherfucker's about to explode. The way his, the presentation was for this match for Al Snow, the way they shot it, the way they, they edited it, the way I, I was like, this motherfucker here's about to explode. This is about to be huge. Yeah, and I was right. But it's this we'll match see, right here. There had to be a lot of editing too to make it look that way. <laughs> yeah. Um. Snow went to the crowd and enchanted with them at Chastity. I smell fish. <laughs> Gosh. Bix, were, were you ever in these crowds chanting this stuff? Did I, you ever chant, I smell fish? No, I never went to any ECW shows. Um, well, you know, I, I think I've told this story on Greetings from the Grocery Store. Uh-oh. But, uh... <laughs> you know, I had a, oh, no, are you about to tell the why is it purple story? No, a coworker okay. named John, who I did a whole show on, we had a cashier that came to the back room in the produce area where they had been had some rotten potatoes. And if you smell rotten potatoes, it does have that kind of fishy smell in a way. Yeah. So she come back there and uh, she said, God, why does it smell like fish back here? And John told her, maybe you need to close your legs. Ooh. <laughs> I forgot about that one. <laughs> so anyway, I, I've I've listened to all of those, and I I honestly don't remember that story. <laughs> yeah, I think I told it on there. Although, sure I, did. I don't know what it says though that in both examples we just had had here. I don't know why I am almost pleasantly surprised that at least both examples contextualize it as an example of poor vaginal health. Well, it's the old joke. You know, the blind man walks by the fish market and says, hello, ladies. No, but that's what I'm saying. A joke like that <laughs> oh my God. implies that it is the norm. Not, you get the idea. Anyway, let's, let's get back to this nonsense. Al in the middle super kick, knocking Diamond to the floor and then bolted on him for a small pop. Ringside, he has some flare chops, and the fans wooed along every time. Snow had a power bomb and scored a two count. Fans began chanting, you both suck. Chassis got up on the ring, everyone with a chair. Snow reversed Diamond's whip, so Diamond crashed into the chair. Fans chanted, boring. Yes, you did not see this on television like this. Diamond came back to hit a back suplex and bridged it to a pin, but Snow lifted his shoulder at two while Diamond's shoulders were still down. They tried, but it really wasn't a good match. Considering Snow was working on an injured shoulder, it was satisfactory. Diamond sat in the ring and said the finish was bullshit and he wasn't going anywhere. Tyron Rogers and Jerry Land came out to get them out of the ring. 
Lynn chased Diamond and Chassis. Chassis slapped Rodgers, who gave her a bow and arrow type move, followed by a modified DDT that was impressive and worth the pop that it got. Fans chanted, "No, no, no, goodbye, Chastity." If they only knew. Well, she's not. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah. If you watched that match, you would not have known the fans were chanting "boring" and all that shit. No, but they um, were going fucking nuts. But it was the intro. Yeah, I mean, it was the intro that you know was the old Al Snow thing. Yes. And yes. Uh, what was I going to say with that, though? I mean, the other thing, too, like with the crowd chanting, you both suck and all that. Comeback Paul Diamond, certainly at this point, was not very good. And Al Snow at this point, for as much as he figures out this character with Paul, Snow at this point is the worst in the ring he ever was. And then he stayed that way. Yeah. I mean, he had a little bit of resurgences occasionally in WWE, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Lance Storm and Chris Candido beat Tommy Rogers and Jerry Lynn. Storm and Lynn started all trading some moves and both tagged out. The frequent task continued until Storm began to take a beating. Lynn uh, hit a court clothesline and Rogers a top rope splash. Candido broke up a pit attempt. Candido distracted Lynn as Storm got the advantage on his own by hitting Lynn with a clothesline and a flying DDT off the second rope. Meanwhile, Candido and Storm fought at ringside, but Rogers and Lynn went to separate separate turnbuckles. And his simultaneous body presses on the floor to a huge pop. Back in the ring, Lynn and Rogers did the fantastic strut. Candido some chest chops and ran his hands through his hair and began to strut as well, but Lynn bulldogged him. Hit him from the second rope. Lynn had top rope Frankensteiner, but when he went for a splash, Candido lifted his boot to hit him in the face. Storm powerbombed Lynn as Candido grabbed Lynn's hair. Hit power slam for a two count. Later, Candido a salto suplex for a two count. A salto? How about that? Uh, Candido got caught going to the top rope and was suplexed from it. Rogers got the dot tap, be on both heels. Storm got double dry kip uh, and at that point. Double backdrop Candido. It appeared Candido landed awkwardly. Candido had Dreamer. Oh, former powerbomb from the top when he fell to the floor, huh? Uh, Storm basically plays Rodgers for a pin. Very good match of 15 minutes, nearly four stars. Candido didn't look like he was all there as he walked back to the dressing room. Yeah, probably wasn't. Yes. Sadly. Um, Axel Ron and Baltimore beat the FBI, New Jack Cronus, and the Dudleys in a four-way non-title match. Joel Gertner said, well, 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 if you got an hour, I got the power. Joel, you can't eat your meat if you don't eat your pudding, Gertner. Wait, 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 wait. What does that even mean? <laughs> What's the pudding? Is that a euphemism I've never heard before? <laughs> it's Gertner. He does what he does. What he does. Who knows? Andrews, Devon Dudley, Cronus, and Smothers fall to ringside during the ring. Cronus nailed a wheel kick on Smothers. Smothers and Devon went after each other. We had to hit the ring crouch in for New Jack. Mahoney came in, hit Devon with a chair. Bubba came out, hit Diamond Cutter on balls. Big Dick choked Sam Cronus. Guido, yeah. tried to hit, Guido tried to hit Big Dick with a series of forearm shots in a comedy spot. Guido put Big Dick's hand on his throat, and then Big Dick choked slammed him, which came across as absolutely hilarious. New Jack then came out with a trash can, hit Devon, they hit him with two crutches, hit Bubba with the other one. Cronus, Devon, Balls, Axel, Smothers, all bladed here. All eight brought a ringside in the ring. Bubba bled from the nose. Balls hit Devon with a hard with a chair, and then hit Big Dick, but he no-sold it. All seven then brawled down the aisleway. New Jack went to the upper stage, flew off with a guitar. New Jack then dove on the Guido through a table for a huge pop. It was the same move of the night. 
Bubba gave Kronos a Dudley Thatcher off with a pin. He was eliminated. Ass hit Dudley's with a chair, and then Devon got pinned. Heel ref Jeff Jones came out and broke up the count in the FBI. Other CW refs came out. Referee John Finnegan drop kicked Jeff Jones. I would love, I'd love to see that. Yep. Ass hit Tracy with a chair and scored the pin. Non-time match, so FBI is still the champions by getting pinned. Good brawl, and the ref angle was done well. Ah, uh, Jeff Jones getting drop kick fixed. Didn't happen enough, did it? <laughs> um, he uh, yeah, must have had a head injury, and that, that explains all the typos. <laughs> oh, did you Maybe. see uh, that uh, when I I oh, which, I forget which video it was on the AW YouTube, but it had very weird capitalization choices. And I quote tweeted it saying, I'd love to know how Jeff Jones makes those decisions. And not even in like an upset way or anything, but then uh, Kevin Sullivan of AEW replied to me basically saying, oh, well, that was me. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. He was fine about it, but it was funny. I will, I will forever make myself believe that it's the same Kevin Sullivan from wrestling. It just makes it. More he is Kevin movie. Sullivan from wrestling. I understand. I'm talking about Father! That's the Kevin Sullivan. Oh, yeah. yeah. Father. Well, I, I mean, there are like four or five Kevin Sullivans around wrestling at this point. So There's only one that matters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Joey Styles came out and said sarcastically nobody was at the Spectrum on Monday night. That's where Nitro was. He brought out Shane Douglas and Francine. Styles at the shock at the small dress Francine was wearing. Douglas said, cut the fucking music. <laughs> it seems <laughs> it seems we made Bam Bam Bigelow a little more cooperative, so tonight you can walk down the aisle and do the job in the middle of the ring. This job won't be in the hands of Lawrence Taylor. It'll be in the hands of Shane Douglas. <laughs> he said he's going to regain his belt, then go back to Pittsburgh, where a real pay-per-view is from, and he would escape from the smart mark fans of Philadelphia. <laughs> Rick Rude came out. He said Douglas is gutless. Francine responded, you're ballless. The crowd, ch- the crowd chanted, little dick. Douglas challenged Root in her ring. Root entered. Storm and Candido came out, too. Bigelow then came out and attacked Douglas. Storm and Candido. He tombstone powerbombed Storm. And he was okay. held to the bat by Candido. Oh, he means uh, Fire Thunder uh, driver. Greetings from Asbury Park. Greetings from Asbury Park. Yeah. Um, Francine might have been right, according to legend. <laughs> but this leads to Bam Bam Bigelow pinning Shane Douglas to retain the title. Well, no, the Bam- legend is not that he lost his balls, isn't it? Is it? Uh, that's what I thought. I thought it was. I thought the legend was that he injected it into his dick and that it uh. <laughs> fell off. Uh. But anyway, enough of that. Fans trying to fuck him up. Bigelow pressed Douglas and dropped him on a turnbuckle with the snake eyes. Fans chanted, show your tits at Francine. Bigelow to baseball side as Douglas hit the railing. Bigelow then tossed Douglas to the front row. He then ran him into the post, tossed him back into the ring. Francine jumped off the apron, so Rude threw him into the ring. Bigelow pressed her, was about to toss her to the crowd, but Douglas dropped, kicked him in the knee, and Bigelow dropped her. Candido and Rude brawled to the back. Later, Bigelow missed the headbutt, and Douglas got a two count. Douglas hit a belly to suplex for a very near fall. He couldn't believe he didn't score the pin. Bigelow hit a tombstone powerbomb for a three count. Better match than when Bigelow won the belt, just short of three stars. Why is Chris Forbes or whoever this is calling this a tombstone powerbomb? Isn't, hasn't Who it been knows? readings from Asbury Park for like a year? <laughs> Who knows? Okay, so now, Mikey, 
had asked earlier if I'd ever been in an ECW show where any of these chants happened. I had not, because I never went to any ECW shows. However, I think I've told this story before, but it's been a long time. Uh, I did go to a Jersey All-Pro Wrestling show in 03, where there was a lone fan chanting, show your tits repeatedly at April Hunter. And here's why I'm telling this story. Go ahead. Was that the first time you met Chris? (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. I think we would agree that normally the fans who are chanting that, at least at valets and other female performers, do not genuinely think that could happen, right? I Man, <laughs> I used to go to uh, AAW. Um, it's, a, it's a local, small Chicago indie. Uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, they, uh, there were some fans that would chant. Oh, boy. <laughs> there were some fans that would chant that at Scarlet. Uh, and this oh, was boy. like seven years ago or you know yeah she was a regular there i remember yeah, that. and not, that's why she broke in uh, the promoter of that small independent trainer yeah oh i yeah i didn't know that um yes yeah, so moving on oh so anyway where <laughs> i was going with that though so april hunter was out twice once she had a match with nikki rocks and she was also managing uh, Slick Wagner Brown against a wrestler who shall not be named, but is still inexplicably training at the wrestling school where he was accused of sexually harassing people and then fired from his contract wrestling job after they investigated it. Anyway, um, so at some point, it was intermission, what am I saying? I'm in the bathroom. Some other fans are in the bathroom. I'm washing my hands. This guy starts explaining to no one in particular, just to the room of guys in the men's room at the, like, Hungarian American Center or whatever it was in Wood, was it Woodbridge, New Jersey, I think, that because she had posed for Playboy, if enough of us chanted, show your tits at April Hunter, she would. <laughs> and how old were you? At this point, I'm 18. Okay. Yeah. Uh, these, yeah, these people, yeah, I know. Wrestling these, fans are special sometimes. Like it's just, it's sad because this is like you know this dude thought that like with his whole heart you know and he yeah. and he was like hey I'm gonna see some boobs and like was very excited about it and it's you know but like he's fucking crazy like you can't you can't do that. To just, I, I I don't care what their background is. You can't well. just be an asshole like that. I and yeah, it's just the attitude era was such a detriment. I know people get mad at me, but like, oh, just like that bro mentality is just so gross. Mm. Oh, it wasn't just attitude era. It was culture. It was culture. Yeah, oh, mean, for sure, for sure. So. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying it's the majority, but now there's a sh- dis- disturbingly increasing number of female fans who are acting certain ways too like trying to see behind the curtain when wrestlers are changing and stuff it's uh, the, worm, the worm has turned no pun intended alright uh Sabu and Rob Van Dam beat Tommy Dreamer and Taz Van Dam had spray paint on his tights ECW WF Mr. Monday Night you haven't been in the WWF in six months <laughs> shut the fuck up <laughs> Taz and Dreamer stood in separate corners. They announced Van Damme as being from Battle Creek, Michigan, not Stanford, Connecticut. 
All four went in right from the start. Sabu with a leg drop on Dreamer for early one count. Van Damme and Taz by the ringside. Dreamer hit a suplex on Sabu. Dreamer and Taz argued. Taz said, I suplex people. Uh, Van Damme hit Taz looking from at this. Why didn't you edit any of this down? Jesus Christ. This is a novel. <laughs> Taz Van hit- what the fuck? I'm trying to fill the show out. Van Damme <laughs> didn't hit Taz from behind. Just let, to- just let me tell my stories then. I have because- so many. Because there's not a lot. Uh, because we didn't put the Sean Brett stuff in there, and Dave was very Sean and Brett. Yeah. Um, and Torch was too. Van Damme hit Taz from behind. Van Damme hit a perfect monkey flip and top row splash looked great. Taz came back, hit overhood suplex. Taz and Sabu went at it as Taz attempted to choke Samuel, choke hold on T- Sabu. Sabu hit Taz with a low blow to break it up. Taz later hit a bad suplex for a pop. At ringside, Taz and Dreamer threw Sabu first to the railing. Then Sabu and Van Damme bolted on top of all three and did a flip over the top rope where he wouldn't even touch the ropes in the process. Van Damme then crossed Dreamer on the railing. Taz did the same thing to Van Damme. Sabu came off the apron. Everybody spilled into the fans. Back in the ring, Sabu and Van Damme had a double splash on Taz. They double kicked Dreamer. Taz, out of nowhere, locked on the Taz mission. Van Damme broke it up. Then Dreamer put a Taz mission on Van Damme. Pitbulls came out with Lance Wright, and Taz went after them and never returned. Dreamer and hooked both Van Damme and Sabu upside down the corner, put a chair in front of him and side kicked him. Dreamer tied Van Damme onto the ropes and tied a chair into him. It was about to slam him when Bill Alfonso tripped him. Beulah went after Alfonso, who entered the ring. Sabu then hit her with a clothesline, and Alfonso choked her in the corner as Sabu spread her legs. The fans chanted, Thank you, Sabu. <laughs> he put Dreamer on the table and went for a double splash. Dreamer moved, and Van Damme hit the table hard. Dreamer was on the top rope, but Alfonso hit him with a chair, then mocked Taz by folding his arms and blowing a whistle. Later, Dreamer hit Van Damme with a DDT for a pin. Then we get to the post match. Sabu brought out a ladder, and the crowd chanted, Sandman. Well, they argued he was coming. Van Damme held Dreamer with a chair. Sebu got the top rope with a ladder. He threw the ladder onto the chair on Dreamer. They stepped another table and stood the ladder up. They put Dreamer's foot under the table to further injure his already injured foot. Sebu was ready to light Dreamer's foot on fire when the lights in the arena went out. When the lights came back on, Sandman was sitting on top of the ladder. Sebu still managed to light Dreamer's foot on fire. Sebu snuck up on him from behind, hit him with a chair, knocked Sandman up, flying up the ladder. Van Damme stepped up the ladder, but Sandman hit him. Sandman went with Sebu into the ladder. Sandman fumble, tumble roll into the ladder against Sab- Sabu to pop the crowd. He set Sabu on the ladder on table, went to the top of the ladder, dove on through it, prompting a huge ECW chant. Both men took nice bumps. Van Damme and Sabu and Alfonso then let the fans chant at Sandman. Sandman drank a beer, appeared to have lost some weight. Dreamer held his foot in pain. Excellent brawl. Overall, so like hard, I mean, bad matches. It really doesn't sound like it. <laughs> Wait, well, about without any bad matches, it's, it sure sounded like Paul Diamond Al Snow was bad. We need, yeah. we need to give credit to the Sandman for climbing a ladder in the dark. Like that is that's impressive. Yeah, you know? they didn't like, light anyone on fire in the dark this time, but they still did something very dangerous in the dark. Well, you, you know, yeah. that, Sandman though, he, even though he's probably impaired, he is a construction worker, so. It, okay, it's still climbing a ladder yeah. in the dark. You know, when he's doing construction, it's in the light, Bix. It's in the light. I mean, Unless it's like five in the morning, I guess. Okay, yeah. you got me. It's not quite as impressive as your buddy Carl catching a ball. Yes. I mean, hey, give Sandman props. Um, Snow got dislocated shoulder and be out for six weeks. Well, he which got he his was product. not. He. He, yeah, but he wasn't out for six weeks. 
Okay. Bob Ray Dudley got a broken nose. He won't miss any dates. Francine suffered a fractured pelvic bone, but suspected back for the pay per view. And Bigelow needed 12 stitches for a cut. Uh, so, okay. I was curious. I pulled up the torch because I was curious to see who sent this report in. I didn't find that. But there is a Sandman torch talk that is running our week. Yes, yeah, it's just going through the, the whole month, basically. It's five parts. But I saw the headline, and I realized I had to read from this section. Wade asks him, Have you ever had wrestlers express concern about your drinking before matches? Worried that you might injure them? Yeah, absolutely. If you really look at it, you get t- guys like Taz. I want you to write this. Taz has dropped people on their heads for two years in this company. Has hurt a lot of guys. I hurt Stevie Richards, but that's the only time I, scrolling up, really hurt somebody with the cane. One time we were up in Middletown, New York, and I clipped Stevie on the back of the neck, and he went all numb for a little while. Then I got some heat for that. But it's always, if I wasn't drunk, I wouldn't have gotten heat for it. But since I was drunk, that's the first thing they could blame it on. If you're straight and you hurt people every other night, it's okay. But if you're drunk and you hurt a person once in three years, it's going to get blamed on the alcohol. Shane Douglas at one point did not want to wrestle me because I was beating the living fuck out of guys. Cactus Jack did not want to wrestle me because when I hit you, I hit you as hard as I can. I will bend a chair over your head only because I'll let you do it to me first. But you're going to get it later in the match. People need to believe my shit. If people don't think I'm hitting you hard, it doesn't work. If I'm only hitting you 50%, okay, he just keeps going with this shit. It's like, all right, yeah, listen. All like, right, what the all fuck? Right, all right, all right, let's go to Omega. That's right, the, the, the Omega. They ran in Sanford, North Carolina, November the 8th. We have Ice over Cyclone, Venom over Devastator, a three-way where Kid Vicious and Mike Maverick beat Bobby Burnett and T.C. Brimstone and Fuma and Hydro, and T.C. Brimstone beat Bobby Burnett. Kid Dynamo over Joy Matthews, Black Skull over Kid Dynamo, Wolverine over Champagne, and Surge over Otto Schantz by disqualification. Mm-hmm. Of course, Hardy, Shane Helms, uh, Jason Arndt, Mike Hard, Hardy Garner. That's your crew here. Well, let's okay. Let's actually break it down real quick. Um, well, it's all involved, involved. No, but who is who? People might not realize who is who. Yeah, yeah. One one thing people probably cannot real probably don't realize just by hearing the name. Uh, but the main eventer, Surge, uh, he went on to marry Dixie Carter of uh, TNA. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, he did. So Surge. Ice is Caprice Coleman, Venom Jason Arndt, Kid Vicious is Chain Helms, Mike Maverick is Mike Hart slash. Which was he bowed up, I think? Yes. Uh, T.C. Brimstone is Tracy Cadell, uh, Cameron Grimes' dad. Kid Dynamo, Shannon Moore. Joey Matthews is Joey Matthews. Black Skull, I don't think ever did anything else. Any other gimmick, right? No, I don't think oh, so. Oh, no, he did. He's got, oh, that's Scotty Matthews. I didn't realize that. I'm oh. Sorry. I didn't know that either. Okay. <laughs> Uh, like I said, yeah, Kid Dynamo again is uh, Shannon Moore. Wolverine is Jeff Hardy's Ultimate Warrior gimmick. Champagne's Marty Garner. Surge is Matt Hardy. Otto Schwanz is jacked up. Otto, it's Otto Schwanz, Otto Schwanz. There you go. Yeah. Let's get to the most important part of this section. Oh, Dan yeah. Severn had a weird altercation with Dory Funton Jr. after a show on November the 8th in Gainesville, Florida. Oh, I wonder who was at fault. Believe it or not, uh, it was it in no way a work. And Dave can say 100%, even though he's uh, he's sure most won't believe it. 
Morty Funk threw a drink on Dan Severin, who got upset. And Dora was having to defend his wife. Ding, 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 ding. They ended up in the ring with about 50 or 75 onlookers. Didn't fight, but did wrestle each other. Reports of being that Severin was too quick and technical. He was technical. But they mainly tried to stretch each other before a furious Severin walked out of the ring and went to his hotel room. The local police, hearing about the disturbance, came to arrest people just as it was breaking up. Let's fast forward. This is the week uh, later in the Observer. More on the Dan Severin Dory Funk incident after showing Games of Florida. The two have been put together a few times on indie shows and worked well together in the past. The problem initially seemed to stem from a match scheduled a few months back. On the day of the show, Severin was asked by NWA president Dennis Corluzzo to drop the NWA title to Funk and refused to do so. Severin, among other things, felt it wasn't right that he was asked at the last minute. Corluzzo asked because he was afraid that Severin was going to work a program in ECW with Taz, which was being talked about, and Corluzzo wanted to get the belt off of Severin before he left. Since Severin left for ECW, the issue for the most part was dropped. Apparently, Funk refused to dress to the same dressing room as Severin in Gainesville over the incident a few months earlier. There was enough concern that promoter Howard Brody switched to order the matches, so that instead of Funk's match with Steve Kern come before Severin's, that Funk's match was moved to just for intermission. Funk stuck around for the rest of the show, since his wife Marty, a photographer, was shooting the car for the Japanese press. After Severin won his main event over Typhoon, <laughs> something for Greg Valentine, who put this show, Mar- uh, Mikey Blanton, he was Dude, signing on uh... Like, Typhoon versus Dan Severin is absolutely a match I would put together. That sounds fucking Subbing cool. for Greg Valentine. Are you going to be like <laughs> I bet New you... Japan TV for Europe, too? What the hell's going on? Yeah, I, I heard the story that, like, uh, Severin was trying to submission, and Ottman looked at him. He goes, listen, I'm going to go easy on you, motherfucker. But if you try anything, I'll fucking beat your ass. So Marty Funk was back in her equipment and talking with some friends. Marty poured some bottled water on Howard Brody as kind of a joke, but he didn't take too kindly to it. She then did the same to Severin, who didn't appear happy about it, and she said something about having a sense of humor. The Dan Severin, no less. It wound yeah. up with Severin saying something to Marty and Dory getting involved to ask what was wrong and no words being exchanged. Because there were still 35 to 50 people around and Severin was embarrassed, so many people were watching, he asked to continue the discussion in private. But people seeing something was amiss followed them. Before long, Dory starts saying how Severin thinks he's above the wrestling business, and Marty calls him names, and Dory challenged him to get in the ring. Oh, God. Severin, Severin said he respected Dory, but had nothing to prove to him, and then got mad at Brody, feeling it was a setup, like the night Corluzzo asked him to drop top of the Dory. It took about 15 minutes before Severin finally agreed to get in the ring. Apparently, Severin was trying to avoid it, but by that point, with so many people watching, it felt back against the wall. When they got in the ring, they basically wrestled. It wasn't like a fight or anything, but it definitely wasn't a worked angle. While this was going on, the Alacula County Sheriff's Department showed up with six to eight officers and were about to go in the ring and break the fight up. When the officers asked if the fight was real, the promoter figuring if he said yes, they'd be arrested, said no. Instead of police, they wanted to arrest Brody for attempting to incite a riot. As they wrestled, each other, wrestled with each other, uh, Severin Corn reports being too fast, too technically advanced. Seven rolled out of the ring, saying he had nothing to prove, left the building without showering, being very upset the entire situation, and left feeling like he didn't understand the wrestling business at all. What an amazing story. Should we read the results before I go to Howard Brody's book, or what? Might as well read the results. Okay. 
All right, the rest of this show featured the Southern Posse beating Double Impact. Mike Marcello beat El Loco Pepe Prado Wait and Brian why, Kidd in the three-way. Why didn't we get the O? Because it's not Italian. It's Pepe no, Prado. Mike Marcello. Oh. And three match for the Florida Junior title. Exotic Adrian Street with Miss Linda beat Firecat. Pretty boon. I- Dory Jr. beat Steve Kern to win the Florida Heavyweight title. Oh, my God. Hercules Hernandez beat Jerry Flynn. Oh, I will pay money if anyone has this. <laughs> Dan Severn over Typhoon. It's noted that Kern owns a local gym, and Hernandez is self-employed in Tampa. Oh. All right, Bix. All right, let's go to Swimming with Piranhas. While I continued this barrage, he's referring to his attempts to get a NWA-WWF deal going, where they'd always say thanks but no thanks. Dennis Corluzo ran his second Eddie Gilbert Memorial Show in New Jersey, the one during which Dan Severn refused to put over Dory Funk Jr. The situation put me in a precarious spot because, while I liked Dan and he was our world champion, Dory was one of the all-time greats. He was also the first wrestler I ever met face-to-face, when I handed him my resume a decade and a half earlier. So I had a loyalty to him, too. I had great business relationships with both. I didn't want to have to choose between the two. What I really wanted to do was book them to face each other on my November show in Gainesville, Florida. But because of what happened in New Jersey, Dory wasn't going for that. So I booked them separately. Dan to work with Greg Valentine and Dory to work with Steve Kern, the, N- the then NWA Florida champion. In an attempt to smooth things over with the Funks, I decided to give Dory the Florida title as a consolation prize. So despite the heat between them, Dan and Dory would appear on the same show. I love the idea that Dory Funk Jr. cares about winning the NWA Florida title in 1997. <laughs> as the show date grew... It's a serious business to him, Bix. As the show date grew nearer, I started to hear, excuse me, started to get a lot of grief from Marty about Dan being booked on the same card as Dory. She called me at strange hours and said terrible, unfounded things about Dan, some of which had nothing to do with wrestling. It was painfully obvious that Marty had disdain for Dan because she felt he had disrespected her husband. Not that she was completely wrong. I felt Dan had disrespected Dory a bit as well, but you work through those issues and try not to let them cloud your overall decision-making process. When it came to Marty, however, there were times I felt the pond was only filled halfway. <laughs> wow. If you could do something for her and her husband, Marty was a loyal friend who would back you up and be on your side no matter what, verbally supporting anything you wanted to accomplish. But if Marty felt she or Dory were affronted or disrespected, uh, even slightly, she'd come at you with a vengeance. Unfortunately, I got to see both sides of the obstinate Mrs. Funk. During one of those phone calls, I tried to put an end to the heat and asked Marty what it would take to smooth things out between them. She told me it was either going to be Dan putting Dory over in the middle of the ring for the world title, or at the very least, figuring out a way for Dory to make, quote, Japan-type money from what she referred to as the quote-unquote New Jersey fiasco in order to save face. (laughs) (sighs) I didn't have the type of money Marty was referring to. I would normally pay Dory $300 for wrestling on my cards, but Japan-type money meant a payday in the thousands. I began to think, what if we could create a scenario in which Dory, the former Gaijin booker for All Japan Pro Wrestling, would wrestle Dan and take the NWA title from him in Japan? This would accomplish the big payday he was looking for and help him save face. Are the gears turning in both your ads now? A little bit. Yes, I, I need it. When I ran the question by the Funks, Marty was cold to doing anything with Dan, but Dory, being an opportunist and having a great head for the business, said he thought it could work. 
but only if we somehow use the backstory of the heat between he and Dan to set up a quote-unquote legitimate confrontation between them that could be captured by the Japanese press and be shown in Japan. We weren't exactly sure what we were going to do, but we had the basis of an idea in place. <laughs> With the funks on board, I called Dan and laid out the basics. Knowing a Japanese booking against Dory could generate a big payoff, Dan agreed to do what was needed to set up the match. After a couple of phone calls between them, everyone agreed that Dan would put Dory over in Japan and that Dory would reciprocate in the States, most likely at a show promoted by Dennis. But in order for that idea to work, everyone agreed to keep things hush-hush. I didn't even clue in Dennis. In the weeks leading up to the show, uh, whenever Dan or Dory did any interview, they would throw a little jab at each other to set the stage. Uh, skipping ahead past some generic NWA bullshit. Uh, and how the 49th uh, anniversary, they didn't do a proper meeting or convention. They just did a teleconference because, you know, why? Uh, yeah. Weeks after the teleconference, it was time for the Gainesville show. On the morning of the event, I drove from Tampa to Orlando to pick up Dan, who would then drive with me up to Ocala, where we would have a lunch meeting with the Funks at their home. Dory and Marty were extremely warm and hospitable when we arrived. And if there was any heat, it didn't show. While part of the meeting concerned how we would move the NWA world title from Dan to Dory and then back, the primary focus was how we were going to execute the setup that night. Dory had an idea in mind. Since his plan was rooted in reality, he felt it would work, but only if nobody else was clued in. When I questioned whether it was smart to work the workers, Dory admitted that it was the ultimate high to execute something so real that others would wonder if it was a worker shoot. Funk explained how his father and former NWA president Sam Muchnick, excuse me, Muchnick, once worked the other promoters at one of the NWA annual meetings. Dory Sr. came late to the meeting, and Muchnick fined him. After a lot of complaining, Dory took out his wallet and paid the fine on the spot, saying to something to the effect of that if he had to pay a fine, he would expect everyone else to as well. This ensured nobody ever came late to a meeting. Afterward, when they were alone, Sam gave Dory back his money for putting on the show. Interesting. Because Dan drove with me, he was the first person at the show, and already in the dressing room when the other workers began arriving, as planned, Dory was the last to show up, ensuring the deal that he and Dan worked out would get maximum exposure. I was in the dressing room, giving everyone a quick rundown of the card. The last two matches would be Dory against Kern, followed by Dan against Typhoon. Just as I was finishing, Dory came in on cue, saying, excuse me, and after saying his hellos, he glanced Dan's way and sarcastically asked, Do I have to get dressed in the same room as the great Dan Severn? I looked Dory straight in the face in front of the other worker said, Please, Dory, not here. I know what happened in New Jersey, so just promise me there won't be any trouble tonight. No trouble, he promised. Throughout the night, some of the workers came up to tell me that Dory and Dan were trading verbal jabs and there appeared to be real heat. That was music to my ears because it meant the wrestlers were buying into it. At first, they played it like old-fashioned ribbing and made sure they exchanged barbs in front of the other workers. Aside from that, they didn't really interact at all. Dan made a point to tell me near some of the other workers that he wasn't happy with Dory's attitude and asked me to, just to keep Dory out of his face. So, Dory wins his match. He was last before intermission. So there wouldn't be any confrontation in front of the fans, or at least initially. Dory got showered and dressed, but waited until Marty was still shooting photos for Japanese press. Also in attendance was Bill Otten, who shot for, he means weekly pro wrestling, he says Baseball Shaw magazine. Uh, like a true veteran, Dory stayed in the back, watched the last two matches, blah, 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 blah. After Dan's match, 
which he won with an armbar submission, danced off to sign some autographs. Marty had purpose, purposely downed a couple of beers during the night to play up a possible intoxication angle. Packed away her camera equipment and was down drinking bottled water and talking to friends who came to the show from Ocala. She splashed me with some water, pretended to get hot, and she said, don't you have a sense of humor? Not the time or place. So then Dan walks back. Marty did the same to him. His reaction was the same as mine. She repeated to him, don't you have a sense of humor? At first, Dan just continued on, but when, she, but then she splashed him again, so Dan turned around and said something to her. I was out of range and didn't hear exactly what he said, but it was the signal to prompt Jory to cut, grab Dan by the arm and ask him what was wrong, quickly made my way back. Okay, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. So, pulled the two of them aside. You know, this, at this point, they're in front of, like, a few dozen people, including wrestlers. John Alexander, a circuit judge from Jacksonville who was covering the show for Pro Wrestling Torch, was there. Um, he played hot that people were looking and asked to go somewhere more private. Uh, oh, Dan Severn. Sorry, my brain's not working all of a sudden. Uh, which he did. So you get the idea. This is an angle. He wrote of course it is. about this. Uh, that's that's not the story I heard, Bix. Well, don't lecture me on play-by-play on ECW no more. Yeah, uh. the, the story I <laughs> the story I heard was that the, they were actually uh, really wrestling in the ring, trying to get the best of each other. But then uh, Dan looked up and he saw Fred Ottman. <laughs> who was staring him down and uh, taping his fists. So he decided, as a smart guy he is, uh, he got out of the ring and, you know, took off. There you go. Yes. Yeah. The mighty uh, Fred. As far as the police side of it, he said he had to do some pretty fancy footwork to avoid uh, spending the night in Alchua County Jail. Uh, the funny thing is the wrestlers who were watching thought I was lying to the police to protect Dan and Dory. Um, later, Dory said he should have let the police arrest them because it would have made the whole thing as real as possible. Can't buy publicity like that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Unfortunately, while well, the incident made a big buzz online and in the newsletters and grabbed the attention of some Japanese pr- promoters, neither the Funks nor I were able to get any serious offers to bring the match to Japan, etc., etc. So, all right. Well, let's, let's get back to yes. Let's get back to some. Important indie results here. Oh, this looks delicious. MEWF, they ran the middle school in Kaiser, West Virginia on November the 8th. MEWF heavyweight title match, Adam Flash, retained over Jimmy Gennetti. Gino Caruso, oh, oh. over Nick Maddox. Tommy Hawkin, the pit fighter over Lucifer and Switchblade. Jimmy Cicero over Reggie Carrington. It's a great name. Yep. Jimmy Superfly Snook over Julio Sanchez. King Kalua over Doink the Clown, and Salvatore Sinceri, that jobber Tom Brandy over Corporal Punishment. I am shocked uh, that my Kalua and Tom Brandy are on the same show in 1997. I I never get tired of you saying that jobber Tom Brandy. <laughs> hey, see, those things uh, always last with me. Chris Chatty, that jobber Tom Brandy. It's well, always Chris, memorable. Chris Caddy is a jabber, though, not a jobber. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to a group just called Championship Wrestling. Oh, they yeah. ran a show in Connaught, Ohio, at the high school on November the 8th. Jack Booth over Hog Wilder. That's the best CW- wrestling name I've ever heard, Hog Wilder. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make 
if if any of you guys listening are independent wrestlers, we will make you a star, but we're renaming you Hog Wilder. <laughs> CW American Heavyweight Title Match: Barry Hardy retained over Thunder Morgan. Cody Michaels over Sheik Ahmed Hussein. Is that the same Ahmed for the nudie bar and Married with Children? That's probably <laughs> George Weinbrock, right? I don't know if he used Ahmed Hussein. But he Could was Sheik Hussein, wasn't he? Yeah. Davey Cones went to a double count out with Sherry Martell. I would have saw that one. Brian Knobs a revenge it by disqualification. Oh, boy, the jokes that Robert O'Connor would make if he was on this call about that result. And the Bushwhackers, <laughs> Luke and Butch over the Wild Islanders, no names listed in your main event. I'm going to assume this is Cody Michaels promoting. He's here, so I, it's a good assumption. Excuse me, Dr. Mark Keenan. <laughs> IWMS South ran some shows. Their first anniversary show, the Derby Sports Arena on November the 4th in Louisville. We're going to keep boss over Danny D. Wait, isn't Danny Rolling the on... promoter of that AEW promotion you were talking about? <laughs> This is D-E-E. Okay. Uh, either Mid-South Television title versus Hair. Rolling Hard retained his title, and Cashflow got his hair cut. Man Man Pondo beat Debbie Combs. What? Three-way for the IW Mid-South Heavyweight title. Bull Payne beat that jobber, Salvatore Sinceri, Tom Brandy, and Tracy Smothers, where the jobber was the champion. What? Paul Diamond over Flash Flanagan, and then Ian and Axelrod in the Bad Breed went to Texas. No, they went to a no contest. And a Texas Tornado match with Ox Harley and Steven Dunn. How does that happen? <laughs> Ask Ian Rotten. And then Lexington, Kentucky on November 7th for 149 fans. Three-way for the lightweight title. American mm-hmm. Kickboxer beat Sharp Boy and Turin. They had a title on the line for the first 10 minutes. False came work for the TV title. Cashflow beat Rolling Harder with the title. Brett Keed over Bobby Martin. Steven Dunn won a False Canyon work match over Billy Joe Travis. Man Man Pondo, Vox, Harley. Buddy Landell, Nature of Buddy Landell, became the new IWMSF heavyweight champion, beating Bull Payne. Amazing. And Ian Rotten over Doug Gilbert in your main event. Is this the Ian Rotten-Doug Gilbert match that apparently is very weird to watch because it is very obvious they are both trying to do Eddie Gilbert? Um, I don't know if this is the one. Uh... Okay. It's a weird looking early that? IWA sometimes. Yeah, who knew that IW Midsoft Heavyweight Champions were Salvatore Sinceri and but Nature Boy Buddy Landau? I'm curious to pull up the titles history now. Music oh. City well, Go ahead, Mikey. Don't do it. Yeah, Music City Wrestling. I just want to see some of the early ones, that's all. And, or, and the Fairgrounds in Nashville, Tennessee in front of 400 fans on November the 8th. Bobby Bronze over Ken Arden. Trip Art Trash over Shane Eden. Lone Eagle over Little Astro. Terry Golden over Jamie Dundee. Frenchy Riviera over Nick Densmore. That's a match. <laughs> Doug Gilmore, a first blood match over Nick Densmore. And Flash Flanagan over Wolfie D in your main event. Good stuff. Me to see wrestling. A fine independent wrestling promotion in this era. Yeah. All pro wrestling. Rolling on Xander at the garage for final Friday on November 7th. Donovan Morgan. The labels. <laughs> yes. Donovan Morgan won a 18 man battle royal. Jason C. Clay beat Chicano Flame. Ty Dalton over Dino Blade. Brent Murdoch over Rick Turner. Max Justice and Boom Boom Kamini over Donovan Morgan and Chris Cole. Truth, Elijah Wisdom and Tony Jones over Robert Thompson, Fit Grimes and Dick Grimes. And then Michael Modest retaining the Universal Heavyweight title beating Steve Rizzono in your main event. 
and Dick Grimes is friend of the show, Vinny Massaro, right? Yeah. To show and how long he's been around. Portland on November the 8th. Portland Wrestling. Chad with the time to draw with Samito. Chad. <laughs> Bart, Smart Bar Sawyer with Tony Cozina. Chevy Bergstrom and Lou Andrews over Chuck Gordy and Richie Magnet and Josh Wilcox and Matt Bourne over Bruiser Bryan and Confusion. Hmm. Lovely on. indie scene in the late 90s, Mikey. Only only four matches? That's just like one-third of one of my shows. Oh, I'm sure this is Portland, so there, may, there had to be at least one, two out of three fall smash, maybe two. And uh, I did just check. Vinny had just started in September, so he's only a couple months in here. So, yeah, Vinny just had his 25th anniversary in the wrestling business. Ooh. Still going strong. Yeah, I mean, this is probably, right now, it's probably the best run he's had in years and years, too. And this is and Josh Wilcox was a you know NFL football player played at the University of Oregon. Um, that was kind of a, a story locally of him going into the wrestling business and becoming a professional wrestler. And of course, he would work in ECW later on and stuff like that. But yeah, indie scenes always interesting to look at in the late '90s to see some of these uh, matchups of old veterans and young guys and stuff like that. Stuff you just don't get anymore. In the current indie scene, because mainly it's just, you know, the younger talent. You don't have the, you know, proliferation of WCW talent from the, you know, late 90s or 2000s, or though you have talent from the mid to late 2000s working indies. You know, you just don't have that. Because like they, won't, the, they, they won't, won't do, do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. why. You're right. I, I did get a barn burner out of David Young, though. Well, David Young, I mean, come on. But and he was son-in-law. I'm talking about guys like, uh, like if we're looking at like the Bushwhackers, okay, in 1997, somebody that'd be equivalent to that today's time would be some, you know, who? Ooh, okay. So if we say started in WWF a little less than a decade earlier, kind of peaked a few years later. Ooh, comedy team. I'm just saying, no, 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 just peak. People right. of that type of experience level. Oh, you mean experience level. level. You didn't mean archetype. Okay. Um, no. No, 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 oh, no, no. I no. mean, just they just... have decades and decades, though. I don't know who would be the, even remotely a comparison. No, I'll talk about that. It had just been on, like, main, oh, okay. main television. I'm, 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 just going, I'm going through the roster right now of, of talent. I mean... Well, everyone who got released in the last couple of years... A lot of them got told to stay tight, it seems, until uh, the coup was pulled. No, I'm just talking about like people like Tyler Rex. Oh. Or uh, even Alex Riley. People like that, you know, that were were on television and, you know, had, you know, had a name of that generation. Uh, but don't, just don't wrestle no more, you know? Well, the... Uh, the if the former Tyler Rex had more important things to deal with than professional wrestling in recent. Well, yeah, yeah, Alex Riley. Like I haven't seen anything from him. He was like, and does Chris uh, Masters even do anything anymore? He worked for me. Other than you, I mean, but that's about like recently. Recently, is he still doing NWA or anything? I think he is. Uh, Ezekiel Jackson. Oh, there's you another know. guy who should have just used his real name, Ricklon or Ricklon Stevens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I'm just looking at some of these other people that's on here. Uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah, a lot of these people are still working NWA. Yeah. Okay. A lot of these people are still around. Actually, it's just interesting to look at. Uh, in some form or fashion. Wow. They they are. Uh, Paul Burchill, Michael Tarver. Michael you know, Tarver like still that. wrestles. I'm just saying, somebody that would be in that type of. They were in the WWE over ten years ago. I think didn't didn't Michael Tarver like do stuff with AIW? He may have, but yeah, you just don't you just don't have that anymore, you know. So, not for the lack of trying by, you know, groups like Black Label, AIW, and the like. But uh, the last yeah. Michael Tarver results are from last year's Mania weekend, where he worked a uh, VIP TV taping of allegedly. In Tampa. Again, where he lost to Lou Gotti. Lou Gotti. Anyway, there you go. All right, let's go and close the show with everyone's favorite world championship wrestling. The political situation in 1998 is going to be incredibly weird. With Sting, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Bret Hart, Roddy Piper, Randy Savage, Scott Hall, and Kevin Nash all under one roof fighting for creative control, so to speak. It's the seven figures plus freed in the WF talent budget by Hart Brett leaving. Don't be shocked to see members of the aforementioned cast who don't survive at the top of the hill to start looking to see if they can find the top of a different hill. Which goes into what we talked about in the Patreon show with Hulk Hogan. You know, I, I still believe that Vince McMahon in this time period right here won't talk Hogan back. And we know he definitely talked to the Warrior too. So... Definitely, if, if you look at this list of people, the one that I would think would be the most likely one to leave at this point in time would be Hulk Hogan. I, I would have loved to see Piper going back to the Attitude Era, though. I just thought that that'd be so fun, uh, just ha- having him there, uh, just just doing anything for a little bit, just let, letting his crazy out. It would have been interesting, to say the least. <laughs> For sure, you know, with Piper at this point in time and how he was uh, acting and everything. But, uh, the, but yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of sharks in that water that's in WCW at this time right here. Oh, yeah. I mean, and they were all over the hill. That's what it should say, because they are all older wrestlers and they all they all still had juice in the tank, though. Like, but it's it's just that there were so many of them and and. You know, like that they would even say the reason they got paid, a lot, you know, like every everyone using them, uh, like you know all the, you know Kevin Sullivan would would always say that, uh, you know he couldn't explain to the Turner executives that these guys are making all this money and and they're in the second match, so they had to push them to the top because because that's what they were paying them for. So it didn't matter how good or how shitty they were, they. You know, it was there's a pecking order, and that's the thing I think wrestling fans don't look at. Bex is you got these guys you're paying big money to, and you know, I can hear so well, you need to let the young guys, you know, push young guys. Yeah, you need to push young guys, but you're paying a lot of big money out to these guys, and if you're gonna do that, you need to get your money's worth out of them, you know, and their star power. Well, I mean. Here's the other thing. 
this is kind of a natural end point for Hogan based on what the booking is setting up in theory. That's exactly right. <laughs> I mean, you would think that this is the, if Hogan's going to leave now is the time for him to go away, mm-hmm. whether it's the WF or just go away. He needed to leave after Sting beat him. And I guess maybe after he got his rematch and Sting beat him again, then he leaves. There's no way that he would he would do that rematch and lose again. There's just no way. No, I mean, I mean, and you're right. You're probably right, but at least he should have left after Star K. Star Star K would have been the perfect finale for him because it does, like, you know, he he was the. I mean, could you imagine him showing up the night? Because it would show up the night after WrestleMania. Okay, could you imagine him showing up the night after WrestleMania? Wrestling fans, especially in the Attitude Era, had sh- such short attention span because everything was coming at us so fast. Like that four months would have felt like a lifetime. It would not have mattered. So he w- he could have come to Raw and whatever he did, it didn't matter him losing to Sting and you know at Starcade. It would have just been you know f- a fresh, like a fresh place for him to work. It probably w- it would have helped his career. Well, yeah, you're put your he's playing ball with a whole new team because that you look at the the scene at the in, in 1998 compared to when he left in '93, everybody's different on top except Undertaker. Oh yeah, and but I mean, remember this is, yeah, uh, and this is a different version of the Undertaker, even though. Yeah, it is. So, so it'd be a totally different, uh, a fresher look. But uh, just imagine a '98 Hogan Austin run. Oh yeah! I mean, good God! Yeah, Hogan, that... Hogan being Vince's guy to go against Austin? Are you kidding me? As he, Hogan and Vince as heels? Oh yeah, that would have been so great. I could just picture Hogan wearing <laughs> just you know a suit with the sleeves cut off. Just yeah, exactly. And you think about you think about the the big problem in all the whole Vince thing is there was no other guys. They 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 beat Foley up. So much, and he he uh, he had all three versus Foley involved, and then you have you know it's the same guys. If you put plug Hogan in that thing, their business is even bigger. That's always my favorite dream booking uh, regarding Foley is if he wouldn't have left WCW, and he was there for the Hogan era. Era, could you imagine that Mick Foley and and Macho Man feud, and how great that could have been? (laughs) I don't know if Foley would have been able to, to stick around in Hogan's. Hogan's political power. It's not his type of guy. He would have been buried. Oh, for for sure, for sure. But he, like, at least one match with Hogan, though. I, I don't know if Hogan would have had that. You don't, <laughs> I don't think know if so? Put, no, I mean, uh, I don't. If think he was, Hogan if he was willing to work, Foley. if he was willing to work with Vader, I think he was willing to, you know, at well, least. But, I mean, but, you can't you can't say there's that much of a difference when it comes to just overall. You know, kind of stiffness in the match. No, but but, but Vader Vader is of was of higher standing than Foley was in the promotion. You know, Foley had his had his run. You know, but he never was a major singles champion. He wasn't a former world champion. You know, so and Vader was seen as the big deal and one of the big deals of WCW. Foley was, you know, had like I said, had his run, tag team champion, of course, memorable character, over, but he wasn't at the Vader level of 
status, so to speak, company-wise. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting to, to think about what could have happened in this era and how different both promotions are. Because if Hogan leaves WCW, then Bret Hart doesn't have that problem. That's 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 there on him. And what the bitterness or? <laughs> oh no, the Hogan, Hogan, you know, political maneuvering. And Bret, uh, Bret got along good with Hall and Nash. We're well, not just about Nash, to say but, that, like, put the screws to him or anything, but. Hall they got along well. Probably would have mostly just been happy to have him there. Yeah, because they got Ho- got Hogan out for him. <laughs> yeah, but isn't but hasn't yeah. Nash hasn't Nash said like one of the reasons he left was because Bret Hart uh, with the power bomb, like he didn't want to make it look like he was about to get beat, and then he decided that I'm 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 almost positive that there is that issue between Bret and Kevin Nash. I'm sure there was probably something, but I mean, they they were very friendly with each other in WF, so there is that too. All right, well let's um, change here and go to the Frozen Torch for a couple things. Here. Well, this is all one big thing. Eric Bischoff wants to abolish WCW's tag team division. <laughs> the rumor has been circulating for weeks, and Bischoff finally proposed it openly last week, ruffling a few feathers in the process. Bischoff simply doesn't care for tag team wrestling, in part because of the economics of paying four wrestlers for one match instead of two wrestlers. That is amazing. Because the proposal was met with such scorn, if not ridicule, Bischoff has softened his stance and only wants to eliminate all tag team wrestling for a few months, then gradually reintroduce it. The idea now is to make the tag team division eventually consist of mainly singles wrestlers who team up, and then consist of concept teams who only wrestle tag matches. The apparent reasoning behind the philosophy is that Bishop believes that the gimmick or concept tag team approach, face of fear, high voltage, public enemy, Harlem heat, etc., is antiquated and that all talent is better utilized in singles competition. Yeah, the idea is for tag teams to still exist, but consist of two established single wrestlers like Hall and Nash, Lex Luger and the Giant. That's not set well with several tag teams, including the Steiners and Public Enemy. Since concept teams aren't considered to be drawing cards at arenas, it's considered an expensive part of the roster, both in terms of salaries and travel expenses. The belief is money would be better spent on two singles matches or tag matches with four single wrestlers who are over with fans. That is a belief long held by Vince McMahon, who has always limited the concept team roster to just a small handful at a time. Decisions to eliminate tag team matches is not finalized and may be dropped entirely. It depends on Bischoff's eventual decision over the next few weeks. What a fucking idiot. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, this was a running thing though with Bischoff, you know, for for the rest of WCW. But he's in charge. That man lucked in to so much in his career that it it blows my mind. If it well, was he, ju- he knows uh, how to play the game. He knows how to play the game, man. No, he got lucky that people didn't take his horrible ideas and run with them, like. You know, just because there was, if he was, if he was Vince McMahon and actually made this decision, you know, people would shit all over it because it makes no sense. Like that was one of the that was one of the the small things that was decent about WCW at this point was was the tag teams, and it's like, you know, especially especially like, um, this is ninety seven, so yeah, like. Yeah, the tag team division there is still so hot. 
And it it always, you know, for the three, four years before that, it was, I mean, five years before, like, they always had such good teams in WCW compared to WWE, I thought. And just to to get rid of that, to save money, like, what, this, this company's blowing money on everything. How is that? How is that a smart decision? I it it just I feel like it's just a decision to make a decision. Well, also, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, go ahead. Sorry. What I was gonna say was, uh, look, I'm normally pro guaranteed contracts, although I think the downside guarantee idea, where you have at least incentives, is better. Although it doesn't have to be artificially low, but still, hey, Eric. You know how they dealt with this in the territories? In places where you were getting a percentage, especially for the main event, they didn't change the percentage that the match got. They just split it up among more people. Yeah. I think that's just an excuse. I just don't think he liked tag team wrestling. probably is. But, oh, wonder where he got that idea from, pal. (laughs) Yes. But I mean, but it's right here too. Like you know, Vince. Look at all those. Look at all the the tag team champions. Well, Vince got it from his old man. I mean, look at look at the old WWF and the tag teams. You had heel teams that were concept teams, but you didn't have that with baby faces. It was always two guys put together. That was it. You know. So and it worked for that territory. That that public enemy trajectory, like around this time, was was so crazy, because it's like they they had their run here, which I thought was interesting. They were over for sure, and it was you know like they were kind of a WCW bushwhackers in a way of just you know. Yeah, that's exactly right. You're right. That's a good and, call. And then they went to ECW barely at all, and. Uh, and WWF was that for the like equal to barely legal ECW barely at all. <laughs> yes, yeah. No, <laughs> uh, I walked into that. No, but like, and then they had their cup of coffee where they got their ass kicked by um, the APA, and then went back to WCW for you know a literal junkyard match, and I think that was pretty much it. And then what? What else did they do? That was it for their career, basically. Yeah, that was it. Do, do some, I think they did some indie stuff. But, yeah. It, it's just, I get it. I understand it. But, you, I mean, tag team wrestling in the South, especially, you know, it's, it's different. You know, um, Southern, the Southern Territories had a lot of history. Crockett's Territory was built on tag team wrestling. So I mean, it's just it's a whole different deal. But, I love uh, I love tag team wrestling. Yes, yeah, it's, it's fantastic when it's done right. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, but, I'm tell, I'm telling you guys right now, uh, with indie wrestling, Dog and Hog are going to be a big tag team. Remember me saying that. Dog and Hog. Yes. There you go, folks. You heard it here first. But yeah, I mean, tag team wrestling is is uh, is fantastic. Like I said, if it's done right, it's hard to beat. Absolutely. All right. Well, I mean, it, this is something that goes on off and on. Like I said, throughout Bischoff's run, so it is what it is. Nitro, November third at the Spectrum, 
Philadelphia drew 15,366, 13,155, paying 219, 323, and 102,233 in merchandise. Not bad. The show opened with two dark matches, didn't get over well at all the crowd. The legendary Chavo Guerrero Sr., at the age of 48, was brought in and beat Lenny Lane in a slow match. Although Chavo did use his moonsault block as his finisher. Chavo Sr. hasn't wrestled regularly in many years, and it showed, and new fans have no clue about a guy whose heyday was the mid to late 70s. Chavo Guerrero Sr. getting a dark match at WCW. That's fantastic. He could still Lenny Lane. that time. Yeah, and I guess Lenny Lane, too. I mean, he just going for when he had his last WWF run, WWE run. Chubba Classic. Yeah. Just going for a beat Jacqueline with the Stokehold Stunner. Just didn't get over at all. Or, excuse me, the Chart Buster. <laughs> After the match, Harley oh, destroyed this. Uh, Tom Waller's favorite cute wrestling hold. <laughs> and uh, Harley, he destroyed this after the match. Nitro started with Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko beating Rey Mysterio Jr. and Lord Steven Regal in one of those AAA-type Perejas Incredibles-type matches. Ray was awesome. And then with Eddie powerbombing Ray, but as he climbed to the top for a big frog splash, Dean tagged his back and jumped in and got the submission with the Texas Clover 352. Really, it was the only good match of the entire show. I do like the cute concept of having Eddie and Dean team together in Philadelphia. That's a nice little tip of the hat to the Philly fans there. I do like that. ECW stalwarts. Dennis Roddy Piper suffered nerve damage in the face in his Havoc post-match to explain why he won't be on TV for the next few weeks. That's an interesting injury. <laughs> nerve damage in his face. Um, good luck with that. Fifth Finley pin Squire David Taylor with a Tombstone pile driver in 259. Finley's a great worker within his elements since he's really solid but not flashy. He's not the kind of guy that I get over in this country doing three-minute matches. Well, how about that? <laughs> well, not doing three-minute matches, no. <laughs> I mean, they, I guess Dave's right with, with that caveat, but Finley did get over in this country. So it took a while, but he did. Bischoff's interview said the entire NWO, including Hogan and Nash, would be at Nitro next week, and they have a surprise announcement. He really ran down Vincent Man USA Network for trying to steal the thunder of Escape from Devil's Island and programming the Survivor Series flashback on the same night. And in a shoot, crowed about the ratings, saying that it, if it beat a 4.0, which it did, that they promised to make a series out of it. Actually, in trade journals, they're already advertising that they were filming 23 episodes of the show called Shadow Warriors. Starring Hogan and Carl Weathers and trying to sell the show overseas. Well, okay. Okay, for starters, that's not the name of the movie, Dave. <laughs> it's Assault. I kind of want to hear this Bischoff interview. Island. Okay, yeah, let's. Uh, hold on. Let me pull this up now. Eric Bischoff <laughs> calls in to address Hogan. Is the correct thing here, I presume? I mean, it's after. It's in the, the line of the show here, so I guess it would be. So it's by telephone. Yes. As I go to share the screen to see how the announcers react and what wonderful photo of Bischoff they use for this. <laughs> uh, what the... I mean, there's more I want to talk about here, too. But, like, well, I don't think this says. becomes a series. This isn't a series. I think Dave is... Dave must have been said something got confused about, about how that's the international title, Shadow Warriors. But I'll dig as we play this. Hold it, hold it, hold it. What do you mean, hold it? Who's this? This is Eric Bischoff. You know exactly who this is. 
We should note, by the way, he never got officially returned to power in storyline. It just happened. <laughs> of course. He's just magically able to take over the broadcast with a phone call. WCW, everybody. Hang up on him. Don't hang up on anybody. Eric Bischoff? That's right. Well, I'm sure you must be basking in the glory of assault on Devil's Island, but thinking long and hard. Shut up, up, Shivani. I'm basking in the glory of a number of things. Number one, let's take them one at a time, and I'll talk real slow so you and and, and the rest of the people there in Philadelphia, especially that chump on your left, Larry Zabisco, can understand it. Number one, Sting and Hogan. First of all, you three sit up there and you make it sound like Hogan has been trying to hide from Sting for the last 13 or 15 months. Well, I got some news for you. Let's put it in the proper perspective. Hulk Hogan has challenged Sting on numerous occasions. You have been there. I have been there. The world has been there when Hogan has laid his belt down in the middle of the ring, looked up into the rafters or wherever the hell else Sting was hiding, and said, come on down. If you want a shot, you got a shot. And you know what? He never showed because the man is a coward. Finally, Hogan had, he, he couldn't take it anymore. He finally signed an open contract, and the gutless piece of garbage finally showed up and signed the contract. That is Hogan that challenged Sting, not vice versa. So keep that in perspective. Secondly, I'm real sorry to hear about what happened to Roddy Piper. I understand that he may have some nerve damage to the side of his head. Well, that's consistent with the brain damage that he must have sustained to even step into the ring with Hogan, particularly in a cage. And I would, I would surmise that Sting is suffering from the same kind of brain damage. Third... The movie, and you're right, we are all basking in the glow of Assault on Devil's Island because you, just like Vince McMahon and the USA Network, everybody tried to put the movie down. McMahon came out with his best of the best Survivor Series and tried to put a hundred of his so-called superstars and Hogan in his prime against Assault on Devil's Island for one reason and one reason only, and that is to steal Hogan's thunder. Well, guess what? You know it. All of the people in TNT know it. Everybody in Hollywood knows it. It was a miserable failure. A miserable failure. And that's what we are basking in the glow of. And you know what else we're basking in the glow of? The fact that we've got a clause in that agreement that says if we achieve the rating of 4.0, we have the option to do a series. So guess what? As much as you love us, and I know you do, there's more to come. And speaking of more to come, and I know you want to get your, get a word in edgewise here, but Shivoni, take your time. You, you'll get your shot. Shivoni. More to come <laughs> next week. The entire NWO. Next Hogan, week. Hall, Six, Hennig, Norton, Bagwell, the whole crew, including the big man, are going to be on hand. And we've got a huge, huge surprise for everyone in WCW. Oh, including the big man, Kevin Nash, next week. Huh? Absolutely. Thanks for your time. You're more than welcome. Anytime, Shivoni. And, and by the way, yeah. that diet, not working. Thanks. <laughs> hang up on him. Uh, what a jerk. Where are we going now? We're going to go to the footage here's here. The thing. We'll do the footage later, maybe. All right. All right. Why, All right. why, just real fast, why would he say in Hulk Hogan in his prime? I mean, we have him after his prime currently. Yeah. Why would he say that? He's stupid. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. But my thing is, is why is it this being piped into the arena because you hear the fans in the background chanting boring because there's nothing going on they're just sitting there you know not knowing because there's no 
you know, screens on the wall or nothing. Why is it this being piped in the arena so they can hear what Bischoff is saying, so they can react? That's a problem. All right, Bix, what are your thoughts on uh, Bischoff there uh, shooting on Vince and USA Network? Get over yourself. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> yeah, just just the ego on him is just insane. Just, like... I mean, he's just going, he, like, obviously he had, you know, hurt feelings about that, about them putting the best of the best Survivor Series, which I don't know uh, what that was. But, like, you know, like, of course they're going to, you know, counter-program. That is, this is a business. Like, they, they want the market share always. That's. You know, and you have every right to be upset about it, but it, just do something. Don't complain about it because that makes you look terrible. It's the fact that he's openly talking about Vincent Man and stuff like that on on, the, on television. It kind of it's that it's even at this point in time, there's still like that taboo thing to do. You know, ooh, he's talking about Vince. It's about the competition on on the show. You know, yeah, and I and I used to think. That's you know, edgy and cool, man. Yeah, that's and I I did think that when I was young, like I because I was a WCW guy, as everyone knows, um, and it's like I thought that stuff was cool, and I like I said we talked about Dustin Rhodes earlier. I thought that that like you know kind of like blurring the line. Uh, I thought that stuff was cool too. Um, it's just eventually it stops being cool because they do so much of it and then they don't know what they're what they're doing anymore it's kind of just all runs together exactly here i am fucking cornet okay <laughs> god damn okay i did oh. just check yes dave, dave was actually right so we go how about to... that huh well, okay, so here's what we've got as I go to what magazine. Okay, so this is from the September 26th issue of Broadcast in their rundown of uh, people, well, companies who are vending, uh, not vending, not the right word, who are showcasing their shows and movies at uh, at uh, the MIPCOM convention, in, I believe, in the UK. And under the Alliance Communica uh, Communications Corporation banner, we do have... Shadow Warriors Assault on Devil's Island, which it says is a two-hour pilot for a potential 22-episode one-hour series. So they were kind trying to you... use it as a serious pilot. Yeah. It kind of makes you wonder, you know, if Hogan, if Hogan gets, a, a, gets that and turned into a series, I mean, that changes a lot of things, too, with, with Hogan. Because he had to be filming and doing all that stuff, so he wouldn't be around either. Right. Clearly, he is trying to sell a TV show again at this time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we fast forward to May 20th, Business Wire. Los Angeles, Toronto. A TNT Nitro original movie. They were still calling those that? Yes. Starring Terry Hulk Hogan, Shannon Tweed, and Carl Weathers is in production in Vancouver, Canada. Terry Hulk Hogan stars... Excuse me, Terry Hulk Hogan... Stars in the action-adventure Shadow Warriors 2, Hunt for the Death Merchant. This two-hour oh, movie yeah. 
is the sequel to last year's smash hit, Shadow Warriors Assault on Devil's <laughs> Island, which premiered on Turner Network Television's highly successful Nitro Original Movie Night. Principal photography is underway in Vancouver, Canada. Alliance holds worldwide distribution and merchandising rights. A Crescent Entertainment Production Association with Alliance, Shadow Warriors 2, Hunt for the Death Merchant, premieres this fall on TNT. Repeating their successful and highly, highly rated collaboration on Shadow Warriors Assault on Devil's Island, one of the top five most-watched original cable movies of 1997, Doug Schwartz returns that. as executive <laughs> producer for, of the show with John C. John, excuse me, John Casser, uh, directing again from a script by Cal Clemens Jr. of Cry for Justice, Terry <laughs> Hulk Krogan, and Crescent Entertainment's Harold Tishner are also executive producers. Led by retired SEAL Mike McBride, Hogan. How many times in a row is he playing a retired Navy SEAL? <laughs> Others love that name, Mike McBride. Well, also, now he's trying to pitch another series, and both both shows he tried to pitch as a series, he played a retired Navy SEAL. Oh, gee, I wonder who was on his mind constantly at that time. <laughs> the body. Yeah. Who's running for governor? Has the he announced body. yet at this point? I mean, it's be, I mean, it's definitely been talked about. I mean, it's I mean well, rumored, by the yeah. point this this comes out, yes, but not at the time they would have made Shadow Warriors originally. I don't think Shadow Warriors. Well, we're talking yeah, about violence. You know how much that had to have bothered Hogan. Just the <laughs> attention, just the attention alone. That's that why. That's had, why I did the whole president bullshit for sure. Because he's like, oh, I need to. Yeah, I am for a sure. bigger star as professional wrestler, so obviously, if Jesse Ventura can become governor, I, Hulk Hogan, can become president. Yeah, I mean, I, that's absolutely what it was. And, you know, back then we're like, haha, like there's a decent chance still now. I don't know. I don't know. You never yeah. know. Modern times. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember what a Shannon Tweed's character's name was? No idea. You're going to hear this and you're going to agree with me that it's the most perfect possible name for a Shannon Tweed character in a Hulk Hogan, former Navy SEALs uh, movie to be. Hunter Wiley. <laughs> yeah, well, she's Shannon Tweed at this point is not too far from uh, doing Skinamax films of Andrew Stevens. So, uh, yeah. And the, Good old uh, Shannon Tweed. The villain in this sequel is played by the guy who played the chief coroner on uh, Da Vinci's Inquest, for anyone who used to watch that show. Okay. Alright, Eugene Nagata beat Psychosis with a Nagata lock in 350. After the match, Sonny Ono put a 100 peso bill on Psychosis as severance pay. Mike, today would explain what an insult that was because it's only worth $13 US. That tells you how much the peso has been devalued. $100 is 13 bucks here. Oof. Uh, Raven was did, did an interview. One inside rib was talking about sitting next to Teresa Hayes in third row at school. That's the real name of Beulah McGillicuddy. <laughs> I love Easter eggs like that. Oh, I I didn't know, I never knew that before. That's pretty great. Yeah. You mean that he made this reference here specifically? Yeah, yeah. I were yeah, like I didn't realize, you know, that it was Beulah. That's pretty great. Yeah. 
Perry Saturn on the TV talk from Disco Inferno in 638 with a form of an armbar submission. Rings of Saturn. Saturn was told not to do any high flying because his knee is clearly not 100%, and his offense consists of suplexes and submissions with no play into the crowd. It didn't come off as a copy of Taz, as ECW people have been talking all week about, but it was totally different than how Saturn used to work. Match wasn't good. Scott Hall came out wearing a tag title. They mm-hmm. guess the Anglers at Hall and Nash are going to proclaim themselves as the real tag champions since they never lost the titles and bought themselves belts. Wait, that was how they introduced the new tag title belts? I guess. Hall then lost Chris Jericho clean in the middle in 241 with a good surprise finish and then beat him after the match. Same thing we just saw that angle with Hector Gaza. Yes, you did. <laughs> Larry Zbysko made the save and challenged Hall to a match, but of course Hall didn't accept. Hector Gaza. You know, you know, Jericho still brings that up. He's like, yeah, I beat Scott Hall clean in the middle right there on Nitro. <laughs> yeah. Look how jacked Scott Hall was then, man. What a gosh. I, I, I loved Scott Hall at this time. I thought he, he had the most star potential out of any of them in the NWO. Like I, you know, Nash was obviously bigger, but like, Scott had such great matches too. Like he had great matches. He looked great. His promos are great. It's just like they just needed that one little push to get him like to that next level. Well, he was he was he was sat. Him and Nash were saddled together as a team because Hogan did Hogan did not want them singles because they would you know be a threat to him. They're not a threat to him if they're tag team. Yeah, you know? it, and if Nash, I mean, you know, Nash eventually has his issues with his legs. If he was out at some point for, you know, nine months or something like that, and they would have, uh, you know, really, really put some work into Scott Hall, like push him in that direction. God, like just, well, Scott's about to win world war three. Yeah. Oh, and me, to be to have the future title shot that he never gets. All right. People are going to mock me for this, but I don't care. I loved Scott Hall so much at this point that me, a, how old was I at this time? 14 year old or, you know, it was around this time. I had the Scott Hall stand up in my room. I had the, I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't have girls in bikinis. No, I had men in trunks and I had that <laughs> Scott Hall stand up in my bedroom. And I like, cause I just, I loved him so much. He was so great. He cracked me up. Like just everything with a toothpick, all just, I love Scott Hall. Hey, yo. Uh... Hey, yo. Yeah. <laughs> okay, are we going to watch uh, this and see how he, put quote-unquote, puts him over? I guess we can. Again. Oh, come on, knock it off. Get I the mean, referee in there to slap him. One of the outsider's edges enough. Oh, wait, that was after the finish. Sorry. Good job. Remember when the, I mean, remember the original network where they actually had the separate, uh, they had the separate chapter marks for the finishes? Well... They don't need that no more. Nah, They're making big that. money. Well, also remember we, yeah, we never had the Jericho any, music. Yeah, we never had any of these issues with the weird network web interface buffering on the uh, old baseball advanced media version. Oh, here we go. It's the international. This is the international Dubex. Yeah, but we had these issues before we needed a VPN for it. It was the international network. Uh, I know. And we had to issue these, these exact problems before we ever needed a VPN for it. All right. I hope I didn't go back too far. Larry, there's no question in Jericho's success as a cruiserweight, including the, the stint that he had as world's champion. Last week, we witnessed Jericho's heart 
as he battled Eddie Guerrero on Nitro just 24 hours. I like Tenay's phrasing there to say cruiser, cruiserweight division and then world champion. Do you get what I'm saying? It, it gives more credibility. Yeah. After nearly suffering a devastating injury at Halloween Havoc, and we say there's no questioning his heart, but I wonder how smart it is to step up against Scott Hall this evening. Well, you got to take a leap of faith sometime. I mean, Scott Hall's a big, tough guy, but Scott Hall is not invincible. No one is, and uh, Hollywood Hogan should realize that. Up, he caught him in midair, and... Oh, great maneuver. I just don't think Jericho has the experience to deal with Hall. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Experience to deal with Hall. Experience to deal with the new world order. Crisply executed fallaway slam by Scott Hall. And we see Jericho favoring the head and back of the neck. Possibly still feeling the after effects of last week's match at Halloween Havoc. Did you hear he said, hey, Zabisco, well, I, got some, I got something for him, too. He said, this one's for you. I don't want to try to really... Uh, Egg on anything here, but I'd like to see hey, him go. Hey, kick the corner. How about look at the kid. Got him. Up one, two. He oh! He's got him. Oh! Chris Jericho just beats Scott Hall. Nice goal, Hall. Take your mind off. Hey, that was unbelievable. Do they really not have the ability to pay a little bit for, this, for the original production music? I mean, come on. What the hell was that music? That sounded like revenge. It's Jericho's WWE, WWE music. No, he's kidding. He's talking about people thinking it's <laughs> R- Rage Against the Machine. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, no. What a shocker! <laughs> now look at the Hall attack the That's back of the, the head down. of Jericho. Right. I think we know what's next. Oh, the outsider edge, you're right. This youngster pounded. And the same thing he did against... Garza, same thing he did against Tanahashi. Yeah. Hang on, hang on. The, the music that Jericho used was the. No, by this point, I think it's fake even flow. At this point already? Uh, yeah, it's November 97. I think yeah, you may be right. Yeah, he did have it as a baby face. You're right. He did. That that original music was so good. Now let's go to the Armstrongs, which is like the most bitching guitar solo. Uh, that was the best music that there was, but uh, Arn Anderson had great music too. But which one? Yeah, a lot of a lot of songs. No, the, hang on, let me. Yeah, yeah, everyone, we're about to go down a rabbit hole. I'm just letting everyone know. Hell yeah! <laughs> this is the music you should be using in AEW. Oh, and this has the lyrics too. This version. But he does the line, with the line art thing. This, I mean, this is what he should have been using. Ah, I like a lot. Yeah, yeah. This, better. this was so like that. Such good music. I'm telling you, People man. People were legit pissed at that. That when he when he did start doing the Lionheart gimmick again, that he did not use his song. Yeah, yes. I don't blame him. Well, it probably would have cost Tony less than White Zombie. So, yeah. Yeah, that's. I want to hear the vocals. Get the 
I mean, called the perfect days for a of John Cusack film. I have John Cusack tattooed on me, actually. Oh, how about that? I, I do, I do. So, all right, Bix. Now, now you play the Armstrong music. Um, <laughs> WCW. So I think you can hear this, that. I think this Jericho theme might also be the same guy that did the uh, the New Japan Ultimo Dragon dub theme too. And I'm no, not, I'm not, uh, no, because oh, what's his face? The guy that does the themes podcast on um, Voices of Wrestling Network. I feel like there were other wrestling themes they found that guy did. Go ahead. No. What were you saying, Mikey? No, I, I don't remember. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't even remember what I was saying. Oh, Would you like to know? Yeah, what that would have been that been a a hit in 1990 on uh, some hair band. Absolutely. Well, this piece of production music is called "Rock Garden" by Rick Braun. Uh, it is available on Rock Volume Four. <laughs> Mikey's gonna go buy that album as soon as possible. Hell yeah, man! Just all right. Well, let's get back. The, to I the, love the Armstrongs. Let's get back to Nitro. Oh, Who doesn't? <laughs> Why not? Mike today did his final Lucha feature, explaining the names and illustrating 10 or 11 of the most prevalent moves of Lucha Libre. Now there's no excuse for announcers not to know what those moves are. This was an excellent feature. Yeah, let's watch the final edition of Lucha Libre and the Mexican Luchadors. Right? <laughs> Lucha Libre and the Mexican Luchadors. The high-risk, high-flying aerial assault of the Luchadors has revolutionized the sport of professional wrestling around the world. Moves that thrill the crowds and devastate their opponents. La Mahi Strong Cradle, the Rolla, La Tapatia, the Inverted Surfboard, or the Rito Romero Special, the Gory Special, invented by Eddie's legendary father, Gory Guerrero, the Frog Splash, developed by Eddie's late tag partner, Art Barr. Plancha, the flying cross body block. Tope Suicida, the suicide dive. The triple tope, the Huracan Rana, with or without a springboard, popularized in the U.S. as a Frankenstein. Corkscrew Pescado, Guillotine Lake Drop, Senton Splash, Acai Moonsault, namesake move of Ultimo Dragon. 450 splash off the top. Corkscrew plancha. Arguably the most dangerous move of all. Air Hoovy. <laughs> smaller Hoovy. and lighter luchadors rely on speed and acrobatics rather than the power of their Jesus. American counterparts. Due to the lucha influence, wrestlers worldwide have adopted many of these daredevil maneuvers. We've seen the present. Who knows what the future brings from Lucha Libre and the Mexican luchadors. I like how it went from here some basic Lucha Libre moves to here a bunch of high spots that some of these guys do. <laughs> That's basically what it is. Here's the thing, though: this all these skits built up to what's what, what's about to happen. They did a Lucha Battle Royal, which went nowhere for a few minutes, so the giant came up to short everyone. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> WCW, everybody. Uh, <laughs> let's build all. Let's build this up. I, like, these I, features and just kill them all in one segment. 
like that. Oh. That super close stuff was. Oh wild, god, yeah, man. he was reckless. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he's crazy. Almost broke his ankles on the guardrail. <laughs> but yeah, let's this is let's just build this up. You know, make this into a big deal, and then have all of them get destroyed by the giant for really no fucking reason, just to do it. It's amazing. Hey, it, is this the only appearance of uh, Halloween as Halloween is to, on WCW programming? Oh, no, wait, uh, it, is, wait it is the Cyclope mask. Never mind. Cyclope it's a mask, Cyclope mask that looks much more like the Halloween mask than his other masks. Yeah, he's got the the eye. Yeah. So, anyway. But, uh, but yeah, just ridiculous. All right, so from there... Ray, Tr- oh, excuse me, Ric Flair beat Alex Wright with a figure four and seven fit 44 for decent match. Ric Flair's pet project two years earlier. Now he's beating him in the in a mid card match on Nitro. Ray Trailer pins Steve Mongo met Michael in 444, a really bad match. Sounds like a match up your alley, Mikey Lenton. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how about how now the go position or gorilla or the dusty position, AEW, is now the Mongo position? Okay. That's all right. I mean, yeah. Mongo didn't run production, so I, I'm curious why that's the specific thing you would honor Mongo with. Yeah, that, him. But, odd. Uh, odd, but yeah. Anyway, Mongo was distracted by Bill Goldberg for the finish, although it came off really bad. Steiner's Republic gave me a street fight where Scott pinned Johnny Grunge outside the ring at 535. Grunge went through two tables when Rick moved, or at least was supposed to move, as he nearly lost his ear not getting out of there in time. Ugh. That don't sound good. I'm almost losing an, an ear. Or Bang, bang. Finally, Kurt Henning beat Lex Luger by disqualification at 1026 when Rick Flair attacked Kurt Henning. Luger was mad at Flair for costing the U.S. title match, and the two had words the show went off the air. It is very interesting. Hold on, just a second, Mike. It's very interesting that Luger comes back to WCW in 1995. We never get a Flair Luger program. When they had great chemistry against each other. They had, what, one Nitro main event, and that was about it? Yes. Like early Nitro main events, so it was short, too. Mm hmm. Until they get programmed together, you know, years later. But, yeah, go ahead, Mike. You were going to say something. I was just going to say, like, oh, which, like, Luger did every time he got hit and or he did hit, which he's just one of the best ever. I love him. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's crazy how they never put them two against each other for a program, considering all the history they had and the time had passed enough where you could go back to that and it's fresh again. It is, that's wild. Yeah, I mean, that feud was one of the finest allocates of their time together <laughs> in uh, uh, wrestling. So, so Tom Buchanan, uh, me being a collector, uh, legendary WWF photographer, Tom Buchanan, I have him on the Facebook. And the he, Facebook? The yes, WCW? Yes. And uh, I have bought some original promos off of him. Uh I have sent some to Bix before, uh, Rex Lardner, and very random ones that I've gotten off him. Uh, but he 
hated Lex Luger. Like anytime he puts up anything with Lex Luger, he'll be like, what a waste of time he was. <laughs> like he just did not like him at all and always take shots at him every, every chance he, he gets. And it, it makes me laugh every time just cause like everyone else has moved so far past, you know, like being mad at Lex because of, you know, he's a changed man now, and he went through a very bad situation, but not Tom Oh, he's Buchanan. totally changed, yeah. Not Tom Buchanan. He's just like, fuck you. Fuck you, Larry Fole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, so Nitro did a 3.92 rating, 4.28 first hour, 3.68 second hour, 5.73 share for a show without Hogan, Savage, Piper, Sting, or Nash. To Ross, 2.63 rating, 2.53 first hour, 2.73 second hour, 3.96 share. Nitro's replay did a 1.57 rating or 3.28 share. It was a typical pattern where Nitro peaked from 8.45 to 9 before Raw and football started with Disco and Saturn and Flair's interview. Ross showed a small growth, 2.5-2.7, when Nitro went off the air, even though it was those Bariquas versus the New Age Outlaws. And it peaked to a 2.9 for Michaels to share Brock. Head to head segments, WCW drew a 3.68 to WS 2.57. So, yeah, they're still kicking the shit out of them in the ratings. Handling at this point in time. Yep. With all that star power name on the show. I mean, that's a lot of star power that's not there. So, yeah, interesting. After Nitro off the air, Steve Everett, the senator of the Philadelphia Eagles, was shown on camera with two other Eagles in the front row, was arrested on the way home for the matches. He was stopped for going 74 miles an hour in a 50-mile-an-hour zone and arrested for DWI in possession of drug paraphernalia, a marijuana smoking pipe. No drugs were found in his car, though. Uh, Mike. (laughs) Okay, Dave. Or is this Wade or Dave? This is Dave. But, I mean, Steve Everett was a Pro Bowl center in the National Football League. One of the better ones at the time. And uh He was just going out trying to enjoy a night of wrestling. Had a couple had a couple brewskis <laughs> and wanted to get a little high. That's okay. He he lives a rough life. All right, I found the uh I found the AP article on this. Uh Stephen Everett was charged with drunken driving possession of drug paraphernalia, blah blah blah. Lives in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Was stopped at twelve thirty seven AM by police who said they found a marijuana pipe in his car. Breath test was administered. He was charged with driving while intoxicated. Police would not release the results. The blood alcohol limit in New Jersey is point one oh. He was charged with speeding, but police would not say how fast he was traveling in the fifty mile hour zone, which we know that. He was released on his own recognizance. Eagles coach Ray Rhodes said he met with Everett. We certainly wanted to hear what Steve had to say and convey to Steve how we feel about this matter. We do not, however, plan to make the contents of our conversations public knowledge, Rhodes said. Obviously, we are concerned about the situation, but this is a serious incident in and of itself, as well as a distraction that we do not need at this or any other time. Oh, you know, oh, oh, this is fantastic. E- Everett faces a November 18th hearing before municipal court judge John Madden. Oh my god. Uh, 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 Let's let's fast forward, by the way. January 6, 1998. Philadelphia Eagles Center Steve Everett was cleared Tuesday of a drug paraphernalia possession charge lodged after police stopped him for speeding last year. Municipal Court Judge John L. Madden 
except the defense claims that marijuana pipe was left in Everett's car by a friend. The judge said that the prosecutors failed to prove that Everett knew the pipe was there and intended to use it. Earlier, William Schaefer, married to Georgia, played with Everett in Michigan, admitted that the marijuana pipe belonged to him. Schaefer was not present when Everett was arrested, but later told authorities that he left the pipe in the vehicle while visiting days earlier. It was his pipe, Schaefer's lawyer, Scott Liebling, said. He felt he had to come forward and take responsibility for his actions. Blah, 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 blah. So there you go. Okay, so wait. Uh, uh, his so blood alcohol, Everett's blood alcohol registered at 0.17. Okay, so, his, so I was, he, that's what I was about to get to. So his blood alcohol, he still was drunk. They just got the paraphernalia. But, but let's continue with that real quick. But Richard Saferstein, former chief forensic scientist for the New Jersey State Police, said the results were skewed because police failed to wait 20 minutes after Everett removed a wad of chewing tobacco from his mouth before administering the test. Tobacco contains volatile chemicals that can alter a blood alcohol rating, Saferstein said. He declined to speculate on what Everett's actual blood alcohol level might have been. In my opinion, the test results are scientifically unreliable, Saferstein told the judge. We're in the gray area here. Prosecutor William O'Brien relied primarily on testimony from Patrolman Alan Rolotti, who said that Everett reeked of alcohol, had watery bloodshot eyes, and filled a battery of roadside sobriety tests. He could not hold his balance. He could not walk in a straight line, Rolotti testified. Everett admitted to drinking three or four beers for his arrest while attending a wrestling match in Philadelphia with teammates and later having another beer and a shot of gin at a hotel bar. <laughs> Everett insisted, however, he was not intoxicated. And oh, you know, the, you know, Mongo bought him that shot too. Well, here's the here's the best part about this whole story. Tom Canavi, an assistant strength and conditioning coach for the Eagles, also suggested that the six foot five, two hundred ninety five pound Everett might have wobbled while performing a sobriety balance test because he performed it using his weaker left leg injured playing football. <laughs> there you go. Fantastic. So, Steve Everett. All right, uh, Marcus Bagwell spent out for another three to five weeks after he had a meniscus removed from his knee. So there's that. Bill Goldberg is also had an action suffering a groin pull over the weekend, although he did do a run at Nitro. Professor Torch, this week six, real name Sean Waltman, received result of an MRI he had done last week, and news wasn't good. He will need surgery on his neck. He suffered a ruptured disc between the fifth and sixth vertebrae, which has cut off the nerve route in that area. He'll need surgery to remove the disc, clear out bone spurs, take a bone from a bone bank, put in a titanium plate between a vertebrae and fuse them together. The recovery time for surgery is expected to be three to four months, at which time he should be near 100%. He will not face a limitation in his range of motion when he returns. He served the injury in October when he was dropped by Lex Luger on a press slam and landed awkwardly. Uh, it was his fault, not Lex's. And then Bischoff fires him while he's recovering as a well, way to fuck with Paul and Ash. And we'll have more on this story next week oh, on Between okay. the Sheets, because that's when the surgery ha happens. Hmm. All right. Yeah, yeah, but like, I want to, I want to see just like, you know, a photo of his neck next to a photo of like Kurt Angle's neck of just like all the different things that have been done to them, because he, how often did he have neck issues? Sean. It, Yes, it was a couple of times at least. Uh, okay, 95, 97. Is that it? I thought towards oh, the end. Oh, I know. Yeah, may maybe it wasn't. I thought I thought in uh, towards the, the end of his uh, first TNA run, that, that was the issue, wasn't it? Maybe, I don't remember. Um, 
it's honestly, when you consider all his injuries and everything, it's honestly a kind of a, it's impressive that he moves around as well as he does, Sean. Yeah. Yes, uh, his most serious injury, uh, at least to me, is when he tore his sack. Yeah. No, uh, that's that not could... what he tore. He tore his butthole, didn't he? <laughs> was it his butthole? He, he tore his taint. I think it was like a butthole taint. A torn taint. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it was a torn taint. Imagine that pain. Oh, <laughs> oh my torn gosh. Taint. Don't even want to think about it. Yeah, we had a well. Well, I mean, we had one of our cashiers at, at the store. You always have someone. I mean, well, it doesn't matter the situation. You always well, have, there's always someone at that damn grocery store. It doesn't yeah. matter what happened in the world. Like, oh yeah, some guy like lost an eyeball. Well, at the grocery store. Well, the grocery store is like cousin Walter in the Kevin Smith movie. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't. It wasn't an injury at the store. She injured it outside the store. She was on uh, riding dirt bikes with friends of hers and she had a crash and how she injured herself. It, it went from her leg all the way up to the vagina and basically had a torn vagina. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Crazy. That just, (laughs) that does not sound very pleasant at all. No. Diamond Dallas uh, Page reportedly had blood in his urine, but he didn't miss any matches. Sounds to me like kidney stones or possibly uh, some other internal thing, because I, no, I know about that. Didn't he have a bruised kidney around this time, or at least they said he did on TV? It's possible, yeah, but I know about the blood in the urine. I've dealt with that. Well, kidney stones many times. So not fun. Not fun at all. Not Your piss looks like Hawaiian punch. Man, I'm going to spend a weekend with DDP. I think about it all the time. Just like... Oh, he's got some story to tell. Yeah, like... And not just wrestling. <laughs> yes, yes. That guy has uh, lived a life. Yeah, I kind of wish it wasn't uh, him and Jake on that podcast. Because, like, I like Jake. And Jake has great stories, too. But it's just kind of like... Sometimes it's too much. And, and he, the way that... The way that DDP tells stories is just like I'm. I'm always just so intrigued because like he's been around to everyone, and just and he tries to help everyone. Just yeah, I don't know. I love the guy. Yeah. Speaking of DDP, Kimberly also knocked heads with another Nitro girl doing a routine that was badly timed in San Diego, but was back on Nitro on November third. Shocking. Stevie Richards quit WCW. He had a legit falling out with Raven and felt without the association, he had no chance of being pushed. At the same time, he wants to start a video arcade game shop in Philadelphia. No, not an arcade, a video game store. Video arcade game shop. That's what it says here, Fix. I'm just going by what it says. (laughs) I'm just going by what it says. What those words mean together in 1997? (laughs) Dave had been probably an arcade since the early 80s. He probably thinks that's what it is, an arcade. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, he does open that store for, for a time. Yeah. And, and, and coinciding with this, a lot of rumors about Scotty Riggs eventually joining Raymond's Nest. And Torch said Raven is gaining political influence behind the scenes. How about that? Um, Go ahead, Mikey. Go ahead. Well, when Two Cold Scorpio uh, ran into those kids um, when they were out playing... You know, they're out playing hooky. Okay. Uh, they tell him 
that uh, that they are going to the arcade, and he said, "What do you mean you're going to the game room?" No, Which you they got did it not say. <laughs> no, or is it backwards? Yeah, it's they. We go into the game room, and he <laughs> yeah. says, "What do you mean you're going to the arcade?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, the, exa- but he he messed it up, old too close. But that video, when I was a kid, I had taped my my grandfather had taped like a TBS special or something that had that on there. And I bet you I watched that video literally over a hundred times because I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Well, they aired it on TV about that much, so uh, I mean, yeah, I'm still going, Scorpio. <laughs> I definitely loved that video, and it was awesome. What can you say? It was great. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Yes. As and Perry Saturn, though, they're not getting along right now. Um, there's heat over Saturn wearing a hood over his head like Taz does. The heat increased with Saturn wrestled Taz style on Nitro when he beat Disco. Oh, shut the fuck up, you <laughs> little midget fucking hack. When it comes to, like, insecure wrestlers, where does Taz rank on that list? He's very insecure. Just like the way he, like him on Twitter, like really exposed just like what a fucking asshole he is. Like, I mean, the the way that he, he talks about wrestling, like there's, he has those like Bubba Ray Dudley vibes to him. Well, I mean, good, good Lord. <laughs> I mean, they're, they have, they uh, were together for so long, you know? Yeah, but it's just, like, just so insecure. And so just, like, really, like, so someone can't wear a towel. You can't wear a towel over your head. You can't wear... Still like, my gimmick, brother. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't do suplexes. You know, you shouldn't be doing suplexes because you were five foot. Like, you should be doing... I don't know. You, you should be doing commentary. Because, like... You know, like I, it always made me laugh. Like when he would do the when he would do the Taz mission, and he's so itty bitty, like he'd have to jump up to get him. Like when he would do it to Bam Bam, it just looked so goofy because it was like it was like when like you know when your kid wants to ride on your back, like that's what it looked like. But he was supposed to be the world champion. I don't know. Like <laughs> it's. It's just very funny to me, especially Bam Bam. Go back and watch it and like look look through look at it through how I see it of just like how it's a little kid jumping. It's like that Elgin Jack Swagger thing. It's like he's just so little in comparison. It's so hilarious. Yeah, but there's nothing to with Big Salt. The Taz Saturn thing goes to about them when he left. Saturn how Saturn left ECW. And the mole. Just months earlier, yeah. you know, all that went down. Still ill will when it came to that. Well, everyone was trying to escape ECW because it was terrible. One <laughs> one place that no one did escape, Bix, was TNA Wrestling. Everyone wanted <laughs> to stay there forever. <laughs> Same that way for some of them, that's for sure. Okay, all right, so there. for what it's worth, so this is interesting. And remember, this information we have breaks down licensing and merch separately. So this would not include video games or toys or anything like that. You look at Sean Waltman's WCW pay. He doesn't have any merch or licensing income in 96. In 97, his merch income is $3,543. And in 98, when he's 
not on TV at all and not in the company most of the year, he makes 2829 So how? why the hell, at the time where his merch is at the hottest, is he only making, like, $700 more than he'd make in a year where he's not on TV? Uh, I could tell you. Uh, no, no. Uh, when he left, I don't even remember. For sure, they still sold those shirts, and and Hall and Nash would wear that six shirt all the time on TV. There is that, yeah. That number and sounds I, low, though. I don't know what kind of contract he, what they would have had for royalties, but either way, like less well, than thirty six hundred grand for for all of ninety seven. Well, remember Chris Jericho talked about land thirty six hundred. What am I saying? Yeah, uh, uh, Chris Jericho talked about it in his book when he had a two pack of action figures, and they rang it up. They rang up as Hogan Sting, and he talked uh, about before that too. Yeah. Um, so also, <laughs> Waltman had no merch income in ninety nine and a dollar in two thousand. The thing about that, the thing about the action figure thing, though, Mikey, it's more often than not that's on the store level because they're they're having to put that in their system. Or you know, it might we have been everything rang up just as Sid Sting Hogan. Well, I mean, in addition to that, because that was just the one they generated like the skew from. Exactly, and 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 not, and they didn't do an individual um, names for every figure. Which I, I mean, I can see that more with like something like that than like a grocery store thing, where you kind of have to put individual descriptions on stuff. Because believe me, I know that's what I do all the time. So, but we we got our system uh, from one of our other stores because our system crashed a few years ago. So we had to up, upload their system into our computers, and they had it all fucked up. Like they had um, uh, golden flake chips. This is one of the worst ones. They had the wrong item on the, the SKUs. Like if you if you scan a bag of plain chips, it shows up as dill pickle. So I mean, I know how that goes. That that is a store situation. That that's not anything that's done by the promotion or manufacturers. That's a store issue. That's laziness, basically what that is. So there you go. Yeah, but it. But here's the thing, though. If they're doing that, and that's and that's what's being reported to the company that buys it, then that there you go. That's a problem. <laughs> that is a problem. So I don't know. But anyway, and, hey, perfect timing about this because uh, I'm going to skip over the next one real quick and go to this one. Six is six ball NWO T-shirts become the second highest seller behind Sting shirts. Okay, I don't know what got into me. I thought you read that already. <laughs> Well, anyway, my, we've my done team, it now. You had something to say, I think, about the shirt. Oh yes, uh, I owned, uh, I owned this six shirt, uh, the the six ball shirt. I actually owned it twice um, because one time, uh, this is a little side story. Uh, WCW had a five dollar clearance sale on a lot of their T shirts, so I got the flock T shirt. I got the NWO black and white shirt, but it was a white shirt with a black logo. And I remember that. I remember those. Yes, I got a DDP shirt. I I did not get a Wolfpack shirt because I never went on that side of the fence. You know, I was not a Wolfpack guy. I was always black and white, loyal. Um, and 
then I got a R- Rowdy Roddy Piper t-shirt, okay? But when it got delivered, someone from a nearby trailer park um, stole the package. And, uh, they porch was, pirated you in 1997. Amazing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, this is a little bit. I think it was like 98. 98. Okay. okay. Yeah. We'll yes. Back, and uh, well, one of one of my sister's friends knew the person, and like, and all the shirts were all torn up. Like they did crap to it. So I called WCW and their merchandise thing, and I was like, "Hey, this is what happened." And they ordered, and they sent me back. Uh, a bunch of stuff, and one of the things was a credit uh, for the website, and and that credit, hand to God, I used it on getting the Scott Hall stand-up that I was talking about earlier. <laughs> it all is for, it's full circle right now. I used that because it was like it was expensive, like the shipping itself was expensive to get that stand-up. So like I used my credit on the actual thing, and I paid money to get it shipped here. So yes. So I, I must not – I did not have the Scott Hall stand-up at this point. How about that? See? It's a miracle that that happened like that. Yes. All right. There's some heat between Diamond House Page and Mark Merrow over Merrow using a variation of Diamond Cutters as finisher. Merrow and Page are friends, and Merrow asked Page permission to use the move. Page gave him his blessing. There's talk those in WCW are set with WWF for having Merrow use the cutter and therefore having Disco Inferno use the Stone Cold Stunner as his finisher to get back into WWF. Disco's gimmick now is he's going to get beat up badly for most of his matches, but manages to win by slipping on his version of the stunner, which is how his match on Saturday night against Luis Piccoli played out. So there you go. That's why, because they were pissed that Mark Merrow was using the diamond cutter as his finisher. You know, Mark had got it clear with Paige. Did anyone sink faster than Mark Merrow? Like when it... Uh, he definitely dropped. <laughs> like, because... As soon as he changed... the injury... And then coming back as soon as he gimmick? changed yeah. gimmicks, as soon no, as he changed, I mean, went to that boxer gimmick, yeah, that, that was it. But that was well, yeah, that from being off seven, eight months from the knee injury, too. I know, but still, when he was wild man, Mark Merrill, or Wildcat, or whatever the hell the fuck he was, he still had he still was working at a high level and he was still, you know, he was over with the fans, but then he comes back as that boxer and can forget about it. Yeah, but I mean, still, like, I there was something missing even when he was the wild man, Mark Merrow. Like, there's something like, you know, he did that weird, like, his fingers out, jazz hands in front of his, in front of his face. Like, that was just well, I mean, it was all basically a vehicle to get Sable over. You know, that's what it turned into. I mean, and I know, you know, Johnny B. Bad was just like a flamboyant, and he was you know, pretending to be a different race than he actually was and all. He was a little richer. Yeah. 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 But like it, it had legs. It was over. I mean, it could have, when he left, okay. Like right around that, right around the time he left, like he had matches like with Luke, he beat Luger. Like, well, he had become more serious. He had become more serious. He wasn't doing all the Johnny Bad shit no more, other than yeah, other than, other than the Bad Blaster and stuff like that. But he had Kimberly with him, so he had a woman with him, and you and know, he was a man. And he was the he was the so first. Fake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he was the first person to give DDP good matches. Uh, they, they, I mean, that was the first real DDP feud. Yeah, but I think that helped elevate DDP quite a bit because well, yeah. 
you know, he he leveled up from being just kind of like mid mid card or jobber guy to like, you know, oh hey, he could have these good matches too. And then, you know, once once him and Macho Man got together to uh, you know, put their notes together uh for for a match um that they blocked out in a hotel room, I think that those matches were like unbelievable. Like I don't care how they put their matches together. Those are like some of my favorite WCW matches in history. Yeah, that was a good feud. All right. Uh WCW is taking serious about doing a cruiserweight tournament over several weeks with round robin rules similar to the Japanese tour long tournaments. The winner would be a number one contender for Eddie's title. Dean Malenko came up with the idea and would be in charge of booking it Japanese style where the results stay fairly even. Guess what doesn't happen? This. <laughs> And also, guess what else doesn't happen? This. WWE is also going to do a tough men division with the likes of Benoit, Finley, Goldberg, Mongo, Ming, and others, creating a world championship in division. Bro, Imagine what? That shit happened. Uh, yeah. yeah, like, like I, I like that concept. That's, but I mean, like, what is, what would a tough man division? So does that mean everyone else isn't a tough man? Like, I don't understand, like, what, because I, would it be, like, a shoot style, or, you know, because Mongo could even wrestle pro style. Like, I don't know how he's going to do shoot style, too. But that's the difference. I mean, guys, this is this is a shoot style. This isn't regular pro wrestling, so he, he'll have a better way of uh, competing. It's more his, up to his speed. Oh, boy. Yeah, there you go. He's a, he's a street fighter. Mongo? That's what that... I mean, I'm just saying, you know. He's a street fighter, man. Like, every... And, you know, I feel awful about everything he has going on. Like, but... Yeah, just... You know, two left feet. Uh, I, I just... I wouldn't have included him in that list, I guess. So, is he the worst elite athlete turned for a wrestler? Um... No. Who? Otis Strunk's worse. Was Otis Strunk an elite athlete? He was a hell of a fucking defensive lineman. Uh, Ernie Holmes started them. Tom, I guess you could argue Tom McGee, even if he wasn't like an Olympian or an NFL player. But Otis like Strunk and Ernie Holmes were definitely worse than manga as football players, t- as star football players turned wrestlers. Okay. Uh, I mean, manga had longer careers than they did in football, but they they. They had strong careers while they played. But did they look uh, as uncoordinated as? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Otis Sistrunk. Yeah, he definitely was uncoordinated. Ernie Holmes looked like Fat Ron Simmons. Um, one time years ago, Bix, uh, I actually asked Mongo. I was like, "Hey, what do you base your wrestling style off of?" And he told me. This is a true story. He told me he bases it off of Bret Hart's interviews. Uh, he said it's it's he likes to stumble around and not make any sense. <laughs> oh my goodness! I, I should have recorded it. Oh my god! I right, uh, we're about to watch Otis Sister wrestle. Uh, so, we don't have uh, to so do that. It's not. We're gonna, just a few seconds, Bix. Okay. Just a few seconds. 
because it doesn't. It's a six man tag match. I got a clip that when he enters the ring, so you just watch, watch how he looks here. Okay. Just to see, just to try to compare, because his I mean his career don't last as long. Mongo's does in wrestling. But. He didn't gain any benefits from going to the University of Mars. <laughs> the program today, the Golden Gophers this year, three for all so far. Maybe the Gophers are returning to uh, perhaps the heydays of old, back in the days of Bernie Beerman and Bruce Smith, Vern Gagne, and so many other. I think he looks good. Including <laughs> another fellow that uh, is very I, close I don't to understand what's happening. A young fellow that. Uh, the name of Olsonowski that played uh, for the University of Minnesota. Mike Hayes connects beautifully with All right, that's enough. Okay, what? I'll say, the, I'll say what, this. What though. was that move? Like, it, <laughs> it, like he throwed them off the ropes just to, for, for all you guys at home. Uh, he would throw the man off the ropes, and when the guy came back towards him, he wouldn't push them. He wouldn't grab them. He just kind of like stuck out his forearms and kind of pushed them forward a little. It bit. was like a, it was like he was playing. He was a defensive lineman with August offensive lineman. He's rushing him. It was like a pass rush move. Yeah, it was very, very and like that poor that poor jobber was trying to sell it the best he could. And <laughs> God bless him. Yeah, I, I think part of the problem though is that he has such a unique build for pro wrestling that he's this weird combination of long, tall, and broad in ways that don't seem to really mesh with other pro wrestlers. Yeah. He didn't uh, He didn't last long, that's for sure. All right, wow. so back to the show here. WCW still not only wants Ray Mysterio Jr. to mass, but also Juventud Guerrera. Okay. And again, right after you did these pieces. Um, they ended up being right about Juventud, and they, it was Bischoff. Uh was right about Hoovy. I don't know if you could have under realized how right he would be until it happened. Ray was always a terrible idea, no matter what. Yep. Because Ray didn't have the look without the mask. No. And and the devil did. did not work. Hoovy did. Yeah. Hoovy still to this day, beautiful man. Just a yes. A very handsome man. He pulled it off fine. Ray still to this day looks like a child. He's fifty years old. Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's just it's just stupid. But it's Eric Bischoff, so he's back. All right, Eddie Guerrero has been able to become so cut physically because he cut out beer drinking entirely. That's from the torch. I think there's also other things he was doing as well to go along with that. Diana Ball. Probably no. right. DDP yoga. <laughs> that did not exist yet. Um, he invented it. <laughs> also, if I remember right, I think this is in the Eddie Obit Dave does. He pretty much ceased eating carbs and really most things other than plain lettuce or very plain salads, maybe it was. And... Everyone marveled at how he was able to perform at such a high level, because especially because Eddie's probably the best overall performer he's been in his career up to this point. When he was barely having any carbs, like how do you have the energy? Yeah, he's lucky. What can you say? This is a great story. Harley Race worked the WWE house show on November seventh in Kansas City. 
before the show race, and Bill Kirsten, who was a team announcer for Bob Geigel during the 70s and early 80s, was introduced to a huge stand ovation from the sellout crowd of 2,865 in Memorial Hall, the building that race headlined for 15 years. Later in the show, Booker T ran down Harley, who came the ringside and interfered, causing Harley to meet their match with the Steiners. In the main event, Flair, who had plugged Race's appearance heavily on local promos, told the fans he was going to give Kurt Henning a beating worthy of Harley Race. After the match, a DQ finish, Henning and Race had words, and Henning professionally took some big bumps for Race, now 54. And the show ended with Flair and Race, the old rivals in the ring, standing, raising each other's hands to a huge standing ovation. He was only 54? In 1997, yeah. Oh, my God. So that, that means when he was with Vader in 94, he was only 51 years old. That's crazy. I mean, so someone 51 now was born in 1971. Yeah. Uh, David, David Young just is 50 and he just wrestled for BLP. Uh, people, people age differently. Harley Race led, led a life. Yeah, uh, Bobby Fish is actually older than this. I believe Bobby Fish is turned sixty-three. <laughs> yeah, what a piece of shit he was, huh? <laughs> Robert Fish. But uh, but yeah, yeah, good to see Harley here on this show. I like it. I wouldn't do stuff like that. Wait, was Bobby Fish a piece of shit or was he a pizza shit? Oh, don't even. <laughs> well, he bought them all, so. <laughs> How did there he react when he found out he was buying them all? We'll, we'll talk about this after the show, buddy. Okay. <laughs> WCW's Thursday TV show may, may be called WCW Thursday Thunder, although that name is not yet definite. Close. That's right. It's close. It wasn't Thursday Thunder, it was just Thunder. So there you go. All right, um... To the torch. Now the WCW staff is immersed in planning for the new TBS Thursday show starting January the 8th. They're beginning to already see how many problems it's going to cause. First, already TBS and TNT are fighting over who's getting the better venues to run the shows. Second, scheduling main event wrestlers for the shows while giving them Apple time off will be a major headache for bookers. Third, add those first two complaints together and everyone anticipates rivals TBS and TNT to claim favoritism. By WCW when scheduling talent for each show, especially if the ratings don't stay even and one show pulls ahead of the other. Who knew that TBS and TNT had such, such a big rivalry picks? Yeah. <laughs> um, although I'm guessing this is also where Bischoff gets the idea of, oh, we can hire Bret Hart if now that we have the opportunity and make him the Thunderstar. Because then we have this big star and it gives more parity than... You know, maybe if we had all this bullshit going on, if we hadn't brought him in. And then that's exactly what they don't do. There's all, there's always corporate infighting. It doesn't matter what the company is. It's, you know, though, with... It's a, competi- it's a competition between the... But I'm... You know, but, it is. I mean, like, all this shit now with, like, Discovery and HBO Max, it's like, why would you rebrand this to Discovery when HBO Max is, like, already by far... The popular brand. Who like, bought who bought who out? Oh, I I understand. That that's doesn't why. matter though. Like he is, no, but, no, but for Mikey's why. point though, it's like yeah, that's ridiculous. That is infighting bullshit. No, that, yeah. that's, no, it's not that. It's like we won. 
Yeah, we, that's, we that's, bought, that's, we bought them if we don't fight your face. It's the problem. They don't, they don't give a fuck. I mean, oh, it's yeah. all pride. It's professional pride. Yeah, but they should think about money instead of pride because it's, you well, know. How many, like, how, many, how many businesses have done that? made that mistake over the years? <laughs> you know, that happens a lot. Yeah. All, the, all the wrestling promotions have, have made that mistake. Oh, Jeez. yeah, abs- absolutely. There was, because remember when there was that whole everything with the, the WWF, you know, World Wildlife Fund, and there was that rumor that they were going to change the name to WCW, which, you know, if you think about it, is a much better name than WWE, uh, but they didn't want to go in that direction because they wouldn't have won then. They would not have won and uh, been able to brag about that, which is, you know, I don't know. I I don't think I would have gone in that direction either. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's all silliness. You're, you're right. Well, let's close out with, uh, you know, uh, some closure to the first part of the show in a way. On the WCB hotline, Martin Madden blamed the colleague, never mentioning Gene Oakland by now, for the reports of Brian Pillman's death being a cocaine overdose. Oakland still has not apologized for the report. Damn scheme, Gene. <laughs> so, there you go. What we talked about earlier. All right. Well, that is it for 1997 this week. So we'll be back with more next week. But before that, Mikey, we thank you for being on with us again, man. And uh, talk about the new happenings in Black Label Pro and Fight TV Plus. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, we are now on Fight Plus. Uh, you could watch us. You could watch AIW. You could watch Game Changer Wrestling, uh, Wrestling Revolver. All for four ninety nine a month for our streaming, and we are all going to be uploading uh, all of our, you know, all of our past content on there. It's going to be great. Uh, Is there a Roku channel yet, or I mean, what's the what, what's the standing with Roku? I do not know currently. I like. Okay. I, I'm still trying to figure it all out myself. I this don't know a, if there's a channel, but I know it works with Roku for sure. Okay, well, so you think it'd be on the regular Fight TV app, maybe? I would say, if check if there's a channel, because I remember when I was using Roku more, I think they did have one regardless. But Because that would be the way I would be watching it. The way I remembered so. it is that you could do it from your phone, but it would just end up firing the app, app up. I mean, the uh, channel up anyway. Okay, all right. And well, uh, I do want to mention... This Saturday, uh, when this airs, this upcoming Saturday is our biggest BLP of the year, Slamilton. A bunch of great matches. Uh, we have Calvin Tankman against Levi uh, Levi Everett for the BLP Championship. Uh, the Space Pirates against Jordan Oliver and Little Nick Wayne. And a bunch of other great stuff. Dan the Dad against Swoggle. Gotta love that one. And uh, match of the show, uh, Alec Price against Blake Christian, which will be a barn burner. So that that'll be fun too. So a, a lot of good stuff. Uh, please check us out on Fight Plus. Uh, make sure you follow me uh, if you want to see uh, a bunch of random takes and old wrestling collectibles on Twitter at BLP Mikey. And uh, yeah, that's that's it. I think I appreciate you guys. Oh, anytime, anytime. Well, always glad to have you on, especially 
when you have big news to talk about, which you did this time. So yes, good times and, uh, indeed. I, when we when we go off the air, I will uh, send you my address for you to send me my uh, five timers club jacket. So we will do that. <laughs> good luck with that. All right. Uh, <laughs> and by the way, actually, on, just, yeah, I should know too since you were talking about it, like. Um, I mean, Fight is built specifically to be something that works on as many different types of platforms as possible. Yes. Like, including stuff you never expect. So, like, it's... Basically, the way to do it is usually, like, obviously see if whatever has an app, but then if you just do it from your phone or whatever, it'll usually just help you find the way to send it to your TV. Okay, well, I have my ways of doing things, so I will check yeah. and see. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, well, we're going to go back to 1997. <laughs> and this is a Patreon-requested show by Tyler Gignac, who has, I guess, had the most Patreon-requested shows now, Bex. Is he is he number one? Or definitely the one that's been on the most as a guest. That sounds right. So, uh, at least three, right? Yeah, at least his third one. So anyway, yes, he wants us to go to the next week of 97. So, of course, there we'll have WCW, where we'll have an interesting episode of Monday Nitro as all the NWO crew shows up. And we get Hogan and Bischoff stuff. Uh, and then uh, Bischoff making the major announcement, the big surprise announcement, which you can pretty much guess what that is. Plus, we'll have news on the first day ticket sales of Starcade, And boy, was that big. Then we'll have all the indie news to talk about. We'll have um, more ECW stuff. To talk about an interesting house show during our week. Um, we got the f fake Rays Ramon arriving in Puerto Rico for a few of Carlos Colon. We'll talk about that. We got all kinds of lucha stuff during our week to talk about. Japan, we got news on two new Joshi promotions getting going. Lots of indie scum. Masiro Chono does a big worksheet interview in Tokyo Sports. We'll talk about that. But we all know what the big story is. Survivor Series 1997. So, yes, we'll go down through the whole show. And, yes, we'll talk about Brett and Sean's main event with Tyler and get his thoughts on that. Plus, we'll have um, the Raw in Ottawa, the live Raw the night after, and the taping in Cornwall and after that, which Tyler was in attendance for. Yeah. And, of course, we'll have Raw as well, including the debut of the Generation X's theme music. Yes. Well, it debuted the night before in the promo for the paper, next pay-per-view, if I remember. Right. And Jeff and the Jeff Jarrett interview. That's not a lot. So, uh, that, yes. Well, he wasn't in the building. Oh, it's the sit-down interview. Uh, right, 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 right. Sit-down interview, yes. Yeah, because he would have already debuted because Vince is on commentary when he debuted. Yeah, so we'll have the sit-down interview, yes. Yes. So, yeah, all that more... Degenerate into something fool. <laughs> All that more next week on Between the Sheets. You also forgot, too, not just uh, Tyler and Cornwall on Tuesday. I'm at the Garden on Saturday. That's correct. Yes. Well, so we'll have that as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, uh, Dave's Sean thoughts Michael on well, Dave's, brawler. Dave's rundown of that. Yes. So, anyway, next week on Between the Sheets. All right, Mikey, appreciate it, brother. Again, thanks as always. Glad to have you on. We'll have you back soon. Fix, thank you as always. You're the rock of the show. This is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, Patreon Special Edition number 73. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan and Bix. It's time to start year seven of the Patreon, and yes, we're finally tackling the big one. Which one? No, this is the big one. This is the one that, uh, this is one of the ones that, you know, we kind we, we kind of avoided. On the on the main show. Well, we had uh, to. Yeah, because I mean, it, it had to be for Patreon. I mean, the two the two big ones. This is one, and the other one's trial, the bench trial, and Ben, which to a degree. Well, that's a whole different big one, but um, yeah, this one is um, yeah, this one was this was definitely made for the Patreon show. Um, the trial the same way, and Ben as well. Um, so yeah, so we've, uh, we've avoided long enough. It's been 25 years, which is crazy to think that's been that long. God almighty. So yes, it's now time to go to Montreal. Now this is going to be a three part series here. It's going to cover the rest of the year, October, November, December. So we're going to start in October of 1997. All right. So. Now, let's go back to the Observer. Just a few days before Brett made his final decision to leave, he wrote a column in the Calgary Sun. Obviously, much of the column's typical pro wrestling attempting to hide his next big pipe, his next big match on the, in the new, in vogue, more realistic insider fashion. But in hindsight, you can see where his head was at in other ways just before making his decision. This column was written as a letter to Shawn Michaels. Now, there's a caveat to this now. We know that Bruce Hart ghostwrites some breast columns. Well, there's going to so, be a lot more cave- caveats to that, but we'll get to that in a couple minutes. So anyway, we'll read this and then see what happens. Shawn Michaels, you're a disgrace to professional wrestling. It amazed me that there was an, a time I actually thought you'd be the guy who'd come up behind me and carry the ball when my time comes to retire. Now when you're behind me, I have to make sure I don't bend over. I'm a second-generation wrestler. Like a lot of second-generation wrestlers, I pay my dues. The way you're degrading the business makes me sick and breaks my heart. That's not what the heartbreak kid was supposed to mean. I told you, Vince told you to leave our families out of this. So you got on Raw and said my father was dead? This time you're so far over the line, there's no coming back. Every so often after you shoot off your mouth, you come to me backstage with a lame apology and a limp handshake. Oh, Brett, my mouth always gets me in trouble when I get going out there. You know I didn't mean nothing by it. Don't bother this time. I'm not buying it. I would not embarrass my father, who's not only very much alive, but is still tougher today at 83 and more of a man than you will ever be, as you have embarrassed your father with your de- degenerate behavior. How humiliating for your poor father to have to explain your lewd gestures to your her friend. Hers is her friends? <laughs> I guess that means supposed to be a mother. Uh, you don't respect anybody, do you? What does Jose Lothario think of how you've made pornography out of what he taught you? Sean Michaels, you're nothing more than a whore for this business. You call me a paper champion because it bothers you that my contracts are more than you and the whole Degeneration X put together. You said I wrestle because I need the money, but you wrestle because this business needs you. You are a festering cancerous tumor in this business. After WrestleMania 11, I went home for a while to give you the chance to become the man. Because as long as I'm around, you'll never be the man. You were so bad at being the man that WCW had the biggest bidding war in wrestling history to get me to come back. You had the world championship belt, but you don't. What do you have besides a big mouth and a bad attitude? Shawn Michaels, you said it'd be an undertaker makes you an icon. Not taking anything away from Taker, 
that you weren't the first guy to beat him. You just did it too late. You said you're the only icon that could still go, not like the fossils. You're so BF for taking completely overdone bumps like a Mexican jumping bean that you can't work a full schedule like the older guys. You only wrestle about once a month, and you're proud of that? Then people who think they know more about this business than they actually do, right? What a hard worker you are. Anyone can work hard once a month. You bareback your way to main event matches, and they give you the best guys in the business to make you look good. So you and your boyfriend, Hunter, think I'm told. Think I'm old, I guess. Hunter says he's bigger than me in more ways than one, and, and then you point at Hunter's crotch and say he could put an eye out with that thing. Thanks for admitting that you know what Hunter has in his pants. So how come I have four kids and all you two have is each other? I'm not the one shooting blanks. By the way, you both look very comfortable eating bananas together on Raw. Lots of parents tell me they won't let their kids watch the shows anymore because of you, and they don't watch either because you're such an asshole. People are shutting the show off because of you. It took so long to make wrestling and family entertainment. Thanks for setting the business back 50 years. You're the one who's confusing expansion and destruction, not me. You, Sean, are the destruction of this business. You made me sick. You said you're the best sports entertainer in the world. Don't even think about saying you're a wrestler. What I do is an art form. What you do is well, what you do. Anyway, because it's not pro wrestling anymore. You call the WF World Championship a 10 title. But you're only saying it because you don't have the belt. When you did have it, it you treated it like garbage and threw it away. So now you want to try winning the title Survivor Series? You better reconsider that because when I get my hands on you, it's going to make take the, it's going to make the meeting I gave you in the locker room last June like a warm up. After that little scuffle, you went running the vents, complaining that the work conditions in WF were unsafe. The only thing I say about the work conditions in WF is you, Sean. You've gotten the ring so pilled up lately that you can't even talk straight on television. You better shake the cobwebs free because before you get in the ring with me at Survivor Series, this business has been my mistress for my whole life, and I love her. You are raping her and taking her dignity away. Don't count on my reputation for professionalism, saving your ass Survivor Series. You're the one who threw the rulebook out the window. The 17 stitches you got a hell in a cell, nothing compared to what's coming at Misery in Montreal. Well, we're going to break chronology here and skip ahead to the Survivor Series week, Observer, for a moment, because all this coverage is so long, otherwise this correction will be stupidly far removed from the column we just read. In last week's Observer, in the lead story, the article listed as being a letter by Bret Hart to Shawn Michaels and Conqueror's son was unbeknownst to us, not exactly as was, as was stated. Bret wrote the column that appeared in The Sun, which is very similar. In fact, for the most part, word for word was what, what was listed here. However, the most inflammatory remarks were not in the newspaper, and how we got them is somewhat of a mystery to begin with. The version here was circulating online as this song column and sent to me and printed earlier that week in another, another newsletter. Due to so much shocking nature of what Brett had originally had, literally had written that week in the newspaper, Brett's actual column was very critical of Michael's, but far less inflammatory. All right, before we get into that, how, did, how do you think that got to Dave? Bruce sent it to him like, hey, check, check this out. <laughs> so that column never actually ran. No, and as you'll see, the column that does run as the Free Survivor Series column is not that similar to it. I'm pulling up the column archive just to make absolutely sure there's nothing that's even close. But you want to get into the actual column first? Or should we... Talk about this. Well, might, well, I might as well read it. So, okay, so what is the date I said this one was? This is... I mean, it's from this week, so... 
Um, this one, okay, so this one is, is claimed to be November 8th. The, the ones from the previous couple weeks are not this. I mean, there's one about how he hates the, the race angle. That's November 1st. And then the week before was his film in tribute. So the only thing this could be, I would think, would be what we're about to read, which is very much not at all like what we just read. So I guess it's time to read it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do it. This is what the comment actually ran in the Calgary Sun. Michael's Never Be the Man by Bret Hart. It's hard to believe it's been a year since I came back to WF and kicked Stone Cold Steve Austin's butt of Survivor Series. There are two reasons I came back. The first was the millions of fans around the world who stuck me through thick and thin. The other was because I didn't like the direction WF was going, and I want to put things back on the right track. About a year ago, in this space, I wrote, it just may be my toughest fight ahead of me. I'm going to try and prove the one guy can make a difference when it comes to restoring the dignity that professional wrestling has lost. I have no delusions by single-handedly changing things overnight, but maybe wrestling fans will see my point, and together we can row the boat upstream and change time. I had no idea that while I was away for seven months at the WrestleMania 12, the stream was that was flowing the wrong way had grown to a tidal wave. While I was home, Shawn Michaels and other degenerates gained a stronghold in WF. Is it too arrogant of me to think that it was my absence opened the door for them? The strange thing was only to happen in America. Wherever else I went, South Africa, England, Germany, Middle East, especially in Canada, the rest of the fans still cheer for the heroes and boo for the bad guys. But in America, they cheer for scum like Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels. When I told the truth, I said American morals seem to have gotten all twisted. U.S. fans may be their villain. It disturbed me greatly because the point a lot of people were missing is that I love America. My mother's American. In what must be the longest time in wrestling history, not to WrestleMania 12, I explained everything I thought was wrong in wrestling in America. Every grievance I brought up was true in fact. I was cheated out of the title not once or four times. No one ever rallied in my defense. Even when I lost about the psycho sin Chattanooga because Stone Cold hit me in the back of the head with a chair, no one spoke up for me all, at all. I have few, very few letters from my American fans, but a ton of Canadians and Europeans who were furious at what a travesty of justice it was. I got tired of being the only guy who wrestled by the rules, but I still try to simplify the ideals that my fans in Canada and the rest of the world had come to expect and respect. Then came the day that Stone Cold Steve Austin bashed my knee in with a chair. The fans of being up to New York were cheering Austin on to bash it again and again. That's the coldest day for me in the history of wrestling. Wasn't so much the pain of having my kneecap crushed. When I looked around the audience and they were screaming like a pack of wild animals, yelling for him to hurt me more. This a disturbing vision that still haunts me. I try to be the hero the fans want me to be, and I've always been proud of that. It's disheartening when I think of the years of working at dedication I gave these fans. These same fans who were cheering for Austin that crippled me in, in my career. On TV last weekend, they said that I dislike Shawn Michaels because he openly mocks my celebrity status. They missed the point. I don't like Shawn Michaels because he openly mocks everything that's good and decent about wrestling. Shawn had the ability to help put wrestling back on the right track and say so he derailed it. What a pathetic waste. I can't wait to get my hands on Survivor Series in Montreal. Survivor Series tomorrow on Viewer's Choice Pay-Per-View. Owens recovered from the NXT concussion game from Ahmed Johnson, and in the Survivor Series, he'll defend the IC title against Stone Cold Steve Austin. Team USA of Vader, Goldust, Marrow, and Patriot will take take on Team Cannon, the Bulldog, Anvil, the Fauna Furnace. Patriot got a torn tricep in the match, and Anvil last week 
with Amber last week, but maybe it's all even because Gold just broke his hand and it's in a cast. Bill Russell's match anyway. LOD Ahmed Johnson King Shamrock took on the NOD. Headbangers and Blackjacks are going against the New Age Outlaws and Goblins. And Mankind with Russell Kane. Well, no, it was uh, Bart Gunn. Or no, where was it? Oh, no, they are heels. Yeah, it's New Age Outlaws and Goblins. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I admit sometimes there are days that I wonder if I'm, what I'm trying to prove. The bones of my knees are grinding to a halt. Bones of my wrists are turning to powder. My tragic hips. God knows what kind of price I extract exactly my body of the last 21 years to prove what. Tomorrow, Survivor Series, my mission is the same as it was a year ago. To prove that one guy can make a difference to putting identity back in pro wrestling. Prove that as long as the hitman's around, Shawn Michaels never beat the man, the showstopper, or the icon that he arrogantly claims to be. Well, maybe he's an icon, an icon that stands for the cancer that's killing professional wrestling. The hitman's the antidote. Oh, yeah, by the way. I've exercised a 30-day clause of my contract, which allows me to explore my options with WCW. Officially, I'm on the contract review, and my situation is yet to be determined. <laughs> nice to throw that in there. Uh, the entire Hart family seems to get well with the President Gorilla Monsoon. Gorilla suffering from serious heart disease and is a prime candidate for a heart transplant when he regains enough strength for surgery. Our thoughts and prayers are with Gorilla in this toughest fight ever. I'm very disappointed in you for not saying the WCW, like it said here. <laughs> yes, with the WCW, but... Okay. Uh, how about that? Just, just right there. Yes. So, I think there's what two a market options. difference in columns yes. here. I think there are two options. One is that the first one was just completely fake. Which yes, I don't that's what I think. And it's just Dave not understanding the internet. But and I'm assuming what he's trying to say is someone that he trusts to know if these things are real. Sent it to him. Yeah. It's either that or it's Bruce came up with a draft like that and sent it in and and maybe sent it to some people and somehow it got out and that got scratched. But what is Dave talking about saying that the actual column was very similar? Because it's not. There's no column no, that's very similar not. to that one. No, it's not. It's a huge difference. Do you think this is just Dave wanting to admit in early internet, not wanting to admit in early internet times that he got tricked? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's got to – that, that that column was no way the real column, obviously. I mean, we just read the real column, you know? There's no way. It was, that was that was Brett or he, Brett's even – I don't think that's Brett's thinking, you know? Now, do you think – do you see a fan at the time, especially a newsletter reading fan, making the pilled up comments, or do you think that would be yes. to be Bruce? I think I, I more 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 thinking about. It, I think it's a fan. I think so. But there are parts of it that sound like Bruce's voice, but it's not overwhelming. I don't think Bruce would ever say pilled up. You know, he probably hated Shawn Michaels. I don't think he would. I don't think he would have said that. Hmm. I just don't. Yeah. Yeah, I think probably the simplest explanation is early internet, Dave doesn't know what he's dealing with. Someone who he would expect to normally send in legitimate stuff got duped themselves, and that was that. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month.
Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.